It's Wednesday, April the 6th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Whew. Busy times right now in the world of sports and pop culture. It's how we like it, but it's just non-stop, non-stop. We've got a lot of content coming out for you, and we'll have a couple different episodes coming out over the next few days. I had to get this episode recorded and out early today because we've got the Masters coming up on Thursday. Baseball season begins on Thursday, and we wanted to recap everything that happened with WrestleMania, so... This is going to be a full show with two different guests talking about the Masters. First, it's Josh Burrow from Golf.com. We're going to talk with him. He is live over from Augusta, and he checks in with us, gives us some thoughts on the field. Then we discuss uh, the odds and take a look at the betting board with our good friend Scott Shapiro. So we talk Masters first with Josh, then with Scott Schapp, about 15, 20 minutes with Josh, about 20, 25 with Scott Schapp. Then we're going to get into baseball preview. I'm going to run through every team in the American League. We'll talk about their totals, win over-unders, odds to win it all. Then we'll go and shift to the National League. We close this episode out with the WrestleMania recap. We've got the roundtable, Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, and Koopa Loop. And we just focus on WrestleMania over the weekend. We go match by match through night one through night two. Positives, negatives, things we're going to remember. What could have been done better on a whoo. I've made that noise a few times. Oh, whew, that's my tired but excited, but let's just keep going and keep getting it pumped up noise on this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Give them a follow. Flip those notifications on. They give away money each and every day. They give away public props, wagers, and if they hit, you get to keep the cash. Free content, free analysis, previews, baseball season coming up. We just did full previews for the American League and the National League. There's going to be daily uh, baseball shows and all of that stuff over at BTV. It's free just to help you become a better, better videos, content, gamblers sharing their analysis. Doesn't cost you a cent. Check it out. Better than dot Vegas. We'll have some Sam Houston Thursday on social media. So if you're looking for Sam Houston Thursday, that'll be posted to my Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Go check that out. I'll post a full video Wednesday evening with DRF past performances. We'll dive through the card and we'll talk about how uh, the horses that I like. Just three days left at Sam Houston. So for any of the horse racing fans, on the next episode, we'll have Friday Keeneland, Friday Santa Anita, Friday Sam Houston, Saturday Keeneland, Saturday Sam Houston. Chappie's going to join me to talk Saturday Santa Anita. David Aragona is going to talk, uh, join me to talk Saturday Aqueduct and some of their stakes races. We'll talk NBA and finish up the NBA season with Eric, and then we'll recap AEW and NXT with Koopa Loop. And if you're looking for Moon Knight, don't you worry. Two episodes in, we're going to have both of those recapped for you by early next week, and then we'll get on the ball as Tim Kelly will join me this weekend to talk about episodes one and two. So yeah, we just do not stop over here on That's What G Said podcast. We're going to head on in to talk some Masters right now. Masters uh, tea time on Thursday morning, bright and early. We get the, uh, the honorary tea time to start. And then it's uh, four consecutive days in the most prestigious golf event in the world. It's the Masters. First up, Josh Burrow from Golf.com joins me to preview it. And then after, we'll check in with Scott Shapiro. Let's see what Josh has to say about the Masters. 
Well, it's Masters time, so it's the uh, time to talk again with our buddy from Golf.com, Josh Burho, who's uh, in the middle of a busy week. Josh, it's it's the day before tea time, and everybody gets ready to go. And we know that Tiger's going to be playing, so I'm sure it's a circus right now in the in the uh, in the prep for Masters. Yeah, Tiger's here. Um, he's going to play. Uh, just imagine where we were 14 months ago, and now we have Tiger Woods, who's going to play golf tomorrow. Uh, a meaningful golf tournament, a meaningful round. It's really kind of astonishing. Um, I mean, we've seen Tiger comebacks before, but we would never, I don't, no one was going to predict that he was going to play the Masters. I think everyone thought at best we'd see him at the old course in St. Andrews for the Open Championship in July. He has good success there, good history there. That seemed like it'd give him a few more months to, to kind of get his body right. But now we're going to see Tiger tomorrow. And there's a, there's, it's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to, it's going to be a zoo out there following him. Uh, we're really excited to see what he can do. And he's going to be facing a really good group of golfers. There are like a fantastic, you know, twelve to fifteen guys towards the top of the list that feel like any one of them could win. And I got to thank you because all the the content that you guys have over at Golf.com it helps me all the time. Whenever I'm previewing big events, whenever I'm trying to look at who to bet, tell us uh, some of the content and some of the stuff that you guys have over there. I mean, full previews, articles breaking down certain golfers. It's like a wealth of information. I mean, we got everything. You want to know yeah. <laughs> um, who, who, who you want to know who we're betting on individually, who our sleepers are. Um, we have Eric Lindgren, who's in pretty much a, a pro poker player. We have his gambling picks on our site. Uh, you know, features on who you know, just who has an interesting story in, entering this week, and tea times, and how to watch, and all that good kind of stuff. Uh, we got it all. So big week for us here. And uh, it feels like. Uh, someone who's really peaking at the right time right now. He's the number one golfer now in the world coming into this, and that's Scotty Scheffler. And I, I think I saw that he was someone that you were leaning towards with your pick. And you can get him in the like fifteen to one ish range. Tell us a little bit about how Scotty's coming into this tournament. Yeah, so he's. It almost feels like it's too obvious a pick because he's playing so well right now. And you sometimes hate to do that, but um, but the Masters is a weird tournament where. More than any other major event, the cream rises to the crop here, or the cream rises to the top. Um, it's just the field's already small. You already have the best golfers in the world, so you have you eliminate that chance of like a, you know, one of the player, one of the 140th, 150th player in the field having four good tournament days together and winning something. So all of a sudden, right there, that limits the field. Um, Scotty's played; he's had three wins in his last couple months. He's won on different golf courses. And even take that out, even take out that recent success, he's played here twice, and he's at top 20 both times. He has good success here. And then that final cherry on the top is his caddy, is new caddy for him is Ted Scott, who was with Bubba Watson when Bubba won the Masters here. So there's a lot of good things about Scotty Scheffler right now, and uh, he's, he's going to be around there. I mean, there's just, I don't see any way how he's not going to be even somewhat in contention. The betting favorite, I believe, is John Rahm, who he's been... He hasn't been as great as of late. He did win the 2021 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, and he's he's performed pretty well at Augusta, so it makes a lot of sense why he's one of the top choices to win this thing. Yeah, and I think you look at John Rahm, he's, uh, um, his total game right now is just he's got everything. He can, he's off the tee. He's strong, good ball striker. He's got that will to win that you just kind of need. It's just kind of one of those, you know, characteristics you're born with um his putting could get a little better but he's still not i don't by any means he's a poor putter 
And you just look what he's done lately. Um, the guy, it's kind of shocking he only has one major right now. And that was, you know, last year's US Open, as you mentioned. I'd say out of any golfer out, out there right now, um, I think John Rahm is going to win the most majors over the next 10 years. He just has the game to do it. And I think once he starts to get a couple more, he's just going to go on a tear. He's going to win a ton. Um, maybe maybe Torrey Pines was the start of that run. But you look at his past success here. He's played really well um, at Augusta National. And you should look at his past major success, major success in general. His last handful of majors, um, regardless of where he's played, he's always been up there. So it's just a guy you know he's not going to really lay a dud too often, um, which is a big thing when you're trying to look for someone to target for one of these major weeks. And, you know, John Rom specifically, he's had 15 straight rounds of par better here. Um, Tiger holds that record at 16, so John Rom could tie that tomorrow. But you're going to get consistency, and that's big. And in, in reading about how some of these players are preparing for this tournament and in what they talk uh, about in prior tournaments, it's it. This tournament mentally is just so different than some of the other ones, and just the vibe of it. Like you said, the shortened field, looking around at who you're playing against, the mystique. It's it all comes together, and there is this added pressure. I mean, we've heard Justin Thomas was talking about it. We saw Shoffley last year kind of have a you know whole sixteen on Sunday was the one that ended up hurting him. There's one guy that I I don't ever really worry about pressure. In, in the, his mental state in these tournaments But for him it's been more physical How do you feel like Brooks Kepka is coming into this tournament Physically because on the mental State he's usually pretty good This is when he ramps it up I just feel like the last couple times he didn't have A chance physically and he may be Feeling a little better now Yeah I think it's, it's weird to say that he's Probably a sleeper this week but Right yeah he's kind of under the radar Yeah and uh you know, he's just he's really battled injuries the last couple of years, and I think even more than he's led people on. Um, last three majors he's played, you know, tie for six, tie for fourth, tie for second. So obviously, he's still Brooks Kepka, kind of the guy who's going to be there in the major, um, in the major tournaments. He's been kind of off and on this year, obviously, but and he missed the cut Augusta last year. But I do think I would be pretty surprised if he's not up there um, come Sunday. I mean. I think there's few guys in the field get more, you know, who get upset or annoyed when they're not contending at majors. We we know we've known for years how important that is for Brooks, and I think now he's a little healthier. I think he's probably a little stung from missing the cut here last year, and I would expect him to play pretty well. A couple others just to throw out there: um, someone who's had, you know, some nice success here, Cameron Smith. He's one of the uh, the the top tier choices. He is someone who was the runner up in 2020. And he became the only player in history to shoot 60 in the 60s in all four rounds. Um, he's in the top choices. Uh, Dustin Johnson's always going to be in the mix. Spieth, Rory, Victor Hovland is a name who is starting to become um, more of a household name. Any of those um, players who, you know, you think are interesting this week or maybe you're high on or, or maybe low on? Um, a lot of those guys I really like. Um, I mean, like I said, you know, the, the cream's going to rise to the, the cream. Is going to rise to the top this week, so you it's really not a the Masters is never a good week to pick like a deep a bomb is your guy. Right. I mean, if you if you hit it, you hit it, you know. I mean, there's been those guys in the past, you know, Schwartz on you know, Danny Willow to a point, and guys like that, but uh, but at the same time, you know, these guys are the best, you know, this is their biggest tournament of the year, they're circling this one on their calendar, obviously. This is the, the major to win for them. Uh, Cam Smith, I really like, I mean, he's had two wins and four starts this year. Uh, he's played well here, and 
one thing that Cam Smith does well. He's a really good ball striker, and more than anything, he's a great putter. Um, he won the players by pretty much one putting all day long on Sunday. Not a lot of weaknesses, just well-rounded. Right, so, and, out, and out here you gotta you gotta putt well up here. And the big thing is you gotta make the mid-range putts. You, you gotta make mid-range putts and you gotta lag putt. You can't give yourself four footers because if you're relying on four footers all day to save par, you're gonna miss a lot because just the greens are so fast and so subtle. The break is so subtle. You're gonna run into problems. And Cam Smith, being such a good putter, he's gonna convert a lot more of those, a lot more of those than other people. So Cam Smith's a guy like you mentioned, Victor Hovland. Um, Obviously, he has a great game. His chipping is—he's—he's—I hate to say this, but he's one of the worst chippers on tour. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a statistical fact that he's just one of the worst chippers on tour. And he's mentioned that too. You know, um, he said that he's well aware that he knows that's where he needs to figure his game out. At the same time, you—you you got some tough places at Augusta. If you miss, you're going to put yourself in some bad spots. So if you are having a poor chipping week, um, Augusta's going to—you know—make you pay for that. We are very lucky to be talking with Josh here from golf.com as uh, we finish up kind of running through some of the top tier contenders. And, um, you know, Shoffley's one who he was right into contention last year. He's in the plus 25 to one range or so. Cantley's another one and Morikawa, all three of them. I mean, that I feel like right now the tour with with this group is about as strong as it's ever been because they feel like legitimate Contenders that are you know in the 20 to 1 range and we're talking about the you know the 10th through like 15th Choices here these guys are legitimately top tier players Yeah, and Colin's a guy who's won a couple majors obviously he's got a um, His game you know suits Augusta National well he's a, pretty much the best ball striker on tour so he's gonna hit some greens um, He's just got to make sure he putts and it's interesting that you know Xander Someone like Xander, Patrick Cantley, um, you know, you can maybe even throw Scotty Scheffler into that group now, even though he's a little newer. Um, those guys still haven't won a major. We're still waiting for them to win a major, and it's going to happen at some point. They're all really good players. There's a lot that are slotted for them, right, in right, the future. Exactly, right. Yeah. And Colin got a couple. He just, I thought, was interesting. He said earlier this week, um, you know, Colin, his natural ball flight is it's a little bit of a fade, and everyone says at Augusta, you got to play this draw. And I think Colin said he came here, and he was like, okay, so I guess i got to draw the ball a little more at Augusta. And he just, he, you know, he's, he's played okay here. And then he realized, though, you know what, why am I doing what the course is asking of me? Why don't I do what I do best? And that's kind of what he's realized, you know, these last couple of years and what he's going to start doing. So I think a new mindset for him, um, that might work really well. We'll see how that plays off this year. We are uh, finishing up here with Josh Burrow from golf.com in, in Joshua. I think a lot of the reason why this tour is so strong now, it's because a lot of players that are the newer, younger players, they were inspired by the guy who's going to be making a lot of headlines again this week. It's It would be insane for Tiger to even be competitive in this tournament with what he's been through recently and physically, but him just being out there, you know, for us talking, for the for you know the networks, for the media and everything, it does make it um, more interesting. It really does. Like, there's nothing like a tournament when Tiger's playing. It's it's fun. I mean, I my job at golf is. I mean, I'm obviously writing, um, doing a lot of writing and editing and whatnot. But at the same time, I kind of manage our uh, you know our daily major tournament coverage. You know, who's writing what, who's writing the gamer, who's writing the speed story, all that good stuff. 
And it's funny how with Tiger playing now, it's like, okay, we basically might all write Tiger tomorrow. I mean, there's just so many angles. Like, he is the story tomorrow. He's an absolute story. Like, Rory McIlroy uh, tees off. I think he's the last group. Um, Tiger's probably going to be, like, 13, 14, 15, 16 when Rory tees off. Rory's going for a grand slam if he wins this week. There might be no one on that tee box watching Rory McIlroy play golf. Everyone's going to be following Tiger. <laughs> no. uh, media, fans, everyone. And it's just been a zoo out there. Um, in the last and Rory's days. trying to uh, to complete the uh, the Grand Slam, right? Yes, right. So uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. It, what's funny with Tiger is, like, we've had, we've had so many comebacks with him, right? And, like, I was at the 2017 Hero World Challenge, and he kind of came back from that fusion back surgery. He played well there, and it was kind of like, well, here's Tiger's last rock, you know. Maybe he'll do something in the future. And then he won the Tour Championship the next year. And then the next year, 2019, he won the Masters. And we kind of thought, like, okay, well, that's the latest comeback. <laughs> and now, now we have another one. I'm not saying he's going to win the Masters. I'm not saying he's going to be really uber competitive in a handful of tournaments in the near future. But just having him back for this latest comeback is really special and no one moved the needle like Tiger, and that's that's been true for the last two decades now. And we're not telling you to go bet it, but if there was one person out there who was able to do something incredible that you would have never expected, it's the guy that we've seen do it a, a lot of times before, like you said, when we've counted him out. So you, you never say never with him, but I just – I wouldn't want to go uh, put a wager on him. I – I'm very glad that we're going to be able to see him playing golf, and I believe he tips, uh, he tees off middle of the day tomorrow, right? Yeah, I think he's like a 10... 10.30? something, something like, that. like Which, actually, it's a really nice draw for Tiger. He's going to have... Um, it takes him so long to get ready in the mornings. You know, with his past injuries, you know, he takes so long to get ready and go to the gym and do his stretching. Get loose, yeah. If he, I mean, if he has an 8, 9 o'clock tea time, he's waking up 4 o'clock probably, so... Uh, Tiger teeing off that late morning is a nice time for him. He's going to have that in the afternoon. It'll be if he has a good score Thursday, and he's going to be around the weekend. It's kind of nice how it works out because he'll have a late tee time on Friday, so he'll have prime time Friday night uh, viewing, you know, seeing what Tiger needs to do to make the weekend. And uh, Tiger will, yeah, t- Tiger's tee time is ten thirty four. We have the seven forty a.m. The honorary starters with Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Tom Watson. What a great way to get it started, Josh. And you just, you know, it, as soon as the the end of that Mar- of March Madness comes around, you get the feel. It's like you feel it in the air. Here comes the Masters right now. You know it's coming next. It's going to be the next big, uh, big sporting event that everyone's watching together. And it, it should be fun with a, a really, really good field signed on this year. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's um, and just walking around, it's there's. Um, they didn't have any COVID restrictions this year. I mean, you still have to see some people with masks, but like you have, you know, the masters is kind of back to normal. It's close to back to normal as it's been in a few years. Right. Yeah. And and it's just, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun out here. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's good to be back. That's for sure. And the ways that we can get involved in this is so much more than just a, than a few years ago, right? You can play um, individual rounds. You can play head-to-head matchups. You can play um, people to make the cut. You can play in DFS lineups, which I, a lot of people love playing in the, their DFF, DFS lineups and FanDuel, DraftKings, things like that. So that's what's really cool nowadays is there's so many different ways you can get involved and have some action over the next four days. 
yeah, and it gives you an opportunity too if you uh, if you blow it on Thursday or Friday, right? You can always go the next day. Live action. So, yeah, <laughs> those, I mean, those head 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 matchups are fun too. That's what I usually get into. Josh, we will be following along with you on social media at Josh underscore uh, Burho, B-E-R-H-O-W. And we'll also be following along at golf.com. And if you want to follow on Twitter at golf underscore uh, com. Josh, thank you so much. I really I look forward to checking in with you with these majors. I've gotten great feedback uh, the, the few times that we've had you on. And uh, I think I've picked Brooks every time. So I'm going to roll with him one <laughs> one more time. I think third time is the charm for me with him. And uh, if it's not, I hope you get uh, you get Scotty home. Thank you so much, buddy. I know you're busy. We can hear it in the background. I, it even made it better, the ambiance and the vibe, knowing that you're there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Thanks, Gino, for having me. I appreciate it. Good luck this week, and we'll be following along with Josh there. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a ton more to come on this episode. Really cool getting to talk with Josh while he's over there at Augusta. Uh, getting ready for the Masters, he was able to share some insight with us. So thank you so much, Josh, for helping us out. And you know someone who's helped us out from the very beginning here, and that's what G said. Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. And that means she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can connect you with the right kind of... Uh, vendors, you know, if you need help with home improvement, landscapers, gardeners, people that she's used in her own home. Maybe you need help with getting pre-approved for a home loan. She'll connect you with the right type of lenders. If, you know, you're having problems with uh, getting pre-approved for those loans, they'll help that process move right along. The website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, Cindy Carava, Dot com And she is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. She's going to take great care of you, and she's going to make your life so much easier. Give Cindy Carava a call, an email. Let her know if you're interested in anything going on in the world of real estate. We are interested in talking some more golf, some more masters with Scott Shapiro. Let's check in now with Shappy, see what he has to say about this weekend. Masters Week 2020 And we had to bring in our good friend Scott Shapiro You've heard him on this show many times Talking horse racing And it's funny Scott We have you on a, on a week when it's a huge horse racing week But we're going to be talking some Masters I mean we've got uh, the Keeneland meet opening up With the Bluegrass coming up this weekend We've got the Santa Anita Derby coming up this weekend We've got the Wood Memorial coming up this weekend A ton of Kentucky Derby preps But Man, it's a it's a fun time in sports right now as we just finished up with college basketball, uh, the NBA season's finishing up. Uh, we're getting ready for the NHL playoffs. We've got the Masters this week. It is uh, just as cool as possible. Baseball opens up on the same day that the Masters opens up this year because it got pushed back. Like sports fans, get ready. Yeah, buddy, good to be back. Sensory overload. I know we're guilty of making these bold statements many times during the year, and it's good. It's what we live for. But this weekend is always one of the best baseball starting aside because, you know, it's the Masters and it's the big, you know, those big prep races. Uh, We start to really feel spring being here. And uh, as excited as I get for these horse races, you know, the Masters is one of the most exciting times of the year in terms of a sporting event. Kentucky Derby probably first, and there's some others. But uh, looking forward to chatting with you on uh, a little bit of golf. Yeah, and and what's really cool about the Masters from just a gambling standpoint is, you know, we as as horse racing guys and as horse players it's one of the reasons why we love horse racing is because there are so many options to get five to one eight to one find a ten to one shot somewhere which a lot of the times if you're just betting normal you know 
sides or totals in games or sports, you're not going to get those opportunities as much. You know, you'll be betting on even odds a lot of the time. Sometimes you'll even have to lay, you know, big numbers or, you know, you're not going to be getting the opportunities to be playing a favorite here like John Rahm, who's plus 1,200. No, definitely, you know, and there's a good reason why we're getting those prices because there's so many golfers in the field. Nin- but 91, is- I think, and they, I mean, yeah. these are the best in the world, and hell, you know it's a tough tournament when Tiger Woods is uh, around plus 5,000, <laughs> and you know, because he's always going to get that popular money, but this is, I mean, we have no idea if Tiger's going to be able to finish around, make the cut, let alone win this thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we we can dive into Tiger, who's the, clearly the biggest storyline in a Masters. You know, the Masters is always full of storylines, guys, you know, at the top of their game, dreaming of, of, of wearing that green jacket. But with Tiger coming back off, you know, nearly two years after the accident, when many thought, you know, for a while it was touch and go on life, and then it was touch and go on uh, whether he's going to be in a walk again and whatnot. And for him to be back out there and, and uh, you know, gearing up for, uh, you know, recording this Wednesday for tomorrow being Thursday to play is a tremendous storyline in its own right. I think people, you know, I know Tiger is one of the greatest athletes of all time. I think people need to curb their expectations. And, you know, people point to, to what he did back in 2018, I think, 2019, uh, you know, he made a tremendous comeback at that age, but he was in good form before yes. he came into the Masters. He was actually and, playing at that time. Yeah, he won the Tour Championship the year before. I believe he made a run in the PGA Championship. He was a legitimate top, you know, 10, 20 golfer. He wasn't the same Tiger Woods, but he was legitimately competing. Now he's coming back. He's got more, you know, period more wear on, the t- on his tires. But I mean, just a ridiculous ask 17 months after, I believe it is after that accident when we didn't think he was going to walk again. He hasn't played any competitive golf. Now, I know he's Tiger Woods. He's a one of a kind. I know, you know, he may compete. He may play well, but this is a lot to ask. There's, it's, it's a lot of walking on a on a lot of hilly type. You know, um, it's not straight walking. It's four days of it. You know, in terms of gambling, I, I think no I, shot. He's a fade. No shot. Yeah. If if like Tiger's one of those guys where man, if he wins, we'll all be loving it on Sunday, right? I mean, it will be another one of the greatest stories in sports that he comes back <laughs> at this age and wins. But he's not going to do it with our money because it's going to be at such an undervalued price. He should be double his odds with his actual chances of winning this tournament. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, if he finishes in the top thirty, this is one of the That's most awesome comeback yeah. stories in the history of sports. You know, That's awesome. Right. I mean, if he had a couple tournaments under his belt and I don't care if he played well in them or not, but he got to walk courses for four days and, you know, got his game in form. I mean, what he has going for him is he's, you know, the Masters, you know, Augusta National is a very mental course. You've got to know how to handle it. You've got to know where you can miss, where you can't. And and that's what he has going for them, for him in this spot. He knows this course as well as anyone. He's had tremendous success here and he used that to win the tournament a couple of years back. But I mean, this is such a tough ask at his age with, with not playing. You know, like I said, if he finishes in the top 30, it would be one of the greatest sports accomplishment comebacks in the history of sports. Yeah, he's a five-time winner, but he hasn't played in 500 days plus. And those injuries to the right leg, the right foot. You mentioned the car accident back in 2021. And 
you know, power to him, 15-time major champion. We'd all love to see him on Sunday in contention, but this is there are like 12 to 15 legitimate good golfers that feel like they have a serious chance at winning this thing. That's the problem. It's not like he comes into this where, yeah, maybe there are two or three guys playing pretty well right now. I mean, you go through the lists or and you read and you sort of just look at the way that the odds are shaped are shaped like shaped. You've got like Rom, Thomas, Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, Scotty Scheffler, all sort of in one tier. Then you got Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Rory, and Victor Hovland right behind them, and Morikawa, Cantley, and Shoffley. Like all of them, the 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 gambling world is telling you that they all have legitimate shots to win this thing. Yeah, you know, that the number one player has just shifted from John Rahm to Scotty Scheffler, who's won three tournaments recently. A uh, young guy that, you know, performed well in big spots, but had never won. He's really figured it out. But but this is as deep as the PGA Tour has ever been. And, you know, it's not taking a shot at Tiger and Phil, who dominated things way back. A, because they were such incredible golfers, but B, it just wasn't this deep. I mean, because of them, so many more athletes attempted to make their way onto the PGA Tour and make a career playing golf. And who could blame them? What a great way to make a living. I mean, the amount of money these guys make, sure, tons of pressure. But you said it, Gino, there are a number of guys that are really, really talented and really capable of putting on a show here. And you just have to figure at least one or two of them would. And, you know, kind of segueing that, you know, in terms of gambling, you know, the Masters is not a tournament where long shots tend to win now. If I say 50, 60 to one, you know, everybody thinks of that as a long shot and it's definitely a good payday, but that's not a true long shot in golf. You know, you get down the board further and there's a lot of guys, a hundred to one, 200 to one because of the size of the field. Um, you kind of want to stick to guys that, you know, 50 or 60 to one and below. And it may be in this tournament, even the 50 to 60 to ones probably are a little bit up against it. Yeah, I'd agree. It, we can see sometimes in the open or other things will get a little bit crazy where you can get people um, and, and sort of riding that wave. This is a lot of pressure when you're dealing with just the other top 90 and you look at some of those names. You look around and you see them there on the way that this golf course is at Augusta. The pressure um, It was It was Justin Thomas was kind of talking about it Because he's felt it before uh, He's felt it, you know, on 13 And Shoffley uh, was talking a little bit about it What he felt last year on 16 And it's just The Masters itself becomes the, the, the building, the pressure You look around, like you said We've got the The sort of top tier you know, favorites to win what make it fun this year is they haven't won this tournament recently. Some of those guys that we were just mentioning, Rom, Thomas, um, you know, and Scheffler, who is a top 20 in his last two masters, who you were mentioning, top eight in last three, three wins in his last five, number one player in the world. Then you've got Thomas, fourth in 2020, five top tens on uh, on the tour this year, and one of the best iron players. And you've got Rom, who was, you know, top nine. In uh, his last four years at Augusta, he hasn't won this, but he has won the U.S. Open. And so, you know, those three will probably be towards the top of the betting boards most most places you look. And they don't have any green jackets themselves. Right. And uh, the pressure that you speak of, you know, is, is just so amazing because this is the you know, these moments are what these guys have worked their whole lives for. And unlike any other sport other than maybe you could argue tennis. You know, there's so much time to think about every shot. You're walking to it. You're alone. I mean, just you. 
Just yep. you, Just right? you and your caddy who's kind of there. And then you look at it, and, you know, the view we get on TV doesn't really tell the story these guys are dealing with. And obviously they're used to the, pre- you know, most of this they're used to, not the pressure of the masters, but, you know, there's a bunch of cameramen around them. They're just out there solo, you know, we're hitting a shot and every shot could change the tournament. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, a couple, three or four of the main contenders there. Dustin Johnson is high up there as well. Cam Smith, who just won the players, has played well at this course. You've got Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth, who have had success. So he, Brooks is one that I always love to, to, to fire at because he feels like in the big tournaments in particular, he peaks at the right time. And he might be one, you and I, in the horse racing world, right? We can maybe look at some of his poor performances and think, Injury and maybe put a line right through them Is he healthy enough right now to contend Yes he's as healthy as he's been In a while you look back at 2021 And you see the cut there as you, That you speak of he could barely bend Down to pick up his ball He was so hurt then he's battled Through things and you know whether you love Brooks or hate him you know there's No doubt he's a big game hunter as you, They like to say and you know he Struggles it seems like in many ways To, to kind of get motivated he had those Runs where he won several majors and kind of struggled to get, you know, be excited enough to play in the everyday events, which is just crazy to think about. I mean, there's a million dollars. Right? On like, come everything. on, right? Seriously. Yeah. These guys make too much money because, you know, to not be motivated. But in the end of the day, Brooks comes into this tournament playing well. He played well in the uh, when he played last two weeks back in the um, in the match play. And he appears to be in the best form he's been in in a little bit of time now. But prior to that cut last year, you know, in that September, kind of that weird Masters, which was different because of the way the weather is in Augusta that time of the year, he finished seventh. Prior to that, in the year Tiger won it, he tied for second. 2017, he tied for 11th. So a big key to being uh, successful at the Masters is having experience and, of course, coming in with good form. And Brooks has both of those. I think he's one of the more favorable options to wager on in the field. Someone that we've talked about before on these shows is uh, Xander Shoffley. He has two top three finishes at Augusta in his last three times playing over there. And last year, he had that really awesome run, uh, but hole 16 on Sunday, that's what ended up getting him. He ended up tied for third, and he's kind of joked about it. He's laughed a little bit about it. I, I was watching an interview with him. He was talking to, I think it was a former football player, and, and you know, he 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 was joking. He said, "You know, it's just me out here, so I can't talk trash to you guys because if one of you, <laughs> if one of you guys tries to tackle me, it's just me and my caddy." You know, it was just it was funny. I, I thought it was great, and so you could tell that he was sort of playing into you know the pressure and just being out there by yourself. He's someone that I mean, he he plays so well consistently. Like inevitably, one of these big tournaments feels like it's going to go his way. Well, he's got a lot going for him. I think his best attribute is he really doesn't have any major weaknesses. That's yep. the key. And he also has a, a strong tournament history, like we're very important. Now, for me, I need to see Xander win. He, to me, I backed him back. You know, I, I was a big fan of him coming up. Used to get him at a pretty good price to where, like, oh, if he finished third or fourth, you'd hit him other stuff. But now he's in that kind of second tier in terms of gambling. Uh, and he would be in the first if he put anything away. Just seems like the kind of guy that puts his best four efforts at finishing positions when you look back, when he's kind of out of it and kind of creeping up the board. And when he's really caught in the mix, he doesn't really have that, you know, we'll use a horse racing term, that wise, finishing punch. Kind of wise guy you know, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So with his current price, uh, looking on FanDuel right now, 
I think he's in the mid twenties in terms yeah, 20, of plus 24 ish or so right around okay, there. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a little shorter than I'd be willing to swallow on him on an outright wager. Um, I would look to guys below him if I was looking to get a little more bang for my buck, or if I was looking for the guys around him, I prefer to take a chance with guys like Patrick Cantlay and Colin Morikawa who have proven they can win the big events, but uh, no disrespect to Xander. He'll probably be in the mix. Uh, come Sunday, and uh, he's had a, a great start to his career. Just needs to get over the hump, whether it's been the mid-tier events or even these big ones. He struggled to win these, you know, these. He's got the tour championship win. I think he won the Olympics, but those are different events. Those are like 30 to 40 people in them. And yeah. Those have been his kind of his cup of tea, and I don't really have a good explanation for why he struggled in the bigger fields because he's putting himself in the mix, but – I just got to see him go over the edge because 24 to one, it seems like a big price, but it's not player, but it's not, it's really not And 24 to one is, you know, you really got to trust the guy to be able to put, put other guys away at 24 to one. Now, uh, there's sort of a next tier that aren't really the, uh, in the top, the top chances to win, but all of these are very capable with if things were to break their way, they're just not in the best of form right now. We've got Bubba Watson, who's a two-time Masters champion, but he has not been playing well as of late. You've got Max Homa, who you know he's been playing well, but he's not done well historically over at the Masters. You've got Patrick Reed, who won this thing back in 2018, and he's played locally very, very well, but he's not been as healthy. He had pneumonia. In August and so we're not quite sure Recovering wise and then one more uh, Adam Scott he won this thing Way back in 2013 he's got Three top tens this year he's And what you were kind of saying With some of the other golfers we were mentioning What's nice about Adam Scott is He's he's just well rounded he's got Like a nice template as someone who Maybe could finish well I don't know If he's playing well enough to win this thing but Solid in driving solid short Game not a whole lot of just Holes in his game so maybe Of like Watson, Homa, Reed Adam Scott anyone in that range that Maybe you're throwing in on one of your DFS Lineups or maybe you you got a few bucks On yeah I mean Reed's a guy that's Done me well over the years he's just been so Out of form this year now he did play Well two weeks back in that match play Which is his last tournament so maybe encouraging At 75 to 1 I'd probably need a little more because he Just really hasn't shown many signs of life But being able to win on this course Speaks a lot Bubba Really not not for me right now. Adam Scott, you know, I think he's the kind of guy that I would lean more as like a top 10, top 20 guy, which you can find those, uh, you know, on all all sites. And, and, and we were, I was mentioning, too, I usually get involved in a couple of the DFS plays yeah. through this week, and I know yeah, that's great. one that you do where you can throw – you can have lineups where you throw like five together, you know, and, and, and all five of your golfers. So these might be some – in that range where maybe you're not playing them to win Like you said but yeah maybe you're playing them In a head to head matchup or you're playing Them to make you know a certain Number at the round because this would be Things would really need to break what right I think for guys in this group right now To win it all yeah you just have to figure You know and it, it obviously it doesn't Always happen but at least one of the top 15 players in the world is going to bring their A game to this mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I would agree with that. And yeah, really fun. If you've never played DFS golf, it's my probably my favorite DFS sport, NFL right up there. But when you're when you've got a sweat going and you have your six guys and you're really in the mix for real money, every shot matters and it's just it's crazy fun. So something I would highly recommend. And you know, we could talk more about that at another time, just on the you know, the, the details of that. Couple guys in the you know, fifty to a 
45 to 100 to one that I would, you know, maybe give a little bit of a more of a push on to win. But again, guys, that probably better bet top 10, top five, top 20, depending on how, how risky you want to get. Matthew Fitzpatrick plus 4,800 would not bet him to win at that price, but he's in very good form. He scores well on par fives. He's played pretty well here. Not a guy that's scared uh, of the spotlight. So he's a guy I'm interested in. A little bit further down, uh, uh, Siwoo Kim, plus 8,500. He's had success at the Masters. It's a guy that's won some big you know, tournaments. He won the players. He's capable of getting white hot with his irons, which is a very important attribute on the Masters. You know, you'll know, you hear a lot. This is a second-shot course. That's with your approach game. He's been playing as consistently as he has been in a long time. He'd be a guy that I wouldn't be afraid to sprinkle a few dollars on as a winner because his upside – could really put him in the mix, and he's shown that when he is in the mix, he can close. Those would probably be the top two guys. Um, Shane Lowry, plus 4,300, a guy that comes in in very good form. He won the Open Championship for the biggest win of his career back when uh, back a few years ago. He's not scared of the spotlight. But uh, in the end, uh, if we're looking for a top pick, uh, you know, I think Justin Thomas is a guy that's really primed uh, to finally get that next major. You know, I think he's one of the greatest golf, best golfers in the world. Went through a little bit of a bumpy patch. He had the uh, where he cursed on the microphone uh, last January, I believe it was, or last early last year, uh, and it kind of rattled him. I think for a little while. I think it was overseas actually, but he got caught on a hot mic, and you know, not a whatever. You can make your own judgment on that, but he's really played well of late. If he can make putts, he, he, he's got the complete game otherwise. Not in love with taking plus 1,300. I'm probably going to attack him more by playing head-to-heads against the other top players in, in the world. But uh, if I, you know, gun-to-head type top selection, he's my top guy. Scott Shapiro at Scott Shap 34. I always got a, a laugh when the uh, when Masters comes up because I remember a few years back. Uh, I'm sure you've you've seen the clip and heard it with with Kevin O'Connor uh, with uh with um Chris Vernon doing the Masters check ins on his uh, on his podcast on his shows. He'd be the Tony Finau. Where you be now? <laughs> you know, every time it, it was so funny because um his his thought was you know the Masters is always such a real professional real quiet you know everyone takes it seriously so he'd want to do Masters check ins and it'd be him just dancing with a bunch of like mascots in the background just being absurd and crazy to like just to um uh, amplify the uh the like the stuffiness of the Masters so right. I always I always see the Tony feed out and it makes me laugh because every year you'll see probably one or two clips tomorrow with this guy, Chris Vernon going around. He dresses up in his green jacket. He gets his glasses on and he starts going crazy. And that's, that's what the golf fans do because it's, it's a fun week, man. I'm not even someone who pays attention as much to the weekly tournaments as someone like you or others, but in the weeks leading up, I'm already starting to then pay attention to okay, where's everybody playing right now? What's their schedule looking like? Who's coming into good form right now? It's, like you said, it's sort of like the Derby or the Triple Crown races that we have. How's everybody coming into this race? It's how's it? How are they coming into this tournament? Are they playing well? Are they fresh? Do they have a little bit of a hiccup? Are they in good form? Uh, you know, they they tweak something and now their style is a little bit different. There's so many things to dive into. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. It's a lot, you know, like horse racing in terms of getting your, you know, into the right form cycle. And um, it's interesting, you know, the, the, these 
you know, a lot of the, 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 the world's elite are start thinking about this tournament when it ends the year after, or, you know, at the, you know, at the latest after all the majors are over and they're, they're trying to get their game pointed. So it's at its best at Augusta. And one long shot guy that I'll throw into that conversation as I'm talking about this is Justin Rose. He's 75 uh, plus 7,500. He's not in good form. He hasn't been in good form in, in a couple of years overall, but he always brings his A game to the masters. And I started to, you know, notice him, you know, him and there's others that that this bill would be like, oh, I'd always fade them. Ah, oh, they're not as good as they used to be or whatever it is. And they get to the point where, you know, a lot of these top players aren't playing as often as they used to. Their bodies can't handle the wear and tear. They probably can't emotionally get up for every tournament. It's weird as it seems for the amount of money being played. These guys just have so much money. But they're really just the whole goal of their first several months of the year is to get themselves into their best, you know, form as they head to Augusta to, to play in the biggest golf tournament in the world, the Masters. So it's so cool how that is, and it takes a little while to figure out reading it. But, you know, just on a macro point, I know a lot of people, you know, can't get into golf or they struggle. And, you know, you don't need to watch every shot every day when you're getting into these other tournaments. Um, but I can't stress enough how enjoyable and much fun golf sweat and betting on golf is. You know, you don't. It really, it really is. And I mean, it, it's been about 10 years for me now, I'd say probably as an avid golf fan. And it's just progressed over the last three or four or five, maybe to be, you know, up there with the NFL and horse racing right behind those two as you know, a sport I follow intently and live for and uh, definitely give it a try. I know the masters is the, is the, is the one that you, you know, you're most likely to give a try in the majors, but uh, give it a little more of a chance. Like I said, watching it on Sundays when you have a sweat and just following the leaderboard the rest of the week is, uh, is just so much fun. Like you said, the, the quality of play on the tour right now is the best it's ever been. It's yeah. because the, the young guys well, and, and it's it's like this in most sports because we have so much more information now. The way that we train, the things that we know about how to hit the ball, the angles, the you know the swing, the the, the swing doctors, the the clubs, you know everything is just better than it was before. So these guys are all they're they're all bigger and stronger and and lifting weights and in fantastic shape when they come in. You know they can drive the ball farther than like you said. They're just. So many people come in with just such few weaknesses in their game now. Uh, they're yeah. so well rounded and it's fascinating to watch. And then, Shappy, we get to kick it off 7 40 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday morning with the honorary starters, Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Tom Watson. So, not, not a bad way to get started for your Masters round one tea times on, uh, on Thursday. Yeah, it just gives you the chills. This, you know, it's one of those events. I, you know, I know some people probably you know stuffy and stuff like that, but you know, if you really, you know, history and just all the stuff that goes along with awesome. the Masters is just so cool. It just gives you the chills when you when you really fall in love with it. And you know, one last point, speaking to what you're saying about the high quality of play, and I know some people can't get into tournaments without Tiger being into it and whatever. That's up to you. But, you know, so much of the reason why the game is where it's at is because of Tiger, because of Phil Mickelson and these guys, you know, Jack Nicholas dating back, being so good and aspiring people that, you know, these guys are that good. And, uh, you know, it, the game is at the top of its uh, top level. It's great to have Tiger at the Masters, but, you know, try to appreciate it when he's not there as well. I mean, there's just, you know, it's such an enjoyable sport. And I think it's a 
a little slow. It's like baseball. People take struggle maybe getting into it compared to basketball and football and whatever. But I think it's a very special sport when these majors come around. Yeah, once you're locked in, it's it's so fun to watch on on these big days. It, and in particular, this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, while you're doing whatever you're doing around the house, you know, there you can watch all this stuff now. There's the, the coverage of all of it between the three different networks, masters.com. Throw it on in the background. You'll see some really cool stuff. It's just it's great background stuff, even for the early couple rounds, right? Where it's not quite as and then Sunday you can really start to focus in. So toss it on um throughout the weekend and you know, have some fun and, and maybe uh play in one of these uh DFS games, put a few bucks on a couple. You'll really, really enjoy it. Hopefully Scott and I led you to uh to a couple people and can make you some money over there. We kick uh, we we get it all started very early on Thursday morning, 7:40 a.m. with that uh the honorary starters there, and then you get Tiger at 10:35 and then you close things out with Fitzpatrick, Brooks Kepka, and Rory McIlroy. So uh, a fun weekend coming up Scott Schaap, thank you so much buddy I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to check in with us And uh, and talk some golf Good luck in all your plays And if we don't talk before then Let's plan on uh, getting you back uh, uh, The week leading up to Derby And we can touch base on one of those undercard races And uh, and talk some Derby Sounds good buddy And just one more thing If you if you don't get bets in on Thursday There's live ge- uh, gambling on this stuff Like there is all other sports now So you can jump in Maybe you catch a little on Thursday, Friday You can jump in on Saturday with plenty Yeah of maybe there's someone that you like a little And you can get them at a better price maybe You know if they struggle early on And then you can, you can catch the flow Or you, you notice something with the weather Or the way that someone's shooting And maybe you want to fade them So yeah that's what's great about in-play wager It's just options Stuff that our our parents didn't have, right? The options <laughs> to, to play—that's yeah. that, what's nice. Take advantage of them yeah. there, because you can really you can focus on your 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 handicapping and your gambling, right? If there's one angle that you want to play, you can you can play that, and you don't have to necessarily play it so generalized anymore. Absolutely, the options are endless with golf and with anything else we're gambling on at this point. Make sure to give this man a follow at Scott Shap 34 He does a great job covering races, covering sports in, uh, in all capacities. Thank you, my good friend. We'll uh, catch up again soon, and you have a great rest of your week. You too, buddy. Enjoy all the action. Do not go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to discuss on a loaded week ahead here on That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax, non-toxic, baby. Since for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. C-E-R-A-N-O-S.com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm-hmm. Always fun catching up with Shappy, and uh, we wish him the best of luck this weekend in all of his plays in the world of golf and horse racing as we now move on over and start talking some baseball. Thursday is opening day, so I've got a lot of ground to cover here. I'm going to run through each team, talk about some of their odds, their futures, what it looks like, what I think of their teams overall. We'll start American League. We'll go from the east to the central to the west, and then we'll flip on over to the National League. So the Blue Jays are actually the second choice to win the World Series. They're the second betting favorite behind the Dodgers. They're plus 850 or so to win the World Series. They're favored to win the AL East, so they are favored over the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays to win that division. Over-under for them, if you wanted to bet that, 92.5. 
They are number two in the ESPN Power Rankings. Fangraphs has them projected to win 92 games, and they're pretty strong throughout. You know, George Springer, Bichette, uh, Vlad Guerrero, Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, Ludis Gurriel, Kevin Biggio will be the bulk of their lineup. Their catching needs a little bit help offensively, but they have a well-rounded group of catchers led by Danny Jensen. Their staff is really good. Alex Manoa is a youngster, 24-year-old. He struck out 127 in 111 innings pitch last year. He's had an awesome spring training. Their bullpen is ranked number 13 by Fangraphs, led by closer Jordan Romano. Outfield, they're not really strong defensively because Springer's getting a little bit older. He hasn't been quite as good defensively as he, he was when he was younger. So that may be a weakness, but the staff overall, led by Jose Barrios with Kevin Gaussman, Hinjin Ryu, Manoa, and then Kikuchi. Is a, it's a really nice staff there for the Blue Jays. They are, yeah, they're the favorite to win the AL East, and I think they're going to be a very, very good baseball team this year. <clears throat> we move along to the Orioles. Oh, poor Orioles. The poor Orioles. Over-under for them, 61.5 wins. They are ranked dead last, number 30, by the ESPN Power Rankings. They too, they do have two really nice prospects they're excited about. Adley Rushman and Grayson Rodriguez. They have an all-star Cedric Mullins, really good feel-good story of Trey Mancini, and uh, a top-tier starting pitcher in John Means. But this team is just not really all that talented. Now, I'm going to compare them to a team in the National League in a minute, like the uh, the Pirates. You feel a lot more excited about the upside, at least, with the Orioles and some of the the prospects that they have. But I mean, they're fifty thousand. They're plus fifty thousand to win the World Series. They're plus twenty thousand to win the AL East. Just can't really say too many positive things for them overall as a team. But what ends up happening when you lose a lot of games over and over again? You do end up getting some top tier prospects, and they have a few of them now. And if they end up developing and get ahead of schedule, that's how you end up you know, getting back into contention. And then all of a sudden, you're a move or two away from really getting into contention. So we'll see if the Orioles can maybe take another step forward this year with some of these young guys coming in and producing. The Tampa Rays, their over-under is about 89.5 or so. They are plus 1,600 to win the World Series, plus 250 to win the AL East, which is basically like the co-second choice right around with the Yankees, depending on where you're looking. They're number nine in the ESPN Power Rankings led offensively by Wander Franco, 21-year-old. Sky is the limit for him. He only has 280 career at-bats. He hit 288 with seven home runs and 70 games. But the, the problem for them this year, they're always a team that overachieves. They're a very well-run organization. They don't just they just don't look as good this year as they've looked the last few years, lineup depth-wise and even like top-of-the-line starting rotation. And then even proven bullpen names now they have a bullpen in AAA that they could bring up and it would be better than most teams major league bullpens but they have glass now we're not even sure if he's going to pitch at all what coming back from tommy john shane baz has a bone chip in his elbow fairbanks is injured the bullpen normally is like number one or two by most metrics fangraphs has their bullpen ranked 10th so if their bullpen is just a little above average compared to most years where their bullpen is incredible and that's their major strength, and then you look to their starting rotation, Shane McClanahan, Corey Kluber, Drew Rasmussen, Luis Patino, Ryan Yarborough, do we trust 
that rotation to help carry them because we've seen Morton and Snell and some real top tier starting pitchers from them also. I don't know if the formula is there for them to be quite as good. If there were a you know a play I was looking for them, it would be their their under of of the projected wins there. Um, and if you wanted to bet that number, it was you know like eighty nine. Let's move along to the Red Sox plus five hundred to win the AL East, which is actually fourth in uh, of of five teams in the division. They're thirteenth to um, in in order of odds to win the World Series. They would be plus twenty five hundred. Their over-under is 85.5. Fangraph has them projected at 87 wins. They are number 11 in the ESPN Power Rankings. They did make a move and get Story away uh, from Coors Field. And Story is going to be moving Trevor Story to second base. This team has a fantastic lineup. If they lead the league in runs scored and a lot of offensive categories, it, it will not be a surprise at all. Uh, led by Rafael Devers, who's fantastic, and I just think he's going to have a, mo- a monster year coming up. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts in the middle of that lineup. You got Verdugo, Story, and Kiki around them with Bobby Dalback, Jackie Bradley Jr. It is a deep, deep lineup top to bottom. Their issue is going to be pitching. They're going to have to try to outscore everyone just like they did last year. And it, you can only do that for so long. There are going to be times when things slow down and you need pitching. And I just don't know if they're going to have enough again. Chris Sales on the 60-day DL. He's going to be out for two months at least. Evaldi is their number one. Do you have enough with the pitching staff with Nate Evaldi, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Howe, Michael Waka, Rich Hill? Is that enough? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to be a better than 500 team because their offense is so good, but I just don't know against the good teams or against really against other good offensives. Are they going to be able to outscore them? Their closer, Matt Barnes, leads the number ninth ranked bullpen by... Fan graphs, the Red Sox pick to finish fourth in that division. The Yankees are projected second. Over-under for them is 92.5 wins. ESPN has them power-ranked as the number six team. Fan graphs has them projected 90 wins, which would be fourth overall in the league. They would be plus 1,300 to win the World Series, which is the seventh betting choice, plus 250 in the AL East, co-second. And the Yankees, I I like their lineup a lot better this year with Rizzo, and Donaldson that gives them a couple legitimate hitters in the middle of the lineup. And then you've got the power guys with Gallo and with Stanton. I'm a big fan of Hicks. And uh, Keener Falafa is a a very competent shortstop at the bottom of their lineup who's not going to really have to worry about people attacking him in the order or you know he's going to get a lot of pitches to hit. And he's someone who's very competent in the field. I I like the way their team is built a lot more this year. They have the number one projected bullpen. Can they get anything out of Severino? He's only thrown 18 innings in the last since the beginning of 2018. Jameson Talion looks healthy after the quick recovery. So you've got you know, Garrett Cole leading the way with Jordan Montgomery, Severino, Cortez, Talion. Is that enough? I think that's a pretty good starting staff, especially if you get top-tier Garrett Cole and Montgomery had some really good stretches this year. Talion is capable of excellent month or two stretches when he's healthy. I like the way this Yankees team is built this year. I'm not a fan of the Yankees, right? Everybody, they're a real popular team, but they've been extremely unlucky health-wise over the last few. So they're due for a year where they just don't have as many injuries to deal with. 
I like the way they uh, they shape up this year. I think it's them and the Blue Jays. I'd stack the Red Sox right behind them, and I think the Rays take a little step back this year. I've said that many times, though. The Rays just always seem to overachieve. Chapman closing things out there. He's getting a little bit older, but they have a very deep bullpen and a lot of options uh, um, to uh, to lead up to Chapman. Let's move along to the AL Central. We got the Guardians. Yes, the Cleveland Guardians. Their over-under is 75.5. Fangraphs has them projected at 77 wins. The price for them to win the AL Central would be plus 1,500. The Price for them to world the win the World Series would be plus nine thousand, and that would be twentieth ranked, the twentieth best odds. Is it going to be a bounce back year for Shane Bieber? He had a bad whip last year. He was sort of lucky on the margins. His numbers looked a little bit better. I and so when you say bounce back, I mean his numbers were probably like his ERA was better than what it should have been. I think he may go the other way. I didn't like a lot of what I saw. They always overachieve on the pitching side. Always. They have an incredible pitching developmental program through their minor league systems. They just get players ready to compete at the big league level. So Tristan McKenzie is someone who had a strong last 10 games of last year. He's someone who I would look to play maybe individually in head-to-head matchups. But I just don't know if this team ever has enough offensively. Who's going to show up and produce for them other than Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes? Maybe Ahmed Rosario? Then who else? Just like there are way too many holes in this lineup for me. I don't think they're going to be a great team, but I stay away from maybe playing their under because I just don't think the division is very strong. They could be right around that, right around 75 to 77 or so. As we move to the Royals, they do. Uh, the Guardians do have one of the better closers in the game in Emmanuel Classe. The Royals are picked to finish last in the American League Central. They're plus 2,000 to win the division. They're plus 10,000 to win the World Series, which would be 22nd in the league. The over-under for them is 74.5 wins. They're projected to win 75 by fan graphs. ESPN has them power-ranked the number 23 team. Can they score enough? Young prospect Bobby Witt Jr., someone they're very excited about. He's hitting 400 in spring. Last year, he had 33 home runs and 29 stolen bases in the minors. Salvador Perez, he hit 48 home runs last year. Whit Merrifield is capable of hitting 300 and stealing a ton of bags. Alberto Mondesi can hit 20 home runs and steal a ton of bags too. You can see things, you can see it in your head how this team could be competitive. Carlos Santana, Andrew Dozier, or Carlos Santana, Hunter Dozier, Andrew Benatendi, all very competent. The lineup isn't bad when you really deep, deep dive into it. What are they going to get in the rotation? Zach Granke comes back. Is Can he be a number one to anchor your rotation at this point? And they always seem to have some of these high upside pitchers who have good stuff but can't put it all together, whether it's too many walks or not control or they'll have a couple games in a row and then they just can't miss bats anymore. Brad Keller, Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubit, can they get some sort of production from them to me, that's what concerns me. I actually think they're going to be able to score more runs this year than in prior years, but will they be able to have enough arms to, to slow the other teams down? I don't know if they have enough pitching depth. Let's get to the Tigers. I love this team this year. They're over under 77.5. I played over. They're projected to win 75 by fan graphs. ESPN has them power ranked at number 18. 
Robbie Grossman is a uh, a solid outfielder who's got speed. He can help set the table a little bit for guys like Baez and Torkelson. Riley Green has a foot fracture early on, so that's something that I don't love. But Green and Torkelson are two real of their real top tier prospects that they love. Torkelson hit 30 home runs in 121 minor league games last year. They brought in Baez and Barnhart to add depth to the lineup and a catcher who's very good and can take care of a staff. You've got Eduardo Rodriguez and Michael Pineda to help out the pitching staff, and you've got Andrew Chafin to help out the bullpen. I think this team is sneaky this year. I'm a big fan of Tariq Skubal. 164 strikeouts in 141 innings last year. Casey Mize is very, very productive, and he's only 24 years old. Those two are 24 and 25. You add them with with Rodriguez and Pineda, and all of a sudden, you've got some makings of a decent little staff there for Detroit. I like the Tigers. I'm playing their over-under in their wins, and I'm going to look to play the Tigers a lot in individual games this year. Not really sure what to do with the Twins. So their over-under is... 81 and a half. Fangraphs projects them at 82 wins. They're number 17 in the ESPN Power Rankings, plus 500 to win the AL Central, plus 4,500 to win the World Series. They've got the number eight ranked bullpen. They did bring in Carlos Correa. And if he's healthy and you have Byron Buxton healthy, that those could be two of the best players in baseball. Two legitimate MVP candidates. You brought in Sonny Gray, also added Gio Ursula. But I think the the rotation questions for them because it's Sonny Gray. There's a youngster named Joe Ryan that they like quite a bit. Dylan Bundy looks like he made some tweaks and could be heading in the right direction. Chris Archer is going to be at the back end with Bailey Ober. One of the harder teams for me to get a feel for. They were really good for a couple years and then so disappointing and bad last year. They won't be that bad, but I think... I still don't know if they're going to be good enough to compete with the, the White Sox, who are like the legitimate favorite in this division. And I actually think the Tigers and them will, will sort of be battling. I, I like the Tigers a little bit better than them this year as we move along to the White Sox, ranked number four in the ESPN Power Rankings. They uh, have an over-under of 91.5 wins. Fangraphs only has them projected for 86, though, which would be 12th overall, plus 950 to win the World Series. They're the third choice there. They are minus 230. In the AL Central, really strong lineup. Moncada, Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, right there in the middle. They just made a trade for A.J. Pollock. Tim Anderson right up top. Now, they do have a couple little issues early on in the year, and I might play their under overall win totals. I think they'll probably win the division. I think they'll probably win right around what Fangraph says, you know, 86, 87 games there. But 91's a little high. Now, their pitching staff, when healthy, is fantastic. But Lance Lynn is having surgery on a tear in his knee tendon. So there's two months until he's back. They have a bullpen injury to Crochet. They just traded Kimbrell, and Joe Kelly's not very healthy yet. So they have a nice one, two, three top part of their bullpen right now, but there's not a lot of depth there. And now without Lance Lynn, you still have Giolito and, and Cease top-tier rotation pieces, but Keuchel's been struggling more. What are you going to get from Michael Kopich? I think they win the division, but I would play under their win total of 91.5 on the White Sox. Let's finish up the American League with the AL West. Is it this year for the Angels? It feels like we're, we always say that. This team is better than they've been in, in years past. So you obviously have Otani, legit MVP candidate again. 
Mike Trout, you know, hopefully he's healthy, and Rendon. So up top, if Rendon is able to give you even anything close to what he he was capable of a few years back, it's a very nice start to the lineup. Jared Walsh hit 29 home runs last year. Joe Adele is someone they're extremely excited about. ESPN has them right in the middle. Number 16 ESPN power ranking. Fangraphs has them with 83 wins, which would be 15th, but projected to be second in the AL West. If you wanted to bet their over-under, it'd be 83.5. They're plus 380 to win the AL West, plus 2,500 to win the World Series. Noah Syndergaard has looked awesome in spring. How long can he hold up? Because if it's Otani, Syndergaard, Lorenzen's not bad. Sandoval is someone that they're high on. Jose Suarez, the rotation's better than it's been. And their bullpen is actually ranked number six by Fangraphs, led by Russell Iglesias, who had a really nice year last year. They'll have to beat the Astros, who are number five in the ESPN Power Rankings, projected to win 89 games by Fangraphs. Their over-under, though, is 92.5 if you wanted to bet it. I'd probably lean under. They're minus 170 to win the AL West. They're plus 1,000 to win the World Series, which would be the fourth choice. They are extremely high on Kyle Tucker, and their lineup should again be strong towards the top. But at the bottom, it doesn't feel like it's quite as deep all the way through. You've got Pena and McCormick now, less proven players there. You've got Altuve, Brantley getting a little older. You've got Bregman coming off of a little bit of a disappointing year. But if they're all playing well together, they're obviously one of the teams to beat in the American League, and they're the heavy favorite in the American League West. Now they've got Justin Verlander returning from Tommy John, and I will give this pitching staff a lot of credit. They were very good last year. Guys like Framber Valdez, uh, Uquiti, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, and Odorizzi will complete a lot of their rotation. What do they get from you know Justin Verlander back off of the injury? Lance McCullers is another one who's injured right now, but he... Is capable of pitching in big games and giving them big innings. So they're a good team. They just don't feel quite as quite as dominant as they have maybe in years past. Over to the A's. Well, they just they just gave everybody up, huh? They traded all of their better position players and basically all of their rotation except for Frankie Montes. They just traded Sean Manet again to the, the Padres. And Christian Pash might be good. Someone who's got high upside. Sean Murphy, the catcher, and Elvis Andrews are good. Tony Kemp at the top of the lineup's not bad. This team just does not have a whole lot of talent. They are projected to be one of the worst teams in the league. ESPN has them ranked number 28 in their power rankings. They're only projected to win 70 games by fan graphs. Their over-under is 67 and a half. And... They're 25,000 to win the World Series, which would be 27. They're plus 4,500 to win the AL West. They were twice as long as the price of the Rangers on one of the the spots that I was looking at, who were plus 2,200. Could be a long year for the A's. Could be a long year. This doesn't even look like the years where we're kind of underrating them a little bit. They just don't look nearly as good. They've had all-star caliber players up and down their lineup for the for a few years now, and they don't have many of those at all. Going to be a tough year. But Frankie Montes, legit talent, and when uh, Ramon Laureano comes back, he's out for 27 games. He's really good. He can do it all. The Mariners, 
They're over under 83 and a half. If you were to bet on it, Fangraphs has them at 80 wins. I think they're a little better than that. You could play them at plus 3,000 to win the World Series. You could play them at plus 450 to win the American League West. They're picked third there. They have a young prospect that they're really excited about, Julio Rodriguez. They had one from last year that they were really excited about, Jared Kalenic, who, you know, disappointed, but looks like he's ready to rock for sophomore season. So you got these two young ones, and now you brought in Jesse Winker. You brought in Eugenio Suarez. You've got Mitch Hanager there. You went and paid for Robbie Ray. Marco Gonzalez is better than his numbers looked last year. Logan Gilbert has high upside in his second year. Matt Brash is someone at the back of the rotation that they like. I think this team is decent. I, I'm really excited about them. I'm playing their over-under and wins, and I'm going to play a little sneaky play on them to win the AL West. Around plus 450, plus 500 there. On the Mariners. Robbie Ray. I feel like it's going to be a big year for Marco Gonzalez. And Logan Gilbert too. They're top three. They're one, two, three. I really like. Let's get to the Rangers. And uh, finish up the American League here. They spent a ton of money. $500 million on Seager and Semyon. To play second and shortstop. They did bring in pitcher John Gray. Mitch Garver is going to do uh, the catching for them. They have some capable big league all-star talent. They just don't seem like they have enough of it. They're plus 2,200 to win the AL West, plus 9,500 to win the World Series. Over-under for them, 74.5 if you wanted to bet it. Fangraphs has them projected at 75 wins. John Gray is someone as uh, getting away from Coors. I think he's got some high upside there. Keep an eye on John Gray maybe having a sneaky good year for the Rangers. We're going to shift on over and talk some National League. Before we do, let's talk a little bit about Stable Duel. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Big week for Stable Duel with Keeneland opening up Friday. They've got the Keeneland kickoff. If you're a, a horse racing fan, tune into our show every Friday morning. It's at 10 a.m. Eastern time. It's on Twitter. It's totally free. If you follow me um, or Stable Duel, you can also catch it on my Facebook or on YouTube. And we go over our best bets for Friday, for Saturday, for some of the Stable Duel contest with Matt DeSantis and with Barry Spears. This weekend in Stable Duel, every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, live on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. This weekend, we're going to talk a lot about Keeneland for Friday, Keeneland for Saturday, Santa Anita for Friday and Saturday. We've got the Santa Anita Derby and the Bluegrass, and it's closing weekend over at Sam Houston. A lot happening in the racing world and a lot to discuss in the world of baseball as we move on over to the National League. And we talk about the World Series defending champs, the Atlanta Braves, who... Just an incredible job last year, making the moves they needed to, getting hot at the right time, being clutch in big moments, the deserving World Series champs. But you get a little bit of a World Series hangover because it you play deep into the year, and then you got that quick turnaround. Some of your pitchers have thrown a few more innings than they ever have before, 
and you played in such high-level important games, and then you got to start, and it's April and kind of early into May, and you got some of these sleepy games where you're not quite as up, and you know the lull of the the long season, and they don't have Freddie Freeman there, their leader. Ronald Acuna is going to be out for probably the first month. I think they're going to be a playoff team, but I don't know if it's as easy as just pencil them in, you know, as last year's World Series champ, and we just see them win 100 games. Because remember, they weren't really that good for a lot of the year. And then they got hot at the right time, and they made a couple trades, and they won. They, they, you know, that's what it's all about. But it wasn't as if they were some dominant juggernaut. Eddie Rosario was incredible. Dancy, Dansby Swanson helps their like their lineup in the two-hole with what he can do. They brought in Matt Olson, no Freeman. Marcelo Zuna will be back for them. Austin Riley, Ozzie Albies, Adam Duvall, Travis D'Arno, um, Alex Dickerson, and then uh, waiting on Acuna there. They are ranked number three by ESPN Power Rankings. They have the fifth best odds to win the World Series at plus 1,200. They are your NL East favorites, plus 125 to win the NL East. Fangraphs has them projected at 93 wins, which is second overall in baseball. And their over-under, if you wanted to bet, would be 91.5. I mean, that feels right to me. I think they're like a 90-win team. So I'm not... I might wait and see the highest number that I can get. I don't think they're going to have a great start, though. I think it might take... It might be a little slow, especially with, you know, you look around and you don't have Freeman there to sort of settle you down. Quick turnaround. Starting pitching staff, number 11. Ranked by uh, fan graphs. Good luck to my guy, Kenley Jansen, who moves out there. Kenley, the lifetime Dodger, will be closing games for the Braves. A team that I, I do like. And when I say the, you know like, it's about perception, right? I think the Braves are going to win 90 games. I don't think the Marlins are going to win 90 games, but I like them and their upside. And I do think they have an opportunity to go over, probably over their win total, and I'm going to play them a lot individually. They have a fantastic pitching staff. Sandy Alcantara is one of the most underrated pitchers in the game. Really, really good. You've got Trevor Rogers, who averages more than 10.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Pablo Lopez is fantastic. Alicia Hernandez is really good. Jesus Lazardo is someone who had incredible upside, and he's kind of tailed off. If they can get this guy back to what he was supposed to be for the A's, the best pitcher probably doesn't even show up to the second half, and that's Sixto Sanchez who's hurt. They brought in Avisel Garcia, Jorge Soler, and Joey Wendell to make their lineup actually look like a lineup. They've got some legit veteran talent there. I like the staff. I do. And the only thing that worries me about betting them, like I wouldn't bet them to win the East because I just think it's too competitive, right? There's probably three other teams that could win and be more likely division winners than them. But with their staff, I think they're going to be able to keep them in in a lot of games. Fangraphs has them projected to win 83, and their over-under is only 77.5. I'm playing the over there on the Marlins. They like the, the young Jazz Chisholm Jr., Garrett Cooper, and Aguilar. Just guys in the middle of your lineup that are solid. Brian Anderson, another one. It's really not a bad lineup when you dig into it. Things haven't been going well for the Mets right off the bat. Now, it does look like Scherzer should be able to pitch on Friday, but we don't know what's going to happen with Jacob deGrom. And keep in mind, he's going to opt out of his contract next year. So if this injury gets pushed back and back and back, you start to wonder, do we see him show back up on the heels of a massive contract coming up? 
and risk his his possible health and his future. Like two weeks ago, we were looking at the Mets as one of the best teams in baseball. Now you wonder with their staff because their staff is what they need to carry them. And without Degrom, it's just a an average looking staff. Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, who they brought in, Carlos Carrasco, Taewon Walker, Tyler McGill. You've got a team that's second to, to win the NL East at plus 200. They're plus 1,500 to win the World Series, which is eighth. And their over-under is 88.5 if you wanted to bet it. Fangraphs has them projected to win 89. I'm going to stay away from them. I could see this team going either way in true Mets fashion. I'm staying away. Over the Nationals, they just don't look very good on paper to me. Uh, Juan Soto is one of the better players in baseball. And then other than that, you have a lot of okay to solid players, maybe a few high upside players and you know some of the prospects they got from the Dodgers and Kyber Ruiz and Josiah Gray. I, what's going to happen with Strasburg? They're only projected to win 73 by fan graphs. Their over-under is only 69.5. They are projected to be the 25th best team in baseball, plus 15,000 to win the World Series, plus 4,000 to win the NL East. I just like everybody else in this division better than them. And, you know, we'll get a chance to see Juan Soto rake, but Nelson Cruz is getting a little bit older. They have a lot of pieces I could see trading, you know, if they're not good come deadline time, some pieces that might be able to to help other teams get some prospects and, and just keep building. The Phillies like what they've done this year. I would bet the Phillies to win the NL East at around plus three. I've seen them almost up to plus 400. Plus 350 I saw last night in some spots even more. Plus 2,500 to win the World Series. Over-under for them, 86.5. Fangraphs has them projected at 88, which is 8th in baseball. I like their rotation a lot. Zach Wheeler. Don't worry about the health stuff. It doesn't look that bad. He's supposed to be starting, I think, Game 5 of the season. Aaron Nola was unlucky last year. His metrics are they're, they're way better than they look. Really unlucky. And I think he's going to bounce back this year. Ranger Suarez is capable of incredible games. Kyle Gibson's A game is really good. This is a nice one through five. Now their bullpen's always going to be a little shaky, but they brought in Corey Knable to close at the back end, and Knable had a very nice year for the Dodgers. He's got to be able to stay healthy. They added Nick Castellanos and Kyle and Kyle Schwarber. So now their lineup will look something like Schwarber, Real Muto, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Reese Hoskins, Didi Gregorius. Gene Segura, it's a really good top six or seven in your lineup for the Phillies. My pick and my bet to win the NL East. Let's get to the NL Central. I think the Brewers are probably the most likely winner of any division in baseball, mainly because their pitching staff's so good and the rest of this division, I just don't think very much of. Now, they, they need more from Christian Yelich. Last year was an awful year from him. But Colton Wong, Willie Adamas, Hunter Renfro... Omar Navarez, Andrew McCutcheon, Rowdy Tellez, Lorenzo Kane, Jace Peterson will be a lot of their everyday players. But it's their pitching staff that they're going to lean on, led by Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. That 1-2-3 had as good of a 1-2-3 year last year as maybe any top three pitchers in history. I mean, that good. That good. Their numbers throughout the regular season. Eric Lauer is kind of sneaky under the radar. Adrian Hauser is not bad. They've got Ashby there also if they want to go six deep. So I think they're going to win this division. I would I would make them my uh, my pick here. It's not going to be a sexy bet. They're minus 170 to win the NL Central. 
They're plus 1,200 to win the World Series, which would be sixth over-under for them. 89.5. Fangraphs has them projected to win 88, which would be the ninth most. And they are number seven on the ESPN power rankings. You know, you, you sort of look at when they get through, will this team be able to match up with the Braves or the Dodgers or the Phillies or the other good teams in the National League in a series? Pitching-wise, they will, but can they score enough? Because if they have to play other good pitching, is this lineup going to be able to get to the other teams at all? If we get the MVP, Kristen Yelich, then yes. If we get last year's version, they won't. Probably one of the other two teams along with, uh, who was the other one I mentioned? I just don't, I couldn't get a real feel for the Twins. That was the other one. Uh, The Cardinals are, are sort of like that for me this year. I could see this going really well. If Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt have really good seasons and prove they still have plenty left in the tank, then you've got Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill, you know, DeJong and Bader as all these really high upside guys, good system players. I don't know if their pitching staff's going to have enough with Wainwright, with Flaherty, with Matz, with Mikolas, and with Hudson. And they're going to be leaning on a, a lot of a little older, with Yadier still there. And Wainwright, they brought Pujols in to help, you know, probably uh, say goodbye there to baseball. Fangraphs has them projected at 81 wins. Their over-under is 84 and a half. I mean, that kind of feels right to me. But it shows you how weak the division is supposed to be because Fangraphs has them projected second in the NL Central with only 81 wins. Plus 240 to win the NL Central, plus 3,000 to win the World Series. They're 15th that there. So if you're it's kind of curious how they stacked up. The Cubbies don't look very good this year. I mean, they emptied out last year. They got rid of everybody the last couple years. They sold off. And they're probably going to be really bad for a few years. Someone to get excited about, perhaps uh, Suzuki, who's projected to hit 29 home runs as a, as a rookie. He's 27 years old. But going through their lineup, it's just not a lot of familiar names that have produced and are proven MLB players at the big league level. Nick Madrigal, Frank Schwindel, Wilson Contreras in the three-hole, Ian Happ in the four spot, Patrick Wisdom, Clint Frazier, Jason Hayward, Nico Horner. Then their staff, they don't really have a lot of hard throwers in a league where it feels like everybody's got a lot of hard throwers. Kyle Hendricks and Wade Miley are going to be towards the top of their rotation with Marcus Stroman. If those three guys all have fantastic years, this team could be a little bit better than they should be. But I don't think this lineup can score enough runs at all. Fan, uh, Fangraphs has them projected to win 75. That's Their over-under is 74.5. They are the 24th choice to win the World Series at plus 1,300, and they are plus 1,100 to win the NL Central. The Pirates, I don't have very much positive to say about them at all. They don't even try. It's got to be a bummer rooting for this team. Cabrian Hayes is great. He's fantastic. What else do you get excited about? Your, your rotation's led by Jose Quintana. Zach Thompson is kind of an exciting starter. Other than that, eek. Will Crow, Mitch Keller, and JT Brutbager complete their lineup. Daniel Vogelbox, the number four hitter. Brian Reynolds is the three spot. I just... Really disappointing to see the lineup that this team has fielded. And they're only projected to win... 69 games by fan graphs. Their over-under is 64 and a half. Brutal. They are the co-largest long shot to win 
the World Series at plus 50,000. They're plus 5,000 just to win their division. The Reds, oh, they, t- they, they got rid of a lot of their key pieces too, huh? This team looks a lot different than they've looked the last couple years. Right off the bat, Castellanos, Winker, Suarez, gone, out. Barnhart, gone, out. Their rotation is going to be led by Tyler Molly now. Luis Castillo is out for a little while. We'll see when he returns. He might be a trade piece. Fangraphs has him at 75 wins. Over-under for them, 73.5. They are the 23rd choice to win the World Series at plus 13,000. They're fourth, picked fourth in the division at plus 1,600 in the NL Central. Jonathan India, someone who our friend Brian Biho, who's excited about as a Reds fan, but for them, it's Hunter Green, low to low, Vladimir Gutierrez. If they can improve as young arms, then sure, they will overachieve. But even overachieving would mean what? 500? It's not a strong division. And this team is just not great right now after losing so many of their key contributors from the last few years. Let's get to the National League West. The Diamondbacks. They are 28th. Uh, to win the World Series at plus 25,000. They are 15,000 just to win the NL West, and they are projected to be one of the worst teams in baseball. Their over-under is just 66.5. Fangraphs has them at 70 wins. I do like two of their pitchers in Zach Galen and Merrill Kelly. So these are two guys that I may play and attack when they're underdogs in individual spots throughout the year. Keep an eye on them and how they start the season, and they may be uh, fun dogs to play. That's what's great about playing baseball. You can get lots of plus 150s, lots of plus 200s out there. Don't feel like they've got enough in their lineup. Dalton Varsho, a fun story. He's going to be hitting in the middle with Christian Walker, Cattell Marte. They signed him to a, a bigger deal. Carson Kelly, David Peralta, Pavin Smith. It just doesn't feel like there's quite enough there. Maybe the rotation can carry them. You can see a little... uh a return to form from Madison Bumgarner, and behind them, if, if he could be a one and everybody else could slot in in like a two, three, four spot, then all of a sudden maybe they're more competitive, but they are supposed to be one of the worst teams in baseball, only projected to win around 70 games. Not the case for the Dodgers. Projected to win 95 by fan graphs over under 99 and a half. They are your favorite to win the World Series. They're your heavy favorite to win the National League West at minus 230. And they have a fantastic lineup, even with the trade recently of A.J. Pollock, who I didn't really like that move. They got rid of A.J., and they brought back Craig Kimbrell to be their closer. There's no more Kenley Jensen. And this is a good Dodger lineup, maybe one of the best Dodger lineups they've ever had, batting order. Pitching staff isn't nearly as deep as it's been. The top three are good. Kershaw looks good. He's back. And if he's healthy, he's going to be, you know, Kershaw. Walker Bueller is one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's at his best. But he did throw 200-plus innings for the first time last year. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a little bit tired. And the same thing with Julio Urias. He threw 187 innings last year. That was by far the most that he's ever thrown. So you've got Kershaw, who's older and a little bit more susceptible to injury now, coming off of an injury. And you've got two guys who've thrown the most innings they've ever pitched in their life last year, and those are the three that you need at the top of the rotation. Because behind them, it's Tony Gonsolin, Andrew Heaney, it's Tyler Anderson. It's not a whole lot of proven all-star type starters like the Dodgers are used to having. So 
Those three guys, Bueller, Kershaw, Arias, if they're good, the Dodgers will be really good. If Tony Gonsolin can grow into what they wanted from him, remember Dustin May should be coming back in a couple months. He looks like he's even ahead of schedule, but you don't know how much you can count on him coming off the Tommy John. The bullpen's pretty good. But behind Kimbrell, you've got you know, Trennan and Gratterall, a lot of different weapons underneath them. So this Dodgers team should be really, really good this year. Mookie, Freeman, Turner, Muncie, Will Smith, Justin Turner, Bellinger, Chris Taylor, and Lux. That is going to be a very difficult lineup to get through for the Dodgers. The Giants were the best team in baseball last year. They won 107 games. One more than the Dodgers, even. And I just feel like this team... I hated them last year. I did. Because they were... Lucky is a metric. Lucky is a word that you know can be misused, but they were lucky based on baseball uh, using baseball metrics. Outs that should have been outs, other teams didn't make against the Giants. They would drop routine fly balls. The Giants would beat out random things here and there. There would be a wild pitch or a pass ball on a strikeout, and the guy would overthrow someone at first. Balls were hitting weird spots. Uh, just. Crazy things happened in order for the Giants to win 107 games. They were very, very good, but they weren't 107 games good. This year, they're projected to win 85 by fan graphs. Their over-under is 85 and a half. And they are picked third in the NL West. They are picked 12th to win the World Series at plus 2,500. No Buster Posey anymore to handle this pitching staff. And is that one of the reasons why the staff is so, so good? Was it because you had a fantastic all-time catcher in Buster Posey? Logan Webb was great. Carlos Rodon, he's going to come in. Can he give them top-tier starting stuff like he gave last year? Um, like Well, like he gave other team last year, not not San Francisco, but they got from Kevin Gaussman. Scalafini, can he be as good again this year? They've got Alex Wood and Alex Cobb at the back end of their rotation. It's a good staff, but they've already had injuries to Evan Lagoria and Lamont Wade Jr. And without Buster Posey, this team is going to look a little bit different. Can they overachieve again? A lot of people are going to count them out this year. I'm one of them. I don't think they're going to be nearly as good. I think the Padres will be better than them this year. I like the Padres pitching staff a lot more with Hugh Darvish, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, Clevenger still a little banged up, but they brought in Sean Manea on a trade. Chris Paddock also there still. For the Padres, it's got it's going to be, can they score enough runs? Because I don't know how good their lineup will be without their, you know, big star, Fernando Tatis Jr. They've got Machado, who's going to really need to carry them along the way. Trent Grisham, Jake Cronenworth, Luke Voigt should help. Hosmer, Myers. There was weird stuff going on with the Hosmer, too. Nola and uh, Jurix and Profar, a couple others in their lineup. Fangraphs has them at 89. Over-under for them is 89.5. They're plus 350 to win the NL West, which is second. And they're plus 1,600 to win the World Series, which would be ninth. I don't mind them. I like them better than the than San Francisco in the division. I think they'll finish second and the Giants will finish third. And I will tell you, both of those two teams, but in particular the Padres... They play the Dodgers so tough. It's like every game they play the Dodgers, it's like Game 7 of the World Series. Every out, every pitch, it's emotional, it's stressful. And so if the Dodgers and Padres do run into each other in in important series, those are really intense games. It would be just like what we saw with the, the, the Giants and the Dodgers last year. 
Final team in baseball to discuss is the Rockies, and they are projected to be one of the worst teams in baseball. Their over-under is 68.5. Fangraphs has them projected at 69. Their odds to win the World Series, plus 20,000. That's 26th. Their pick fourth to win the NL West, plus 12,000 just to win the division. They should be able to score. They did bring in Chris Bryant, CJ Crones there. They brought in Randall Grichik. So those three, I mean, you could get 30 home runs from all three of them. Charlie Blackman at the top, which version of Charlie Blackman are you going to get? And for them, it's just rotation, right? Rotation, bullpen. Can they slow other teams down enough with Marquez, Kyle Freeland, Antonio Senzatella, Austin Gomber, and Chad Cool? Alex Colom will be doing the closing for them. That's probably right. I mean, they're probably just around a 70-win team. They're never so, so bad because they do end up getting this home field advantage to when teams go out there, they get caught up in those crazy weekends sometimes where you, you have to empty out your whole bullpen and you get in these 12-10 games that at least Colorado is used to playing at home. So maybe they could be really, really bad but still be fine at home. And that's that's what they are a lot of years. Baseball season starts on Thursday. I'm able to rattle through everyone there and get you all set up for the baseball season, and we'll be talking baseball. We'll check in every couple weeks and, and take a look at the standings, talk any major news. We'll have different baseball guests on, and I will post some daily baseball plays over at Better Than Vegas. I'll post them on social media, um, and uh, I'll post little videos and stuff with uh, some of my ang- uh, angles, my analysis, and my reasoning there. Baseball season coming up. You know what else is going to be coming up? Our WrestleMania recap. We're going to talk WrestleMania Night 1, WrestleMania Night 2, every match for both nights with Darren Zocali, with Andrew Champagne, and with Chad Cooper. We dive into everything on the WrestleMania card from Saturday, from Sunday, and also some stuff from Monday Night Raw. And before we get into that conversation, we want to talk to you about DRF, Daily Racing Form, and the past performances there. Following that, we will check on in with Andrew, with Darren, and with Koopaloop. For our WrestleMania recap. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... 
very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches, and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Coming off the heels of WrestleMania week, had to bring back the WrestleMania roundtable. Had to get Chad Cooper from This Week in Wrestling and Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne from the old Wrestling Rewatch. Had to get everyone back together to talk about WrestleMania. And there were, like always, uh, on any big show, some positive, some negatives, things that could have been better. But overall, guys, um, I thought it was a, a pretty good weekend. Coming off of Monday Night Raw, maybe a little bit flat on Monday Night Raw. And uh, and then we got, you know, a a night one, I'd say, Chad Cooper, that was pretty freaking fantastic. The surprises that we got, Stone Cold, Cody Rhodes showing up. What were some of your thoughts coming off of night one? The first one's always the toughest to beat. I, I thought it was an incredible night. Um, night two brought a different type of energy. But night one was just, uh, it, it was just, it was great. Um, other than the the opener where we had an apparent uh, injury with uh, Rick Boogs, you know, it, it didn't uh, put too much salt on, on a show. Uh, it it could have, you know, went downhill from that. But, uh, you know, it drew Corbin okay. Um, but the rest uh, was perfect, and it ended with Austin KO, which was uh, unbelievable. I, I can only imagine um, the energy uh, at AT&T Stadium uh, when those two uh, finished that night. But uh, bravo, job well done on night one. DZ, we had the seven matches on uh, on Saturday night, and we ending we end things with Stone Cold Steve Austin going like 14 minutes. Taking bumps I th- I mean doing more than probably We would have imagined or talked about If you would have told me like eh, 7 to 10 minutes or so I mean he even did more than I expected He looked pretty good And it was just a ton of fun The crowd loved this It was a huge moment for KO And, and that was after some other fun stuff Throughout the night that we'll be able to go match by match But what were some of your overall thoughts Coming off of night one Yeah I, I thought it was a uh, I thought it was a fantastic a fantastic night um it's kind of like the jinx of having uh, of doing you know two nights where you uh you're in a position where the first night is just so unbelievably good that the second night has to really hit the ball out of the park to to beat him then it goes yeah it was good but it wasn't as good as night one whereas if you put it all into one night you would just come away from it and say wow it was a really good wrestlemania uh, i i thought night one was fantastic the boogs injury Aside, I thought both women's matches were very good. Obviously, the Austin KO uh, element to things was, was also fantastic. Um, it was, and obviously, I mean, it goes without saying the Cody Rhodes 
uh, return was extremely well done. Um, you can argue that that might have belonged on night two, uh, if if you're you know trying to line things up a certain way. But uh, yeah, I thought from start to finish between Cody between the women's matches, uh, the Stone Cold segment, and uh, I, I even thought that Logan Paul, who you know I despise, <laughs> coming into this based on his character and persona and everything that he does. I thought he did a fantastic job in the ring as well. It was highly entertaining, highly enjoyable with uh, several, I would, I would say a, a handful of four-star matches. Andrew uh, is on, on analog. Uh, so back, we got, back, we got, as uh, Chad Cooper has described earlier, we got back to the future. Andrew here uh, hanging out with us, but uh, AC, we were all kind of talking and like, we were really all relishing in it. Um, even we joke sometimes angry Andrew when we're in the when the group chats, you know, with you when uh, when we we get a little negative, but we all have our things that we like and don't. But coming off a of Saturday night, we all had the real fun vibes, the real fun feels. We got a little bit of everything on that night, right? Some excellent women's action, some really good men's in ring stuff, and then the fun feel. I think of the two nights, Saturday probably had a little bit more of the downers. Over uh, Sunday probably had a little bit more of the downers overall night too, but Saturday. I, we I left feeling pretty good and, it, and I think from from talking to you you, you felt like you uh, were pretty similar. Saturday of WrestleMania weekend, night one is the most fun I have had watching a WWE show live in a very, very, very long time. I mean, I don't need five star classics up and down the card. I don't need completely and totally perfect everything across the board i need fun i need simple i need the people that are on camera to be working hard start to finish we got all of that night one was excellent and you can argue there were three or four matches that night that were four stars or better and we forget that it wasn't long ago where if you saw a show with a couple of three and a half star matches you walked away feeling like you got your money's worth. Now you get a WrestleMania night one, and there are people out there saying, yeah, that was good, but it wasn't great. Da, 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 da. Shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> shut Becky up. Bianca was a four-and-a-half-star match. Kevin Owens, Steve Austin was just plain fun. And I understand people not thinking it was technically perfect, whatever. It didn't have to be. From a storytelling perspective, that was darn near perfect. And then you get Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, which was very good. You get the tag match with The Miz and Logan Paul stealing the show night one. There was nothing bad on night one of WrestleMania other than Rick Boogs getting hurt. And shout out to Boogs. That's a horrible injury, and you knew something was wrong right away. My goodness, it's, it's terrible because... He was working so hard and making the most of that opportunity. It, it stinks. But aside from that, night one was absolutely outstanding. Night two, I would put in the slightly above average camp because there was some bad on that show, and we'll get to that. But if you trim the fat from night two and you take the best from night one and the best of night two, my God, what a great show you wind up getting. And yes, this probably sounds absolutely terrible for those listening out there. I apologize. <laughs> I'm on a backup headset right now. Hopefully we'll get things squared away next week for our regular programming. So we we began in what was a little bit different, Coop, um, about the way that they 
um, I think they booked the the card and the way that they stack the card in general. They laid it out. Normally, what WWE's been doing recently is big match right off the bat to start. Even one of the world title matches, huge match, and then huge match at the end, and then in the middle they'll kind of have a spot where they have a big match and then a downer. This one store was sort of in that like escalating. Level of importance right the first couple Matches weren't really all that big a Deal and then you got sort Of towards the bigger matches that you Stacked with Bianca and then Cody Showing up then Charlotte Ronda and Then you got Stone Cold and and KO closing It out so I we See other it's something that like New Japan does Or um, AEW kind of does that sometimes But I we don't normally See WWE do it as much I I sort of like the way they did it because you did sort of get the feel of like things getting more and more important and leading to, you know, stone cold at the end. Yeah. Other than the opener being for the SmackDown tag team titles and, and not to downplay that it it felt like an old school WrestleMania where it just built up and you're often, you get often concerned a little bit that, the you know the crowd's been there for a long time all day um you know they may have went to nxt 2.0 stand and deliver like you and your party you know uh did uh, this could have been their second you know some of these people's second third fourth show of the weekend already so you kind of get concerned as the night goes on even though the matches and uh are really really good that just the adrenaline dump is gone but Man, did did they ever deliver? Um, I, I mean, Drew Corbin really didn't do a whole lot for me, but there were some good spots in there. Uh, so yeah, like, well, let's let's hit those first two matches, sure, I guess, sure. kind of together, and then well, because to me, the you know, it was like we said, it was hard to really get too, um, you know, it, too hard on what we saw in. The opener because that was inevitably cut short And that's a bummer that that was cut short because of an injury So the Usos get the win there And then, you know, when I thought the second match with Drew McIntyre, Happy Corbin That was probably one of the matches that the most people on the card were like the least interested in Because it's a feud that's been going for a while Maybe it didn't feel like a big WrestleMania um, type match But Drew's really over, the crowd was behind him And these guys worked hard And they did at least what you would have hoped or a little bit better. It wasn't like they went out there and mailed it, you know, and like mailed it in. They really worked their butts off. They treated it like it was a WrestleMania match. And the, the spot at the end with McIntyre swinging the sword, man, he chopped those ropes. <laughs> Almost killed freaking Madcap Moss there. So these first two matches, while they weren't anything five star or crazy, they were both pretty fun. And you could tell that the energy. Was good because if the crowd was good for these two matches, the best was surely yet to come. I completely agree. I, I think the, the Usos were retaining. Uh, I, I thought that everyone knew that Drew was going over Happy Corbin, but uh, you know they stepped it up. Um, you know for what it is, and we felt like we we've been stuck with Drew and Happy Corbin forever. Uh, but. But the gimmick at the end with the rope, uh, you know, that that told you that okay, we're we're in for a special night. DZ, we had uh, the Usos and the Bloodline holding the titles strong again at the end of WrestleMania, and uh, you know, heading into SmackDown, it is it maybe going to be Drew 
the the one who is next up for Roman. We don't really know what's going to be next for him. We can kind of talk about that at the end. But uh, you know, Usos still holding their titles, and Drew should probably be on to bigger and better now after this. Yeah, you would have to think that at the very least he's going to be involved in some kind of a number one contender type thing format or whatever they're going to do. And and obviously we still have a lot of questions as to what exactly this title unification means. Uh, Is there going to be two belts again? Is there not? Is it going to be one belt for a while with Roman working both shows? I will talk about that later, but when you, when you try to decipher who the next guys are going to be uh, to challenge for that, for that championship, uh, Drew McIntyre certainly has to be at the top of the list. And you would, you would think that everything that you saw in night one of WrestleMania would enforce that. Uh, now that goes despite Cody's promo on, on Monday night, talking about how he is back uh, with a purpose of trying to win a title and, and things of that nature. Uh, and I really hope that they don't fire up Cody to that level right off the top, because it would be a shocking turn of events if he came here and in his first major run beat Roman Reigns. So I think Drew McIntyre is probably next in line. Um, and he should be. The guy is a colossal star. He's a good worker. He's good on the mic. He's got a fantastic look. He has everything going for him that Vince loves. Uh, he's been one of Vince's guys for a long time, and he's worked his way back. And he kind of got cheated with this title run being during the pandemic, and is certainly due uh, some more moments in front of a live crowd. Yeah, I got to agree with Darren on that. If you want a reminder of just how over Drew McIntyre was prior to the pandemic, fire up the 2000 Royal Rumble and just listen to the pop when Drew McIntyre eliminates Brock Lesnar and they do the stare down for five minutes while the Rumble is going on. It's an awesome moment. It's a hell of a deal. And you feel so bad for McIntyre, who got released from WWE, went off on the indie circuit, totally rededicated himself, came back, had one really good match after another, got to the main event at WrestleMania. It was supposed to be his coronation, and then the world broke. Um, Having said that, this match here started really slow. But it picked up immensely in the last five minutes to where when McIntyre hits the Claymore, the crowd still pops. And then you get the bit with the sword. Now, I hated the buildup to this particular match because on Friday Night SmackDown, right before the show, we got Drew McIntyre getting the sword back and attempting to decapitate Happy Corbin. Gee, what does this feud need? This feud clearly needs the babyface doing stuff that in the rational world would be considered attempted murder. Please ditch the sword. I'm sorry. I know he's supposed to be the Scottish warrior. I know the sword plays a role in the entrance. He doesn't need it. He's going to break his phone if he keeps yelling it sounds like I know, I was going to say Yeah, I was going to say I have no idea how my microphone sounds I'm trying to hold it really close to my mouth You just sound sound a little bit like The the teacher from Charlie Brown You know, just like Yeah, exactly We can make, we can hear what you're saying It's just Andrew, Andrew, I would like a hot apple pie with that 
Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, um, <laughs> sir, you know this is the Carl's Jr., right? <laughs> All I'm saying is, I'm gonna sound loud and clear when we get to the semi-main event of night one. That's all I'll tell you. So we get to Miz and Logan Paul versus Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. And this match was really fun. Um, I actually thought that Dominic looked pretty good in this match, too. There were a couple sequences that I was pretty impressed with him. And coming off of times where I've, you know, said, eh, you know, I haven't thought too much of him, but I did think he looked pretty good in this match. And Logan Paul was fantastic. A great wrestling heel He had a good look He had that Pokemon car It was like 5 million dollars around his neck That he wears down to the ring And he and Miz could have a run If he wanted They sort of played into it That maybe he comes back for a match Against Miz I don't know But he I don't know if the crowd would want to cheer him He sure seems to get it He was looking at the camera too It's like he he understands He's a, he's a promoter And he's an entertainer And He's in great shape too. The one thing about these guys, I don't like them. You kind of roll your eyes at the way that they, you know, they uh, promote their stuff, but they do work hard and train hard. It's one thing I will give them. They're in great shape. They don't take that part of it lightly. So I, for as much as they're goofy and you know they're cringy, I mean, I mean, with all with all due respect, if I was worth like you know a gazillion dollars and had nothing to do. Except just watch my bank account rise. I would be at the gym four hours a day, making myself in great shape too. You know, sure. So- There's a lot of people that wouldn't though. There's a lot of people that could go in there with the belly and just still promote it fine. They actually want to try to look serious, which I appreciate. But um, that that's you know they they it makes them look better. I think to be in better shape, right? If they went in there with the chubby belly, I think people wouldn't. Take him quite as seriously so it yeah, You're right like you, you have to do that But um, we see these Celeb boxing stuff all the time That people pay tons of money for these These poor people that are over the hill <laughs> Go in there and they just look awful And they they, they draw a bunch of money too um, DZ What'd you think about Logan and the Miz Here and uh, it just Good match we just got to get somewhere with these with the Mysterios, right? They just they've been kind of running in place for a long time here. Yeah, and I think that's just the product of like, what are you going to do with Dominic Mysterio if he's by himself? I mean, he's not going to be a title contender anywhere at any level. He's just got to kind of be put into these stories, uh, and, and that's kind of why they they get hung up there for a while. Uh, I'm definitely interested. In seeing what they do with the Miz and Logan Paul, uh, I think a potential run up to possibly, you know, SummerSlam could be in the cards based on what they did. Um, the fans certainly cheered Miz when he hit him with the skull cursing finale. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of weird because they'd be two heelish characters going against each other. My guess is out of the two, I, I, the Miz probably gets some support unless the fans really show appreciation for the work uh, that Logan Paul put in. Uh, you know, like like you said. I don't like the guy, but I have to give him credit. He clearly got himself in great shape. He clearly put the work in. We saw videos of him working in the ring. He did all his homework, and uh, the results certainly paid dividends as well. Uh, I thought this was highly enjoyable. Uh, I thought all four of them did a great job. I thought they told a good story. I thought the in-ring stuff was good. And um, you know, from here on out, I mean, the trajectory for this show, for my money, only goes upward. And, uh, you know, you're going to the Drew, the Drew, even the Drew Corbin match, 
you know, while not a five-star match, was was solid enough where th- this this night just continues to accelerate and pick up steam, and that includes this match. Andrew, what'd you think about the the uh, the Miz and Logan Paul's uh, you know opportunity to go and have a legit match? Right, this thing was eleven minutes, and we one thing that we we look back on a lot in our old wrestling rewatches is the use of celebrities there. And you know, you will reference WCW sometimes, and and how you kind of forget how they had some really good use of celebrities in some of their matches, and then some really bad ones. Heck, the last couple of years, WWE has had some excellent use of uh, celebrities and the celebrities are taking the wrestling part of it seriously. It's got to go both ways, right? So I loved this match from bell to bell. I gave it three and three quarter stars. It was fun. It was fast paced. And give The Miz a lot of credit because he's the common link between Bad Bunny last year and Logan Paul this year. This guy is excellent at making sure the people he's working with are in the right place at the right time to tell the right story. And time is going to be very, very kind to The Miz when all is said and done. As far as what happened after the match, Darren, I have some really bad news. Um, It has come out per some sources online that when Logan Paul signed his WWE contract, He had a face turn written into the contract. I don't know how you cheer Logan Paul. They're going to try. If they adhere to the letter of that contract, it's not going to work. But for the sake of this match. Do you like throw away money? Like actually give money away to the audience? (laughs) You may as well just chop Logan Paul's expensive Pokemon card up into a whole bunch of little pieces. I, I, I don't get it, but. From bell to bell, this was tremendous. Logan Paul, you can see, really practiced doing like five or six things. He practiced doing the three amigos suplex. He practiced. I'm glad you mentioned that spot. That was a great great spot. He did the shimmy from the top rope. He did the three amigos frog splash too. That was fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed that. It was a very, very good match. The problem is. If they try to run with Logan Paul as a babyface, it's going to fall really, really, really flat. And I feel bad for The Miz because his reward for putting this together and making sure it was as good as it could be is now going to be trying to be even more unlikable than Logan Paul. going to bring me in. This is going to bring me in there That'll, that'll get the job done <laughs> well, I'll, get some, I'll get some extra booze for him uh, Koopa Loop We uh, You know We were liking what Logan was doing In some of the build up And he he really impressed me In this spot uh, What would you think of, uh, of Logan Paul And another good use of celebrity here at Wrestlemania And they just continue to hit it out of the park When they bring these guys and gals in They just do uh, I wasn't expecting a whole lot um, but it was, I, you know, I was, I miss Maurice, you know, um, I, you know, the Mysterios, poor the Mysterios. I, I don't know what they're doing there with them. Um, you know, from breakup, then back together, you would think they would go over if they're going Logan Paul with a, with a face turn here. And that's why the Miz did that. I, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't know I don't I don't buy it I, I wouldn't get into it but 
you know, we do have a run to SummerSlam here coming up pretty soon. We got to get through Backlash, and then we go to Hell in a Cell, Money in the Bank, and, and it really starts picking off, so, uh, kicking off. So I, I guess, you know, we can end the Miz and and Paul there. But uh, kudos for a fantastic match, and as you said, it was over eleven minutes. So uh, he he trained well and, and pulled it off. He looked like a star. And then Coop, we had. Uh, a really good match I, I would say though one thing before we, we Move along from there how cool would it be I know Darren would be very happy Let's build Logan Paul as the guy to beat Roman the baby face that's the guy Right <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the guy Let's build him up he's the guy to beat Roman clean in the middle of the ring after the uh, The multiple year reign he's Gotten through everyone Logan Paul That's, that's your Logan man. Paul Managed by Hulk Hogan that's the <laughs> <ticket>. <laughs> As we get to uh, Coop Let's talk some Bianca and Becky Great match now that's two years In a row for Bianca Just all time great Fantastic Wrestlemania matches And moments here what I liked about this Match is you could tell both of uh, These women Becky in particular That just a few things they were pulling out Of their repertoire that you haven't seen them use Before like a little bit different And that's what I like is it wasn't just Oh the basic stuff that they use in a lot of their Matches Really impressed with these two The look that Becky had The entrances for both of them With the band And and the way that Becky came in It was what was like the Marvel sort of Kind of thing It was really, really cool stuff The presentation all night Actually both nights Even even on night two especially A lot of the entrance stuff A lot of the the costumes And the outfits that, that everyone was wearing Looked really, really great I thought both of these ladies looked fantastic I thought they nailed this thing And yeah, this to me was Maybe not a five-star match But between a four and a five-star match No doubt about it If you're one that's uh, into those rankings And this is about as good as you can can get it, for, for what I want from my wrestling This was a storyline that was built And we give WWE Crap for how many times they bury baby faces And they've done something to Bianca Like they did at SummerSlam And then they just never gave that baby face The comeuppance They never gave him the moment And we, we were waiting for it It just never happened They did with her They treated her right The whole time Even when she wasn't in the main event She was still on TV winning They were never She was never out of sight, out of mind She wasn't losing randomly here and there and I thought they did a great job This felt like an old school feud And Bianca got what she needed She came back, she got that title I love the way it came full circle, Koopa Loop Yeah, she got that shiner too I mean, that was stiff uh, that, that was impressive I, WrestleMania, look, the entrances uh, you, buy, you buy a ticket to see the entrances uh, Just as much as you see the matches Because they're just phenomenal What they do uh, The band, Texas Southern From Houston, Texas uh, They were perfect uh, the match, you know, told the story. Um, there's not much different you could do there. Um, nice promo uh, on Monday Night Raw uh, coming back. Um, I, I, I'm not the the biggest on Bianca with the smiling promo. I like when she's more relatable and more real life. And I think she did that on Monday night. And uh, I just think it's, you know, she's going to be better. It's going to be interesting to see what we do is see if Becky gets a rematch here at Backlash, uh, what they do, what direction they go. Um, I wouldn't have, you know, just doing some future booking. I would have liked to have seen Asuka come out Monday night. I hear she's cleared, but 
um, it delivered. You know, it, it uh, like I said, I, I don't know how many times you can go back and look in WWE cards that both Seth and and Becky lose on one pay per view, but man, uh, that story was well done, and they booked those two two ladies right uh, from day one. DZ, uh, this match was, was fantastic. I loved it. I, I there was very little about this match I didn't like. It went over nineteen minutes and. You know, these are two of the best women's wrestlers in the world on any top five list, and this is one of those things that really shows you that what of uh, kind of an embarrassment of riches uh, the uh, the WWE women's division really has when you can have a match like this, a match like the tag match, and you have a Ronda Charlotte match that was not even a bad match, but when you compared it to the rest of the stuff on this show, it didn't feel quite as big, and the the ending kind of left people flat. It just shows you. How unbelievably deep these women's divisions are Yeah, and one thing that I, I took away um, They should have split these women's matches And had one Saturday and one Sunday um, Having these matches, in my opinion Two matches out of three Within you know 45 minutes of one another uh, I didn't think that was smart I, I think Bianca and Becky could have been In a good spot on, on Sunday night I think if this match would have been in the after Edge and AJ Styles, you had the Sheamus and Ridge Holland New Day match. Um, I would have, you know, I understand that match was originally supposed to be on Saturday. I would have found a way to get Bianca and Becky onto the Sunday card. And then I think these two cards would have felt like they had a little bit more balance to them. Very um, much agree. Yeah. Th- this was a phenomenal match. It you had was... the two biggest, I think the two biggest matches. And then we'll talk about the other one. And then maybe the best match. Of the weekend all on the same show Yes yeah absolutely correct And and the um, biggest I mean In like the surprise right you had the Cody yes. Which was what people were looking forward to And then the Austin which we didn't know What was going to happen with either one of those things So you had yep. those plus The match that ended up being the Bianca Becky match and then on top of it The two matches on Sunday that we'll get to The main event we find out that there might have been a, a maybe there was an injury, and then even the Edge AJ that kind of had a sour taste. Those two, which we needed Sunday to be a little bit better, weren't quite at the level they needed. So you're right that if this man, if this one ended up on Sunday, it would have felt a lot more even. Yeah, I, I that's what I think it comes down to. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you figured these two were going to deliver. They told a great story the whole way. For, for me, Becky was getting a little bit over the top with some of the things that was going on with her character. Um, you know, and I, listen, I understand. I mean, she's been at the top of the division now for about four years and you have to keep reinventing yourself. And she's certainly done a great job of that, but they delivered in the ring. Um, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it for me. This was four and a half stars. And if you gave it four and three quarters, I wouldn't argue with you. Andrew, uh, where'd you have Bianca and Becky? To the shock and utter amazement of everyone listening, Darren and I completely agree. I have this pegged at four and a half. Uh, this was my WrestleMania match of the weekend. It delivered in every possible way. Now, there are people that look at this match and they'll see some stuff that may, I don't want to say botched, but didn't come off as smoothly as maybe it could have. I didn't care about that. To me, this match felt like a fight. And there was a stretch of four or five minutes where all they were doing were reversals into two counts. Very basic stuff that was just trying to be like a feeling out process. And I thought that was great. Everything about this worked. 
from both entrances to the way the match built up to a crescendo to Bianca finally getting to raise the title over her head, having dispatched Becky. I thought this was great. Truly did. And I agree with Darren. If you move this match to Sunday and move Lashley Omos to Saturday, isn't the pacing way better? Oh yeah. And it's, it's, it's one, I think it's, like we said, we can look back now, but maybe they thought that there was going to be another few minutes on the end of the main event, and maybe they didn't realize that the the AJ Edge thing wouldn't quite hit as much because that was you know those two things I think both fell a little bit flat on Sunday, and um, as much as there was some really good stuff there that we'll still hit on, it it did seem like you know it's hard you try to you try to separate them the best that you can right, but on paper. We, we it did wonder just why both of the women's title matches were on this show. That was the one thing that you could have just easily been like, oh, okay, we'll just split the women, the two women's title matches up. But they ended up having them both, you know, within a three match span, and I think that also might have hurt the the Charlotte Ronda match a little bit because, you know, in every almost every fan is more invested in Bianca and Becky than either Charlotte or Ronda. When it comes to the women's matches I think everybody respects Or a lot of the fans respect Charlotte Most don't really even like Ronda And they want to boo the hell out of her But most people love Becky And really love Bianca And like are kind of playing along At least with the heel shtick um, With Becky So that Well match, if I may jump in here yeah, I think well, that's one of the reasons Why the pairings for both of these matches Felt a little bit off When Ronda came back, everybody thought they were going to do Becky and Ronda and Charlotte and Bianca, and instead, they switched stuff around a little bit, which was one of the reasons why I went with my crazy off-the-wall prediction that we'll talk about in a little bit, but I think if you book the two matches that we just talked about, you wind up with a crowd reaction that's a little bit more believable, because even with Becky trying to be a heel, there were certain things that the other WWE way would not have worked. It just wouldn't. Well, People would have would have only booed on. They would have booed Ronda. They would have cheered Becky, and then you wouldn't have had the Bianca Charlotte would have been fine. But the story wasn't there. The story you told was with Becky, so that that was the perfect way to finish that story. And then at least. You were going to try to get people to cheer Ronda It just, we'll get to the result of that In a minute, that just didn't make a whole lot of sense Result wise, because I mean, they're going to continue on with it Or maybe they have something more Whatever the reason was But Well, the the one thing that I do want to point out Is WWE Did some history editing We'll call it, because When Becky Lynch came back At SummerSlam The pop blew the non-existent roof Off the stadium, okay? Uh, She was received as the conquering hero coming back. And the way they told the story in the pre-match video, it was her coming back, hated from day one. And that story works in that context, but it's not quite what happened. Yeah, the, the, the video sort of told it. They didn't really tell that through the storyline. A lot of it, you know, Becky kind of mentioned one time that you picked Bianca over me, but she was, you know, she was doing a pretty good job of trying to make the crowd hate her throughout. And even even if the next women's match that we talk about didn't quite connect, I still think this was the better way to go. 
Because this match ended up being as good as even a Bianca or as good as even maybe the Becca Ronda Ronda match could have been, right? Because maybe Ronda's not quite at the level that she just was a few years ago for a few reasons and a few that may not even be completely her fault right now, which we can get to. But first, yeah, hey, we can get you, to I'm not complaining. We wound up with a four and a half star match in one. No, way, no, not at all. Neither match in the other. It's just it's fascinating the way that it came about. And some of the revisionist history in the story that was being told leading up to this, what we got was the match of the weekend and is one of many things on night one that I'm really looking forward to going back and rewatching. And that's the mark of a great show when you're looking forward to going back, rewatching and seeing some stuff that either you missed the first time or maybe watching things a different way, knowing what happened. This entire show was absolutely spectacular, night one from start to finish, and I'd argue this was the high point. DZ, Cody, Rhodes, shows up against Seth freaking Rollins. We, I mean, it was the worst kept secret in wrestling, I think, as you said, but we, we knew it was going to happen. It was a little bit dangerous the way they did it. You know, they had to make sure they knocked it out of the park, but we were worried about some, you know, how were they going to present Cody? Because most people, I would say, that are that watch wrestling feel like Cody Rhodes could absolutely be a main event talent and a top-tier guy. But we never really knew if Vince McMahon thought that. And I don't know if we still know if he thinks that, but I can tell you the way that Cody Rhodes has been presented in these two nights, in what we saw on Saturday night and then what we saw on Monday night when he opened the show on Raw and cut a fantastic promo... And it was simple and basic And he told his story and his reason And his purpose and why he's back here That is the Most respect and the best He has ever been treated or presented And is it going to be done In a month or two? Who knows But that was as good of a start As he could have imagined or asked Or they gave him Now he's got a chance actually to feel like a top guy Moving forward This was one of the best matches that he's probably ever wrestled Also to. Not only was it the moment The surprise Then they came out there And after that moment That he's probably jacked up You know He's got to go out there And have a 21 minute match With Rollins It's not as if he was going to go out there And have a squash And do a few match, a few, a few moves And he's the new guy that comes in And, and that's usually how a new guy develop, uh, New guy or gal or wrestler debuts They come in Couple big moves Squash And you know Crowd's pumped he went 20 minutes after the big moment Came out Monday night, cut an awesome promo So, I mean, he he really had like the trifecta When you think about it, right? Did well on the mic, did well in the ring And he had that that pop, which is They were wondering, how big is the pop going to be? It was big Yeah, it, it absolutely was enormous um, I I To answer your question I don't think Cody would be here If his conversations with Vince didn't lead him to believe that Vince views him as a main event talent at this point of his career. I I don't think he would have come here without at least getting that. I'll say more than impression, but getting those sentiments from Vince. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that three months from now, Vince is going to feel the same way. But as you said, the match with Seth Rollins, who is widely considered one of the most technically sound wrestlers on the planet, certainly in WWE, and certainly one of their biggest stars. The introduction, the lights going out, the pyro, the fireworks up 
the ramp, the lifting up from underneath the stage, the way they kept him a secret, kept him hidden in a bus. And then for me, the real kicker to this in terms of where Cody Rhodes is positioned right now in WWE, he kicked off the Raw after WrestleMania. And for the last, I don't know how many years, that has been the spot for the winner of the main event. And for many years, several years of the recent five, six years that they've had Raws after WrestleManias, Roman Reigns has been the first guy out. Roman Reigns was the, Roman Reigns was the first guy out after losing to Brock Lesnar. How about when he just about, stood? When he just stood talk, in the ring? And well, just... well, the one, the one where he lost, the one where he lost to Lesnar a couple of years back, and he got his head split open, and he he was the first guy that came out. And and his and his promo was like, what could I say? I got my my head kicked in last night. The time that he retired the Undertaker and just stood out there for eight minutes. The time that he beat Triple H and got the title back. Roman Reigns kicked off all of those Raw after WrestleManias, and now at a time when Roman Reigns is has surpassed his star power from every previous year combined, and there's no question regardless of where you stand in WWE versus AEW versus whoever you think is the best wrestler, it is not debatable that the biggest wrestling star on the planet right now is Roman Reigns. And it's not close. And he did not. And he, and he won the main event, a unification championship match over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. And he did not kick off raw after WrestleMania. They gave that spot and they gave 15 minutes to Cody Rhodes. That tells you from my vantage point that Vince has bought into this for now. Now we know Vince can get temperamental and he can change his mind, but Andrew, the first couple of things that I've seen tell me that this seems to be different this time around. It certainly does seem that way. And there are interviews that Cody has given in the last 48 hours. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday evening. So he debuted 72 hours ago at this point. And he explicitly remembered in meetings with Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard saying things like, look, it has to be me. It has to be kingdom. It has to be the American nightmare. And he recalled Vince saying, we're not buying something that doesn't work. We're buying this. So that alone should tell you this is just a little bit different. And if there's one thing we've learned, it's that no matter how badly you burn your bridges with WWE, unless you're Enzo Amore, you're getting a second chance. <laughs> you can prove that you draw that kind of money. And that's what Cody had spent the last six years doing. Uh, he comes out, and even though everybody on the planet knows it's Cody Rhodes in this spot, the entrance feels like a gigantic deal in part because we're seeing Cody in WWE again, and it's a shock, part because they're using Kingdom, which he had been using everywhere else but WWE over the past couple of years. They present him, and it's like he just walked off a dynamite and walked onto the set at WrestleMania. They changed nothing. Personally, I think I heard take off the blasted neck tattoo. But Yeah, somebody said, somebody said it reminded him of, like, Spider-Man. It was like... The multiverse I was like, what's going bit. on? You know, yeah. somebody was, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a okay. darn good comparison. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now he comes out and you guys hit it. 
he can't just do the four-minute squash match that other guys are afforded. He's got to go out there and go 20 minutes with a really good worker, and he did that here. I had the match at three and three quarters. I thought it was a little bit slow for the first two-thirds of it, but the last five minutes were exceptional. I love that Cody is working in Dusty's offense near the end of his matches now. If you've seen the YouTube clip, I think it's What Culture had video of the post-Raw dark match where he had a six-minute thing with Kevin Owens and then did a promo to send the crowd home happy. Um, He did the Dusty punches and the bionic elbow there, too. And when he did that to Rollins and Rollins bumped his butt off for it, I absolutely loved it. This match was really, really good. I agree with Darren in that you don't want to feed him to Roman now, but my goodness, you'd better have something planned to keep him warm so that he doesn't lose the momentum that he has right now. That's WWE's challenge, and I hope they don't fumble the ball with it. Coop, we saw when Cody uh, left WWE, he did really well on the independent scene. He started AEW with, with that group, and then right off the bat, he was one of the top guys and he put himself in that bad stipulation to where he couldn't wrestle for the top title. And and then not long after that, there were one or two feuds that he got in and he had some promos that might have been a little weird and wonky. And it you almost, you know, you could sense things. He was getting a little more unhappy and you could sense he wasn't quite as popular and he was sort of off to the side. It was like Cody... I think people would joke about it. it was like Cody was in his own world You know he would have his own feud And, and then everything else was Was uh, was disattached from it And it, it just felt like This was perfect because he had He had a purpose when he came out with his promo I don't think they gave him lines But I guarantee you he sat back there And talked to him what about what he was going to say I don't think it was one of those promos Where he kind of went out there on AEW and maybe he was just like I- I'm going to go out and talk and just kind of Wandered and would say whatever he wanted Because for as much crap as we'll give WWE for the the scripting of the stuff, the, it is very nice to have someone editing and sort of filtering maybe some of your thoughts and sort of saying, oh, maybe maybe this way is better. Or like, hey, run it one more time this way. Let's hear you do it like that. So I just wonder how that all went down because it, it all felt so good and smooth. The word that comes to mind for me, he felt comfortable all all throughout the weekend and then on Monday Night Raw. You know, definitely not debuting two weeks before in Jacksonville, uh, and then a week the week of the go home show or whenever it was in Chicago. Th- this was much better. And no disrespect to AEW because I, I guess I do enough of that on Thursdays. <laughs> um, it just how can AEW compete with? What we saw this version of Cody and that moment, it just, it and, just and even seemed Monday. like he was, yeah, it just seems like he's some much bigger star now as he was. Let's let's forget the the Stardust stuff, right? But it just seems like he's a much bigger star. AEW is not going to give anyone that, and I'm not saying that's what every professional wrestler chases. They should, but the, even the promo on Monday, man, he just. I, Everything was done perfect. He sounds humble. The scrums he was doing after Mania and uh, as DZ and AC have both said, you know, the the interviews he's given over the the last 48 hours, it just sounds completely different. You know, it's just going to be interesting to see 
with Roman with two belts. To, you know, is it like Kenny Omega with the Impact title and the AEW World title where he can lose one to Christian and he can't lose the other one? Somebody's going to have to have this Raw title. And uh, I don't know when it happens, but man, uh, you, you and I both always talk about this. You strike while the iron is absolutely. Hot. You don't, with, with, especially with someone like Cody. Him. Yeah, with someone like him, belt on him as quick, you don't as wait as soon as possible. Andrew was talking about it too. You don't wait, and I don't think I. You don't. I don't want you to have him beat Roman just like that. But sure, you find no, a way no. to if if he's on Raw, you get that other belt on him. He wins a tournament. He you know he has to win a couple matches to go through it. Right now, people want to cheer for him. And Darren was kind of talking about you got to be careful. You don't want to just have him come in and beat someone like Roman, who you've been booking for a while and building. If you do, well, because Cody, because then there's nowhere to go but down. Yeah, and and then like, if you do that's, have that, that's too much too soon. Exactly. If you want him to be the guy to do that, that's fine. But you right. build, you let him maybe win that other title, and then. You know, down the line, he loses it. He beats Roman, whatever it is. You know, that's fine. You want him to be that guy, get him there, but you don't do it quite yet because that still feels like that could be a really, really big match. That could be one of your bigger matches right now if you keep those guys separate for a while. And yeah, this was great. Can you wait? Can you wait a year to do it though? Could that be your main event for next WrestleMania? It could. If if you don't have The Rock, yeah. I mean, if you don't, and Cody's hot for a year, you know. Why not? You can, but I don't think you want to. I think they have too much programming, too many hours between now and next WrestleMania to do that and stretch that out with two guys that are going to be around. I can tell you what I would do. What I would do is now that you finally got somebody different, you do Cody Roman. Maybe it's SummerSlam, maybe Survivor Series, as long as you drag that out. And then you bring Brock back, and you do Brock against Cody. I don't know if you make Brock a babyface or whatever you do, you do. But that intrigue is there, and that's a legitimate money match out of Brock that we haven't seen. And how many of those matches are there that right. Brock has left? That's a good point. I, I do. Yeah. I do think... I do think you can, if you're going to heat him up as, as this primetime baby face, you can use him in the chase. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can start a program with Roman as early as SummerSlam and have Cody and get screwed lose, over. Get screwed Not, and yeah. then have that be the way you get back to it. And have, and have, Cody, win and have Cody win the Rumble. Yeah. 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 You could, you his, could do that. Yeah. And that's his chase. And that's how his, his story goes. And, and I don't, and that would be, I mean, uh, the, the best way to tell it. You just, like we were saying with Coop, you got You want to be careful because he's hot right now. I, I'm not saying you want to go instantly, but you hope that maybe you wonder, is he automatically just going to be as over next year? If that were the same story to be told, who knows? Maybe um, we get to Charlotte, Ronda Rousey. Now, between the two nights, we did see some appearances, The Undertaker. Came out on both both nights. We got to look at the takes. Which was it? What, night one or night two? Where we got Gable Stevenson? That was uh, night night two, right? Sunday night. Sunday night. Night. Yeah, yeah I think Sunday night when yeah. we got Gable Stevenson there, and um, we got. Well, we'll mention uh, obviously in the end we ended up getting uh, Austin showing up on both nights. So we got a lot of uh, of good. Just appearances in between and some fun stuff on the card as we got to Charlotte versus Rhonda for the 
SmackDown Women's Championship match. Here's my problem with with like when Andrew says this, he makes predictions. They're the same prediction. He makes the most negative prediction that he just wants to be the worst thing in the world. He said Cody was going to lose. He said Goldberg was going to show up. Those things. (laughs) The Goldberg thing was a joke. Now, before we go much further, I am going to defend myself just a little bit. First of all, I had three off the wall predictions for night one, and I went two and one. One was Rick Boogs opening the show. Please get well soon, Boogs. It was probably my fault you got. So hurt. that's a, you can count that one as an off the wall win. But I yes. say that you said I said that Goldberg shows up and you won't count that as a loss. Hey, no, now we know what now we know what happens with the pink sheet, don't we, DZ? No, now we know. know what, now you know what? <laughs> this is right for those of us that watch up, up, down, down. This is Cesaro refusing to hit the button on himself. Now. The one thing that I will say in all of this is I, there are some things that I say on here that are incredibly sarcastic, but I genuinely did think something was up with the Charlotte Ronda stuff. And here's why we mentioned this last week when, as it turned out, Ronda was apparently supposed to be at raw and then wasn't at raw. And then there was all that miscommunication after this match, we hear Ronda threw a fit because she thought this match should have been the main event. Now, there's a couple of red flags here. First of all, whatever happened with Raw happened, and we're probably never going to know what that was, whether that was just some innocent production mistake or if there's more to the story. We don't know. But when you start hearing things about Ronda throwing fits and being difficult to work with, you start maybe wondering if the bloom is off the rose. And that's honestly what I thought last week on the show when I said, guys, doesn't Charlotte go over here? And when I said that, I was called names. I was <laughs> under every okay. moving vehicle imaginable. Because and that was after point. you had said that Cody was going to lose and Goldberg was, <laughs> Goldberg was coming back. Yeah. So at that yeah. point, we were like, okay, let's just bury him right now. Put a shovel and on him. It's the wrong dig. thing to bury me on. Good job, guys. Good effort. Hey, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this in defense of AC. He, you know, I, he I don't know point much. Out the raw Ronda. change. And, yeah. and like that, yeah. that was something. So I will give you that. But the overall and, back, back padding is just... <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. Barry Horowitz over here. I know, I know. No, I, but um, what what I think was was weird that I sort of, looking back now, they did announce that this was going to be the main event weeks ago. Weeks ago oh, on they, social they media. That, they used that word so loosely now. But, or they said this was going so to be the, They said this was going to be the final match. But what's funny is they didn't initially have a match carded for KO and Austin. Now, so, Gino, let me stop you real quick. Do you think, you know, AC, I, I don't know anything about Ronda. And, you know, you can now one can only imagine how difficult she is to work with. But do you think, honestly, that WWE did this, maybe match, no match, maybe a match, not to piss Ronda off? Just. I don't know. I I, honestly, I don't think Rhonda has the strokes she had a couple of years ago to where WWE would see it as worth it. I, 
and and look, not we're, well, just not as a baby face, especially but, not as a baby no. face, especially if you no, have her I as were, a heel, people would want to see her get beat. I remember, that, I think it maybe maybe it was DC who brought up the question, or maybe it was Eugene, or maybe it was me. I can't remember. Do did we think Ronda was coming back for this run to lose at WrestleMania? That that was my point. Yeah, okay. definitely not. Definitely no. not. No, no. But but it was. And which, it was, by the way, which by the way fits what Andrew Andrew's talking about her throwing a fit because she didn't get what she wanted, which played into my question of, well, if that's her character, she really came back to win a Royal Rumble to lose at WrestleMania makes no sense. Yeah, and and I mean, I would love if this was all part of just making her more hateable. If her if she <laughs> came out and said, "I came back for this," you know, for that I got cheated by that, and this you do do she a turn. Should, that, that's what they should do. That's what they, they should. should. Do. She yeah. should come out 1, and cut a promo. And, and because that's where the money is with Rhonda. And I agree with every, with all of our sentiment in that Rhonda's not over as much as she was be- before. Uh, mainly because, I mean, at that moment, she was really, really hot. She was buzzy. And she was great in the ring. And a lot of the matchups were fresh. And even now, like some of the top feuds that she had with with Becky and with Charlotte, we've kind of seen them before. You know, we've kind of seen the, the those combinations before, so you got to make her a heel where she can come out. She doesn't cut great babyface promos, and at, all she can do is come out and say, "Screw this! I don't want to. I don't need to waste my time talking to you guys. I'm going to beat her ass." Like, and how long was she going to be the champion anyway? Right. And I, I think I mean, the the best way you go. I I eventually thought, and who knows if that's even what they want to do now, but. It felt like the match that they thought was their biggest match was a, a babyface Becky against a heel Ronda. And I thought that that was one that they might have been saving for Los Angeles next year. And who knows what that's a far a long ways away and who knows what all happens there. But that sort of felt like the best way to go there. You have Ronda wins the title at some point. I thought it was going to be then and holds it. Who knows? Maybe not holds it for a year, but now maybe you have her win the title at SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, whatever it is. And you've got Becky as the baby face to go challenge her. That at least makes sense because the crowd would want to cheer Becky and boo the hell out of Ronda. But the match wasn't DZ. It wasn't bad. No. It just the result was we we're all kind of like really when it happened, and and it was a not little bit all of us. Oh no. my God. Okay. Guys, you... in, he has become insufferable. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like become insufferable. <laughs> that, at least he knows. Conclusion? That's the point. At least he knows the role. No, and at least now look, the way look, and all cell kidding aside, this is gimmick, okay? Me thinking that Charlotte could beat Rhonda because of some of the nonsense that happened Monday night. That, makes that was legit. Yeah. It it just it doesn't make Sense from the story that was being told. Oh, Rhonda, I agree with you completely. I yeah. don't think it makes any sense at all whatsoever. And I'm going to use my time in a little bit to sort of redeem myself because I am not saying this happened because it made sense. No, no. I was just saying it was going to happen. No, and that was a good. No, and you were right. You were like looking into the context clues, seeing something, and just getting the feeling like it's a little bit wonky. You know. I, let me ask Andrew a question, Andrew. Did was that always your perspective, or did the events change your mind leading up to the leading up to the match? I smelled a rat Monday night. Um, yeah, Monday rat. That makes you sense. Yeah, Nick. You don't advertise. I don't. Uh, Ronda would certainly, from a star perspective, be the biggest star in the women's division. 
You don't advertise the biggest star of your division on a go-home show before the biggest pay-per-view or special event or whatever the hell you want to call it of the year, and then that person just doesn't show up. That happens with mid-carders. You don't do that with main eventers and people that draw money. That, honestly, I can tell you straight up, I saw that and I got Ultimate Warrior vibes as far as, okay, there's something going on backstage we don't know about. Or maybe even an injury, right? It just kind of there's like a, fl- a red flag, right? Is there a reason yeah, why she doesn't show? not right here. Yeah, Had that just... not happened, I would have been completely with you guys and said, yeah, the storyline is Ronda coming back as the baby face, getting the title, turning heel at some point, and then you have the clash with Becky next year at WrestleMania. That makes sense. But then the stuff happened on Monday, and it honestly got me thinking for a second. And look, we're wrestling fans. We're jaded. Our minds go to very weird places. I'm thinking, over the weekend, did someone tell Rhonda she was losing? Well, that, okay, so you, so, so you're, you're, you're saying that she didn't show because of something she was told, not because, not the other way around. Maybe she, she got didn't. that memo right off the bat, like, hey, you know what? Rhonda, we're going to go with Austin closing the show, winning in this that match that's going to be more of a match that we we you know maybe they're waiting for the for the confirmation from Austin, right? Okay, yeah, we're going to we'll make this thing a match. That's why they didn't want to, you know, promote it ahead of time and then they could underpromise and overdeliver with the Austin thing. And Rhonda, I could see that, Andrew. It could make sense. She finds that out the weekend before once they confirm that and they go, "Okay, Austin's in." Okay, sorry, Rhonda, you're not going to close the show. And in fact, we might try to string this song a little more, and we're not even going to have you win this thing. And she goes, "What? You know?" So that that does make sense. So I will I give you some shit, but I'll give you some credit there too. For, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. And look, let's just make sure we're fair and balanced. That's all exactly. That's all. Self high five. Yep. So, um, you wonder where. We go here. I mean, Charlotte again, another good performance on the big stage, but she's got to be paired up with a really good baby face because Charlotte's in a situation where people are always want, going to want to see her get beat. They just are sort of sick of her, no matter how good she is. So um, I love when she's in big matches. I think she always delivers. Hopefully, we can find some uh, some nice pairings for her moving forward, and we'll see what goes on with Ronda if they continue this on. Do they have Ronda win it and then turn, or what do they do? Um, with her moving forward, her character just can't be the baby face. She's got to be a heel. She's got to say very little. And, you know, that's the best version of Ronda Rousey. Put, put her in a stable with Roman and let Heyman talk for her. Right? Just, <laughs> I mean, just very little. I'd be, her, her, my, I mean, I'm listen, being objective, she, she makes me feel uncomfortable when she talks on the microphone. Because you can see the wheels moving in her head. Yep. That's the problem. You can see that she's thinking and she's trying to get cute with the words that they gave her and she's processing it and it's not natural at all. But no, when the she great, the greatest thing she ever said on the mic was when she wasn't even with them was was at the WrestleMania with The Rock when when she stood there and said, "You need to st- understand something, Steph. Every ring I step into is mine. Yeah. You want me to leave? Why don't you make me?" So, literally that's the best mic work she's ever done and it was 5 years before she ever even wrestled for WWE. And I can That's understand. That's a very accurate statement. My goodness. And I can yeah. understand why, when you bring her back initially, for the beginning, anytime someone comes right back, they you sort of want them as a baby face, 
Because they're going to get cheered because they're fresh and they're new and people are excited to see them. But you could have had this the turn. I mean, for her, it literally could have been the one night come back, been the baby face, and then the next night she could have been a heel if you wanted to sort of do what was best for Rhonda. Um, Koopa Loop. One thing we do know, Gina, she does not give a damn about her reputation. She does not. She does not. A bad reputation. A bad reputation. (laughs) She does not. Or a damn reputation at all. Um, Charlotte, Rhonda, went about 18 and a half minutes there. And then Koopa Loop, they set this up for Stone Cold Steve Austin versus KO. And man, I got to say, it made me feel pretty cool. I called Kevin Owens in Monrovia at a show where there were no way 100 people. And I, I announced him there and did some commentary. And he came in the ring and like pushed me. You know, <laughs> where, where in Monrovia did they have a wrestling show? It's it was literally at what was like um a like a kind of like a YMCA, wow. on in like a height. It's not even the size of what a high school gym would have been. It yeah, was like I'm saying like uh, like any time that I've traveled and gone to Santa Anita for any type of literally big event, I've gone on the to corner of Foothill yeah. before okay. you even get to Myrtle. It's right next to where the Wendy's is, right wow. there. And okay. really, it was wow, the tiniest little place. Yeah, and that's, I, why, that's I why I was shocked when you said Monrovia. I announced three or four um, shows there, and one of the matches that it was, um, it was supposed to be AJ, or it was supposed to be KO versus Chris Hero, and I think it was right when Chris Hero actually let went on, and AJ Styles filled in, wow. and so it was Kevin Owens. We had a hundred people in Monrovia who got to see Kevin AJ Owens Styles versus Kevin Owens. AJ Styles, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. That would have been so, a great story if it was like on a Breeders' Cup Saturday after Santa Anita. We were like, dude, during the day I watched I watched Beholder and Songbird, and yeah. then at night I saw was, AJ Styles and Kevin Owens in was, a, in a room with eighty people, where it was like <laughs> AJ can't even do all of his stuff off the top rope because the roof's so low. You know, like he can't even like yeah. legitimately springboard off the top because it's like a wow. tiny little place. But oh, it was cool. It was so cool, and um, to see. And Sammy was also El Generico on the card And uh, to see those guys Have the moments they did at Wrestlemania This weekend It made me feel really cool It's like I don't know those guys They don't. They wouldn't know me if I walked past them or anything But just having been in the, that sit- situation Seeing them in those places That you hear them talk about How many times Heck there were times where they probably did it In front of 15 or 20 people You know in those matches And they had four or five star matches and you got Kevin Owens here coming out, cutting. You know, the promo and stuff was great, but it wasn't like he was reinventing the wheel. It was just no. great heel stuff. Digging into Dallas, digging into Texas. Austin's run down. He can't do it anymore. <laughs> and, you know, I baited him in. Austin comes out and he says, you know, I lied to you. I do want to fight. I, I do want to fight. And Austin had the look. You knew when the knee braces were on, he was ready to rock, Koopa Loop. He had the knee braces oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> he had the uh, the jean shorts. He looked good. He had the, the t-shirt on. He didn't take the t-shirt off. But they got, you know, when he when he grabbed that mic and, you know, you, you could tell because they were building it up so slowly that you knew it was going to come, right? Because they were milking getting there. So I knew it wasn't going to be just the talk show. Right. But when he grabbed it and said, "I don't," what, what, what did he exactly say? You, anyone want to see? Uh, yeah. Anyone want to oh, see? Yeah. 
Stone Cold uh, against Kevin Owens. Give me a hell yeah. And the crowd, um, <laughs> no. You know, who's going to say no to this thing right now? <laughs> Just that was pretty cool goosebumps. I was actually with my buddies at the bachelor party. We were out at this, you know, bar and we were in the background, the college basketball game, you know, going on Duke, North Carolina. And we're watching this on my phone, but I got it like <laughs> popped up. And the moment Austin's music hit, you know, there were like three or four of my buddies that were wrestling fans that were sitting next to me at the table when we were drinking and stuff. So we could, I would prop my phone up and we could, well, we could watch it and, and watch the game at the same time. And the other guys, they weren't all that interested. They don't really care about wrestling. When Austin's music hit, every one of the guys came around to watch. The guys that don't care, they all know (laughs) Austin. And they were like, oh, this is Stone Cold. And they got up and they came over and they watched it. Man, Coop, like, what were you feeling? What'd you think as we saw Austin go almost 14 minutes in a no-holds-barred match? He took a suplex on the floor. Like, he took some bumps here, too. We talk about people having fantastic years. Uh, Kevin Owens um, deserves a lot of this credit. Again, you know, we wanted Stone Cold to come out on Raw multiple times over the last couple of weeks. Um, but KO has just been just a, just a master of these promos. Uh, he was stuck in the storyline with, with Seth. Maybe, maybe they need to be the tag champs. Maybe they don't. But I, I just have a feeling now that uh, this Ronda stuff, I think they knew this was going to happen. I, I, I don't think they could promote it as a match. Maybe they were protecting her. Maybe they were protecting him. I don't think this was a last minute, you know, physicals were passed and hey, Stone Cold. But, you know, at, you know, in the group, seeing all the the promotional items that WWE is doing with this beer and these seats and everything, <laughs> I, I just, and then what we saw on Sunday night, it was just phenomenal, man. How could you not, not have this main event or be last at WrestleMania in Texas. Right. It, it was perfect. It was a perfect way to end the night. What did he say, DZ? I think he said, uh, I'm my first match in Dallas. I'm gonna have my maybe I'm gonna have my last match in Dallas too. It was just <laughs> cool stone cold isms and like he it was great, man. It was just it makes me smile so much just thinking about it and talking about it. Yeah, it really uh you know took me back, you know, it uh I mean, he hasn't wrestled in almost 20 years. It means the last time he was in a ring, I was 18 years old. You guys were, you know, Gino, you were probably 15 at the time, 16. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's it's been a while. Um, and for me especially, being a guy that followed him in WCW and was a stunning Steve Austin fan and was into the Hollywood Blondes and having this, uh, you know, him come out here and take the bumps that he took and actually have a no-holds-barred match where he's, you know, literally fighting um, for quite a long time uh, really surprised me. I, di- I didn't think he was going out there for 14, 15 minutes and, and doing all this, um, you know, going up the ramp. There were some real funny spots and doing the things with the ATV and uh, just just a, a ton of fun. Everyone, you know, you get the stunner at the end of the night. Everybody goes home extremely happy. Um, just a, a perfect ending to what was from my money, probably one of the best nights that WWE has had in the last, I'll say, 10 to 12 years. And Andrew, we don't normally want to see the older legends come back all the time, be in the main event 
take a spot away from some of the talent that we really like that are there week in week out. Not nobody had a problem with Stone Cold Steve Austin closing this show out in this spot, going over Kevin Owens in the way that it happened. This was. You hit it all the time. Wrestling doesn't always have to be five star matches. Wrestling's supposed to be fun, and this was fun. And this this was what WrestleMania was. It all weekend long, from from the celebrity stuff to Austin closing the show with the beers to freaking Vince himself finally getting his WrestleMania win. This this was Vince McMahon's <laughs> like the the marching bands, the costumes, the two nights worth a hundred. Probably 50,000 people there between two nights Honestly, like that's not even like a A shoot, that's not even like a A fake number, like legitimately About 70,000 both of those Nights Um, this, this, this was Vince's dream Wasn't it, a weekend like this So, I don't know how this Is going to sound with my horrible microphone But my response To Steve Austin and everything that happened In the main event on Saturday night Of Wrestlemania Oh hell yeah! Oh, <laughs> good. That sounded pretty I, I good. It sounded sort of like Austin. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Um. So no, I loved this. I absolutely loved it. And the thing that I thought was really cool is, first of all, how much trust does WWE and Steve Austin have in Kevin Owens? Because Steve Austin has really? a historically screwed up neck. He's got two bad knees. He's got a horrible back. And also, he doesn't let this on. He can't hear all that well either. So he's usually the guy calling matches and whatnot. How much trust does everybody have in Kevin Owens to put Austin with him and be able to pull something like this out? Credit to Kevin Owens for doing everything that he did. When we were hearing, what was it, about six months ago? That Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn's contract were up And everybody just sort of assumed Because it wasn't like Kevin Owens and Sami were in Awesome positions on the card They were on TV pretty frequently And they were not in bad, bad spots But they weren't really winning a lot of matches They weren't, you know, in the main event KO had been in a program with Roman earlier in the year And Sami had sort of too Sami was doing some good work, but Everyone sort of assumed they're going to go to AEW But you wonder If when they were Having contract negotiations Stuff like this was talked about And said hey KO You know what we got coming up next year Is Wrestlemania in Dallas And we are trying To get Austin back and you already Have the stunner thing Going with him we could really lean into This how would you like to possibly have a match in Dallas with Stone Cold Even for Sammy Sammy, hey, you know what? We got something funny on the line Jackass is going to be coming out They reached out to us They wanted to see if we can get involved with them You want to do something goofy with the Jackass crew It'll really put you in the spotlight in a big way You can have some fun with it You wonder, are those types of things They had conversations with those guys in rooms That may have lured them back here Because it was well, a great weekend for both of those guys It really was so- I think that might well wind up being AEW's legacy is the fact that, look, Vince over the past 10 or 15 years hasn't put that stuff into contracts. He just hasn't. Now we're hearing stuff about Logan Paul needing to be a baby face and Cody possibly having some degree of creative control 
And you start seeing these things with guys like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who were not certain to be re-signing with WWE six months ago. I think people wouldn't have been surprised if Sami had re-signed because it sort of seemed like his bump card was starting to fill up a little bit more. People were definitely surprised when they heard Kevin Owens re-signed after a very short period of negotiations. Now, this was really cool, going back to this match, because there's a point three or four minutes in where Austin takes his first bump in about 20 years. And you can sort of see the wheels going. Like, he takes that one bump and he says, oh, I remember this. I can do this. And then things really start picking yeah. up. You're right, because he, he was slow. It, it was sort of like a slowish pace. And then he quickened up. He definitely yeah. started to pick up the pace Way for sure. Fire up, kid. Uh, now, look. <laughs> I can't put this as a five-star match, but what I did do is I put it at four and a quarter because I could not put it above Becky and Bianca. I just couldn't possibly bring it, bring myself to do that. But for the sake of pure enjoyment and the sake of being able to rewatch that back, and also for the fact that none of us saw anything close to anything like that coming, you can't ask. For much more than what we got, and I'm going to include the post-match stuff because I laughed hard when Byron Saxton got brought into the ring <laughs> and Corey Graves knew exactly what was going to happen. And then Byron Saxton does that terrific sell of the Stone Cold Stunner. It was it great. It was perfect. Very, very great ending to a great night one. Of WrestleMania, we head into night two on Sunday, April the third, and we kick things off with Triple H. Right, Trips Trips H uh, opened up the show, and Trips H left the boots in the ring. I'm sure we'll get more conversations and promos and stuff from Triple H through the years on this, and we'll probably get a sit down Stone Cold podcast episode. But we did get a an opening with a, another big star. In Triple H leaving the boots Out in the ring so um, He had uh, some major health scares early this year This is something that we've talked about over the last Couple of weeks already and um, A way to get the the crowd You know very pumped up to see Triple H And uh, and excited and To maybe share the moment with him where he Officially laced up the boots We'll do a We'll do like a, a look in to uh, maybe we'll pick out a show that's like a, a, a Triple H show. Although, to be honest, some of those some of those aren't the best. Some of those are where the storylines might have uh, been the. Some of those are where it's like ah, maybe, maybe it shouldn't have been a Triple H show. But uh, nonetheless, it feels like the show we're gonna if we do that. Maybe we do one of the Triple H Chris Jericho matches from 2000. That was really good. Yeah, the Austin three stages of hell. The stuff with Foley as Cactus Jack. Maybe. Cactus Jack is really good, and he has a pretty fun. I, I don't know if we've done it. Did, um, he has a fun um, Iron Man match with The Rock where they have a ton of falls. And it's kind of cool yeah, on a pay per view. I remember it's, that one. The yeah. other one that we might want to consider solely because, for as much as he tried to pass himself off as the modern day Ric Flair, it didn't happen except for one night. He got a legitimately good match out of the great Kali. <laughs> nice. I I I look back into that. So I think trip- that was a SummerSlam at some point, but it's a legitimately good eight-minute match. Triple H calls it quits 
And uh, we got DZ a pretty fun tag match to open the show. I mean, there were a couple spots in here that were incredible. All six of these guys are really doing some fantastic work right now. In particular, you know, Randy Orton, Riddle are guys that could be in the world title picture. Randy Orton, you know, one of the greatest of all time. You got Montez Ford, who is knocking on that door now. He's like a single star about to break out. And Gable and Otis. You know, Gable's been doing such a great job. I would not be shocked if we saw, you know, Gable have a good next couple years of of his career now as even like a nice mid card heel singles guy because the work he's doing on the mic, the funny stuff, the goofy stuff, that's the stuff that Vince likes. And then you can wrestle too, so then he he can do it all. This was a good opener. The only reason why it wasn't great was probably because it was eleven minutes and thirty seconds and not like fifteen and a half. If it went a little longer and had a couple more. Minutes of th- those good finishing tag sequences, I would have stacked it even higher. But I really like this match. These are entertaining, and the last couple months they've had a few of these multi-man tag matches that are just fantastic. Yeah, I I, I had this at three and three quarter stars, and if it was a couple of minutes longer, I, it might have got it to four. I, I thought it was highly enjoyable. I thought it was a great way to start the night, um, and. Listen, there there were certain things in, in wrestling and certain things in WWE that no matter how many times you do it, different variations of the way you do it, it gets a pop. And any RKO that you don't expect, whether it come off the top rope or off a flip or whatever it is, the place just explodes. And this time it exploded when Riddle is the one that hit the R because that was a sick, sick spot when he jumped up on the top rope and hit what was a lethal-looking RKO where, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it almost looked like uh, it, it almost looked like Montez Ford's body was like, like his head hit the ground before, like, his legs. Like, his legs were, like, trailing up in the air. It really had a sick look to it. And then, of course, you get the Randy Orton RKO off of the, uh, you know, Chad Gable leaping off the top rope. Place goes nuts. They always go nuts for RKOs out of nowhere. It's one of those things that never gets old for the fans, especially live. Uh, I thought it was extremely enjoyable. And the thing that really I was most happy about, um, I'm not ready for this Orton Riddle thing to end yet. I think it's still fun. Me neither. Yeah, I think it's still fun. I think it's it's still enjoyable. It's good. They're still coming up with new things to do. And as long as they're able to keep this fun and moving in the right direction, I don't want to see one turn on the other yet. And and I'm glad that they didn't start to plant seeds for that or, you know, have a heel turn or anything like that uh, on Sunday night. Every story isn't, doesn't have to be linear. WWE gets in that trap more than anyone, right? They have the template, you know, what's going to happen. They team up, they split up, uh, you know, there, there's some, can they work together? Dissension, you know, all that. We go through like the, the few little templates that they want to put everyone in. Like how cool would it be if these guys just maybe even got separate tag or title matches? Maybe they lost a tag team title match, but they didn't even have a, a breakup. Maybe they just were sort of buddies that sort of floated off. I mean, there are different ways you could do it. We we want to see them have a match. Maybe they have a match of respect, and it's an awesome match that tears the house down, and they give each other a hug at the end. And Riddle beats Orton, and Orton raises his hand and says, "You know, this is for the number one contender spot. You go wrestle for the title." Like. There, there's a lot of cool ways they could do it I don't think they realized that this was going to be Something that was as good And had the longevity and the legs that it did We kept talking months ago 
that this was going to turn Rumble was the time But no, it still doesn't feel like it It doesn't And I hope these guys keep going for a while Because this has rejuvenated Orton again You can see it in his eyes He's pumped, he's excited You can hear it And all these tag teams did a great job And they've all done really good work over the last couple of months So shout out to them In the uh, in the triple threat here And uh, Koopa Loop Are we going to get uh, You know uh, some, some more Gable The shoo 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 I mean, he's, been, he's been doing some great stuff here Has he not? I'm glad he got uh, his Wrestlemania It's just been fantastic I, You know back to Orton You saw what on Monday night when they team with Finn. You can see Orton doing Finn's intro. I am so happy you mentioned that because that was awesome. Yeah. It was. It, it's just great to see Orton. And as much as we want to turn Orton and Riddle, uh, it just seems like they keep rejuvenating this this friendship. And they're just fun. And the match was fun. Um, it, it was a good way to kick off night two. Uh, Randy Orton is just so over with this WWE crowd. Uh, it seems like he can't do anything wrong. Right, team one. And it was interesting to, to see uh, Gable Stevenson get involved here and uh, yeah. you know get, get some moves in with Chad Gable. And Andrew, do we – I know we've had a lot of Orton, of Orton uh, Edge stuff, but do we maybe get a tag team with these two that we've seen with Orton and uh, Riddle now? And we know that Edge and Priest are, are together. I could see that definitely being something we, we could see in the coming months. So before we go much further, I need to take the low-hanging fruit where it's available. Every time Darren talks about the RKO, you know what <laughs> thought goes through my head? <laughs> yes, I know. I know, Andrew. I know. The second pass. <laughs> um, no, it's, it, this was a really good match. Uh, I had it at three and a half, and I might have undermarked it a little bit. I need to go back and rewatch it because it was incredibly high energy. We talk a lot about Montez Ford who's absolutely going to be a star. Let's also give some credit to Angelo Dawkins, who has lost a lot of weight, has gotten into much better shape, and whose in-ring work has really gotten considerably better over the last 6 to 12 months. It really was a case where I think a lot of people were waiting for a Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty kind of thing, where Montez Ford went off into the stratosphere and Angelo Dawkins just hung around for a little while. Dawkins can go, and he's got a lot of charisma, All six of these guys brought it. It was a really fun opener. You get the Gable Steveson moment. This was fun. I enjoyed it. It's just, for me, after this match, the show fell off a cliff for a while. And this was where it felt like the show was unbalanced, right? Because you got night one where everything in the back two-thirds of the show delivered and then some. And then after this match... For me, it, it just it a lot left me wanting more, and we'll, well talk for a most bit more about some of the matches. Yeah, I think for most people, the next spot was probably one of the low points of the weekend, and it's not because Bobby Lashley won or anything. And it wasn't. There are much worse WrestleMania matches, right? But what this was was just a disappointing moment for a lot of us who were kind of okay. You've been sort of giving Omos time. You've been kind of. You put him with AJ for a while. I sort of was like, come on, we wasted AJ for a while for this? You know, we didn't get anything more out of this guy than that. And I do like the pairing that we saw on Monday Night Raw to give MVP to Omos because 
as a baby face I don't think Lashley needs MVP And I do think Lashley's been Cutting a much better promos And he doesn't need to go out and cut a 15 minute promo He needs to just be short and sweet And tell people he's going to kick their ass and, and that works well for him So I mean I'm not really Happy that it feels like This is going to be something that's continuing on I'm I'm glad that Lashley got the win here uh, But DZ I think you know, we all were kind of watching this match and talking about it as it was happening, and it just Omos isn't who they want him to be. He's not the big guy they want to be able to push. He's a guy who would have been, you know, fed to Hulk Hogan in the late eighties, you know, or early nineties <laughs> for like one, you know, house show run or one pay per view or one, you know, Saturday night's main event, and then. Pretty soon it would have been off TV He's someone that would have been fine in the territory days He comes out for a little bit, he looks cool, he's imposing But once you see the guy He's so basic With all of his offense He just And he doesn't really move quickly It's so slow And you feel like you're watching Bobby Lashley Have to kind of like Slow himself down And kind of dumb himself down you know, In, in, the, in the style of match he wants to wrestle just to to keep up with Omos, so that so that Omos can keep up, you know. If I didn't see Omos again for another six months, it, it would have been fine. Uh, I understand what you're saying that you're glad what they did with MVP on Monday, um, and I understand it where you know Lashley doesn't need him now. But I'm not glad from the standpoint that I that means that this is going to continue, and that um, Omos is someone that they still. Are looking yeah. at right now and thinking Oh yeah we should pair MVP with him And, and keep him in a prominent position Because he just yeah. needs a lot of work And if he's someone that you want And you really feel like it You gotta get more out of him in the ring Because if it's built All the way up to that And he couldn't get more than a six minute match On a Wrestlemania stage right there Then I don't You know like Lashley was doing his best out there He was man <laughs> He was trying Bring back the oddities. Yeah, this was Kurgan. You know, <laughs> this was, and Andrew kind of points out, Chad, that they wanted him to be the Braun Strowman. Now, yeah. I think we found out since since Braun Strowman's left that he's maybe not the the most pleasant guy to work with, and maybe a little a little crazy <laughs> himself. You know, yeah. so may, so maybe some of these people that ended up leaving or got cut when people were like, "How did they cut them?" And then we find out some. Some stories backstage or some things or like, oh, yeah. okay. if AWA Maybe it makes, lo- maybe it makes a little more sense Right Yeah, AWA I used to love AWA uh, If AWE is not scooping you up And signing you immediately After your non-compete clause is, uh, is There's up, probably some stench there's, on you There's some red flags here, right What'd you think about um, Omos, Coop? I, I just, I wasn't into it uh, I, I'm with AC here uh, After the first match We, we kind of went it had to be placed somewhere. Uh, I guess it was best to be placed in the be- you know, in the beginning of the show. But I- I'm going to tell you, I-, I know Knoxville and Sammy. A lot of people said it went long. I marked out the entire time because I was a huge Jackass fan. Yeah, and I think with 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 someone like Knoxville in a match like that, where you have a couple people coming in, you have some of these t- these spots. That thing probably got two or three minutes longer than what they would have liked. You know, he he did, and, and then when you see Sheamus and Ridge and New Day going one forty, but I didn't like Knoxville kicking out of some of the finishers 
I thought that was a little far fetched, but oh, the one he he did the exploder suplex yeah. through the table. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh! Like, yeah, that he was, kicked out of that, right? Yeah, uh, that was, I agree. Where I was like, oh, I, wow. I, I I thought it was was very entertaining. But back to Omar, him and MVP. When MVP came out on Monday night, I, I liked MVP when he was the in ring worker. I've seen him a lot of times. He's I, I just. Omos does nothing for me. I, I, I'm I a big guy. I like big guy wrestlers. I was a huge Andre fan, but Omos just does not do anything for me at all. Amen. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. I could have done without this. I could have done without the segment on Raw, but there is a way to salvage it and also find a way to use Bobby Lashley where it's a little bit tricky right now as far as where he fits coming back off the injury that he had. So let's assume for the sake of argument that MVP can still wrestle and is medically cleared. I think he is, right? He's, he's gotten in the ring fairly recently and can bump. If you were to do a tag match with MVP and Omos against Bobby Lashley and G, is there some muscular guy that can't miss that they want to bring up from NXT at some point that could really <laughs> use a veteran rub and someone to teach him how to work WWE style, maybe in a tag team for a little while until they break her up. <laughs> I see what you did. Tell there. me that wouldn't work. If you just have Braun breaker, throw Omos and MVP around for a while that could absolutely work. And if that's where they're going with this more power to them, Literally any other resolution that those segments turn into nap time for me. Omos does absolutely nothing. He's not compelling as a character. He doesn't talk. He has nothing in the ring that distinguishes him from any other seven foot immobile guy they brought in in the past. Nope. And every time I see guys like that, it makes me appreciate guys like Big Show a lot more that could do so much more than what Omos does. And uh, our next match, we got the Johnny Knoxville versus Sammy. And this was one that was a little divisive. And, you know, for example, the four of us on this show, it wasn't as much Andrew's style. And if someone (laughs) didn't like it, I could totally understand, especially if you weren't into Jackass and you didn't understand, and you didn't quite get some of the, the, the references that they were making and some of the, the spots that they were doing. And and I do agree It probably went about two or three minutes longer Than it should have I, And I think that is just because of the timing issues You know with the spots and with people that aren't quite Always in matches Completely agree with Chad's gripe In that you know maybe there were one or two things That uh, Knoxville didn't shouldn't have kicked out of But wow I had fun with this And this is kind of to me what, what I'm always okay with something like this On a Wrestlemania show You know this was fun This was goofy You've got Chris Pontius out there doing the party, party boy. boy. The party boy. When he pulled the when he pulled out the party boy and was just shaking it. I was laughing. And Mc, McAfee during this this match segment was, was on great. fire too. He was, was he fire. was laughing. As he, opposed he, to what court over the top Corey Graves was in the, uh, the next match. Yeah, yeah, the next match, which is a little too much. We got Wee Man out there for a, a body slam. Uh, there was just carnage all over DZ. I mean, we had uh, a finish on a table with m- mouse traps and rat traps. We had a, an oversized rat trap. We had the uh, the boot kicking Sammy right in the nuts. You know, all of all of the jackass stuff 
you know some some of the greatest hits and when when i started funny. when i when i started to see like them taking out some of this stuff i was i watched it in in my house my uh one of my best friends comes over with uh his son and one of my other friends and we're watching it together and i start to see all this stuff and i said Please let the giant hand make an appearance and just knock him. And then when he goes running and it just comes out, just of, nowhere, out of nowhere, we went. Yeah! <laughs> um, I mean, listen, it, it is a completely it, it's a complete uh, comedy routine. It's not really a wrestling match, of course. Um, could I have used it at ten minutes instead of fourteen? Yes, but for me, it was funny. I, I know it's not for everybody. And I wasn't even the biggest Jackass guy. I didn't watch every episode of Jackass. If I if I caught some segments of it and found certain things funny, I found some of it completely ridiculous. But some of the funny stuff like this, I I, I could get on board with. Um, did it go too far? Did it go too long? Maybe. But you know what? Compared to what I thought it was going to be, um, and the way they presented it, and how they got the all the Jackass members involved, and they did all the gimmicks. Uh, I thought they did as good a job, if not better, than than they could have, and I appreciated the humor that went that went into it all. Koopaloop, we were laughing at this uh, for a lot of it. <laughs> I, you know, Party Boy, it, it, what did it for me? And We Man, you know, hey, look, we've all gained a little weight. We Man, uh, they got some bowling <laughs> ball now. Yeah, I was um, gonna say, I don't know if he can be We Man anymore. You know, <laughs> no, yeah. he, it, it was just. If you were into Jackass, th- this was it. Um, the, the big hand was over the, you know, just was the icing on the cake. And again, I, I thought McAfee uh, and the party boy segments uh, were just great. It, it looked, it, it kind of drug on a little bit, but again, you got to give Sammy credit for being involved in this and wanting to be involved in this. Cause a lot of wrestling purists, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be in WrestleMania, you know, why have a segment with, with Jackass? I don't know how many others could have pulled this out uh, like he did. Andrew, that's that's the one thing I would say, and I yeah, I can understand this. The some of the people that would have been ah, you know what? I don't really need something like this on my wrestling show. But I I thought it was really cool for Sammy because one, damn, the guys out there just bumping around and working great, and he's been hilarious setting this whole thing up. And two, you know, Sammy can always have a good match or a really cool four star match with someone, but when is Sammy ever gonna have you know? His clips being shown on Fox and TMZ and all these other, you know, networks. And I got the alert right away on Fox Sports that Johnny Knoxville beat Sammy Zayn, you know, things like that. So <laughs> it's funny to see that it is many people that are the hardcore wrestling fans or maybe people in New Japan or AW would have said, oh, Sammy losing to Johnny Knoxville, this or that, you know, rolling their eyes. But, you know, Sammy loved this. And you know that he was really into this. I guarantee it. And I, I'm sure he was was loving it. He played it great. And he was, you know, he was the IC champ before this. I'm sure he's going to get a nice run or have plenty of really good TV time coming off of this too. So I, there are some of you who might be expecting an angry Andrew appearance here. And I'm not going to do that. I feel strongly both ways here. First of all, I give the utmost credit to Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville, because I don't ever want to see Johnny Knoxville in a wrestling ring. I didn't want to see him before the Royal Rumble, and given the events of the Royal Rumble pool that I have not shut up about, I didn't want to see him after that. (laughs) But here's the but. The stuff they were doing on social media to build up this match, 
from Johnny Knoxville giving out Sami Zayn's phone number to Sami Zayn crashing a movie premiere. It was exceptionally funny. I give them a lot of credit for throwing everything they could at the wall and embracing the absurdity of it. I give them a lot of credit from a showman's perspective. As a wrestling person, if I wanted to watch a Bugs Bunny cartoon, there's about 100 different places I could go. I just didn't. First of all, I should tell you this. I have never watched an episode of Jackass in my life. I was not the audience. Y'all can, you know, boo me for that. I don't care. I just wasn't the audience for this particular thing. I understand, however, that a lot of people really enjoyed it. And I remember looking on Twitter when Wee Man came out. That didn't resonate with me at all. I had no idea who Wee Man was. I had no idea why I should care. But the people that cared, cared a lot. And I will gladly say that, look, for me, this didn't land. Uh, we talk about star ratings and whatnot. I couldn't even rate this. I gave no, it and bad. it shouldn't be. No. Yeah. don't matter for something like this. If you're a Jackass fan, you thoroughly enjoyed it and came away wildly entertained. If you're not, you probably didn't. Uh, this wasn't my thing. I respect the people involved for what they did. I hope Sami Zayn gets rewarded incredibly well for it. But man, if I never see Johnny Knoxville in a wrestling ring <laughs> again, it'll be too soon. And to me, what was the most important was there are things that I see sometimes that I laugh at, but I'm like, oh, that wasn't, or like the crowd didn't like, but the crowd liked this. The crowd was yeah, the super crowd into was it. Into this. I and that no was what, problem with that. and that's what was kind of important at the end, right? If it was, if it was like really silent and they kept going on and on and on and felt like it was dragging and there was schmozzy stuff happening and they were missing spots, but the crowd was loving it and they were no, doing, a, you yeah, know, and look, a- angry Andrew is going to come out in a little bit. When we talk about the match that was supposed to be Saturday night, got put on Sunday and went <laughs> two minutes, angry Andrew is going to make an appearance at that point here though. While jackass isn't my thing. And while I, could have done without seeing it at Wrestlemania it was clearly the thing of enough people to where it worked and I will tip my hat to WWE and Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville for that see nice radical happy ending I like that and what I also liked and what also worked were um, some of the Outfits and costumes that were being worn by the uh, the women in the Fatal Four Way tag team um, match. Yeah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need to stop you right there. Uh, 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 Liv Morgan is burned in my brain. Yeah, uh, li- and, and is going <laughs> and to be in my brain Whew. for a very long time. And by the way, here is the necessary reminder that Enzo Amore cheated on Liv Morgan. What an idiot! And <laughs> this I this work that into every conversation that I can. I hope you do because everybody needs to know that. Um, what a what a good like entrance! Everybody looked fantastic here, DZ, and the match was good. It went almost eleven minutes. I thought the, the women in here a lot of really good workers, as you would expect. Didn't quite hit the next level. I kind of wanted this match to be maybe like a weekend show stealer, but it was not bad in any way, shape, or form. It was very good and. It was fun. I mean, Sasha and Naomi are a fun tag team. Um, I thought Liv and Rhea, they are a fun tag team together. But then what was weird is we had them in a tag match on Monday Night Raw. Rhea and Liv <laughs> lost, but now they're going to get a tag team title match next week after they just lost clean. 
Well, so, I think they're I think they're clearly breaking them up. Yeah. So we're gonna get yeah. Rhea is what we're kind of getting rumored as maybe some sort of a heel turn from her and, and maybe she she shoots up and she can be the next challenger or kind of be jolted back up into the, the singles main event picture. Well, I actually I actually read something that said that uh, that there's speculation and they're tossing around the idea that she's gonna join the edge faction. I, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Which would be interesting. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, the ma- match was good. Uh, was it was it four stars? No. Was it two stars? No. It was somewhere in the middle. Uh, I thought the action was good. I thought they did a good job of keeping things moving. Um, you know, the uh, the double Tower of Doom spot was certainly good. Uh, the you know double Riptide on Naomi was cool. Um, a lot of crazy stuff. Rhea getting sent to the ring post. Uh, you know, a, a lot of guys. Uh, and they're doing the whole finish thing. The heart attack getting broken up. Just I, I felt like it was constantly moving and, and your head was on a little bit of a swivel, which is good in these, uh, you know, these four way tag matches. Um, I was hoping that Rhea and Liv won. I, I was hoping that they got a little bit of a run together. Obviously, it's going in a little bit different direction. Um, I I am concerned because I, uh, I, I really like Liv, not just because of her looks. I, I think she's done a, a lot of good in the last six to nine months. I think she's really hit her best stride, and I'm hoping that this split up doesn't send her back into like oblivion, where she's kind of very in between much a rock and a hard place because yeah. she was with she was in the program with Becky, uh, she was in a program here with Rhea. Where else is her? Where is she to go now? That's my concern because yep. uh, if it's the end of a, of a nice run for her, where she gets lost in the shuffle, that would be. That would be very disappointing, and that's one of the things I took away from from the match and the events of Raw uh, last night. Koopa Loop, what do you think of the uh, the women's tag here? Uh, it was a little let down for me. Um, I, I, I as the match went on, business picked up. Not to steal a line from good old Jr. I I, I thought it was uh, it, it was fine. Uh, I thought it had a chance to to steal the the show. Uh, it didn't. Um, I was pushing for Rhea and Liv. And as DZ said, I, I look, I big Liv Morgan fan and Rio was doing a lot of interviews on uh, radio row or whatever they call it. Now, WrestleMania week, a lot of media. And she said, she just couldn't believe that, that Liv has yet to hold a WWE women's championship. You know, it's, uh, I I'm hoping she's not forgotten. Uh, cause we are going to get a Bailey and an Oscar back here pretty soon. They'll, they'll be cleared. Um, but the match, the match was good. Corey Graves, just his, his bellowing on and screaming and, and I, just over the I top could not, I could just, not care. I just couldn't less. deal with it. I yeah. could not care. Less and I like about Corey Graves and Carmella. I couldn't I like care less her. about me either. He's over just the top stop with it. Man. And it's, it's like, it's go away heat, right? Yes. It's not like yes. heel heat. It's cringy. Yeah. Like, Hey, you're going to make someone want to turn the channel. And then not- Monday night, they're just making out. Yeah. You know, it's that's, just hey, that's stuff. that belongs on NXT. Okay. Yeah, that there was plenty of that on NXT. There's plenty, there's plenty on of that on NXT. Okay. Um, so yeah, Andrew, I I can understand why this point for a lot of people, or and this was really just the problem with the flow of the show in that the Lashley Omos wasn't very good. The Knoxville Sammy was fun, it was well received, but it wasn't a wrestling match. So then you had a section there where there wasn't that much great wrestling. This match 
was not bad in any way, shape, or form. It was above average, and it's funny to say that we're kind of talking about it as like disappointing compared this to what would have been a women's match or segment in prior WrestleManias, right? I mean, this oh, and been- I thought the placement was a little odd for it too, and I think that hurt it. Yeah, you know, coming coming after the the Jackass segment was saying. coming after that after that like kind of more goofy wonky yeah. match and. So, you know, between this and then even the next match And then what's going to happen with Sheamus and Ridge Holland match These two matches, the t- women's tag and Edge AJ Were not bad matches in any way in a vacuum But I wanted more from both of them, Andrew And for me, that's definitely one of the reasons why Saturday night felt a lot more disappointing than sa- uh, Sunday night felt more disappointing than Saturday And a little bit lackluster These two matches were ones that I was personally looking Forward to maybe on my List of like five all weekend long Sure so The women's tag match I liked I thought it was fine I went two and three Quarters on it it was a decent match Yeah that feels right hard You guys are right though the Corey and Carmella stuff needs to stop I understand that they're trying to Build up honestly I'll tell you what it feels like It feels like they're preparing For a situation where Miz goes away and they need another power couple, so they're trying to do the Corey and Carmella stuff. But mm. wasn't it like three or four months ago where we were hearing stuff about Corey Graves being cleared to compete? Yes. And instead of competing and do, bringing him in in a storyline where he would have been a real easy baby face to root for, here's a guy that came up through NXT, was doing things the hard way, Got shut down, made the most of his second chance as a commentator, and now he can compete again. Everybody cheer this guy. Instead, he's doing this, which doesn't draw any money at all whatsoever. And look, Carmella is a fine-looking woman. I understand the appeal, but she's not great in the ring. She's passable on the microphone in small doses. And what you get when you she get is Corey not from Car- Staten Island. <laughs> yes, yes, she is, most definitely is not. So what you get is a situation where you're using Corey and Carmella in capacities that draw no money and make nobody want to see either of them. It's I don't get the mass annoying, thing. and it needs to stop. Now, this match in particular was fine. It served the purpose. I like Sasha and Naomi a lot as a tag team, and I like that they're being allowed to go do some stuff. But I also liked Rhea and Liv, and I'm a little bit upset that that's ending so soon because I thought that was a really good use of, of both wrestlers there. I had this at two and three quarters, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a disappointment because at least you got four teams that went all out, that tried. It was yeah, they, everybody it worked. Was fun. Hard. I think I just wanted it to steal the show a little well, bit more. If, and if I may, if I may use this as a segue to talking do. about AJ and Edge. AJ and Edge wasn't bad either, but man, did that feel slow. And the ending, the ending was just, you know, we wanted that to be a a clean ending. We wanted that to be a match that we would see. You know the clips of at the end where they shook hands maybe afterwards and or uh, there well, was a even lot. If was, you're gonna do the Damian Priest stuff, have a clean finish. You do the handshake thing, and then Damian Priest comes in, wipes out AJ, and you get Edge and Damian Priest doing the pose at the end. You wind up in the exact same place, and nobody cares. I know. But then, 
and, and AJ is is bleeding on the way to the ring. He yeah, walked, we were like he walked into the, the into, did you see the video? Like the 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 underneath walking out underneath the Dallas Star. You have oh, to wow. walk like you have to walk directly underneath the apex where that triangle forms. AJ literally walked right into the Didn't know that. something stupid oh, like man. that. I thought, did I that. say, I said, like, I'll get some scratch. Uh, sometimes it looks like I got punched in the face. It's because yeah. Milo scratched me when we were just messing around. It's like, oh, my two-year-old son got me right there. My bad. It That was that was funny. He looked like, what was it, Hogan 93 WrestleMania coming <laughs> in with the black eye or with the black eye, you know? It's like, the, it was a boating accident, you know, and everybody was and joking. By, about by the it. way, Dave Meltzer put out like two minutes after he came out, uh, uh, AJ got cut by the pyro. And then it was oh, pointed geez. out to him repeatedly that he was not cut by the pyro, where people uploaded the video of AJ literally walking into this thing and you see him put his hand on his face like, oh shit. You know, and Meltzer never took down the tweet. Of course, never of took course. down. The tweet. That guy was wrong on half of the uh, most of his WrestleMania predictions. I honestly think he just makes stuff up now. I really I do. Too. What, I, I do too. Well, because I think what what ends up happening is you just think about the. I sometimes I think it's just information. You sort of think about the people that are giving information. I think sometimes they're just giving you bad information, <laughs> you know, and just sort of like messing uh, sometimes. And I don't really like reporting. Stuff because of that I hate like going in With like if anybody's ever given me Information even when I was at TVG about Stuff I, I hate like breaking the news I'm like what if that person just gave me bad Info you know yeah. I just like I'll just yeah. wait for it to come out I don't know Who's telling me that Broberg's on uh, He's claiming this one uh, in the yeah, third I know, right? downs, and it, He's really not <laughs> Hey I, I know this match wasn't Five star but you guys didn't think this was A good slow storytelling Build of a match Yeah JJ yeah I, I, I don't. Too, I thought it was too slow. Yeah, if, I had it at three. It was yep. fine, but I wasn't expecting fine. I was expecting two of the best workers of the last thirty years going out there and tearing it up. I and totally for me, agree. For me, I totally AJ, agree. For me, it was AJ Nakamura all over again. Yeah, I can send. I can see that because it's the build, and it just sort of reminds walky build, man. It was. Yeah. Even when Seth got involved, memory wrestled AJ for the for this slot. I didn't the like build that wasn't either. smooth, and then you've got, you know, it's it's a hype that it this this one I can I can say that WWE actually it wasn't their fault because they didn't announce this as like the greatest wrestling match ever, right? <laughs> we, that. we all just <laughs> wanted this to be that, right? We all wanted this to be the match of the weekend. They did that with the main event, though, with Brock and Roman, right? This is going to be the greatest WrestleMania match ever, the or the way, biggest. We, we have to. We also have to recognize the fact that maybe we're setting up to be disappointed because it's not like I mean these two guys, as good as Styles is, okay? They're Styles both 40? is probably forty. Styles what are they? Is probably five years past his prime. Yeah, Ed, Edge is That's probably Edge is probably fifteen years past his prime. You know. And I'm not saying that they're bad, but but they may be best with the with an opponent that can sort of I don't want to say lift them, but just maybe a younger one to kind of build off. Both of I mean the Edge Rollins stuff all just seemed a lot better than this. One hundred percent. I mean AJ right? for for my money, one of AJ Styles' best matches was the title match against Roman that he had. Like Absolutely, that was ago. a good match. That was yeah. great, and and it it's. 
we've seen AJ have some good TV matches recently, but, act, but to be fair, we haven't really, you know, he's been in the tag stuff with Omos for a while. We haven't seen AJ in that, like, let's have a banger right now. And uh, hopefully we'll get the chance to see that coming up sometime from AJ. So, you know, Andrew, you know, kind of final thoughts on uh, this Edge AJ as we move forward. Well, unfortunately, it can't be a final thoughts thing because this is something where instead of serving as a blow-off for a feud between two Hall of Fame-type guys, it's starting something else, and I'm not crazy about where it's going, but it's been wonky so far, and usually those things don't get off the ground so well. Man, I, I understand that we didn't want a babyface versus babyface type of match and that that would have been wonky too. I thoroughly understand that, but it just, it it seems like we ought to get a do-over of what we got here. And hopefully, had we gotten that do-over, we'd have gotten a four-star match instead of a three-star match. And maybe Darren is onto something because we've got two guys that are in their 40s and may just not be capable of dealing that kind of match anymore. But when you told me that AJ Styles and Edge were going to be going against each other at WrestleMania, you can't help but get excited over something like that. And it's just a shame that it was just okay, rather than the kind of match that I think a lot of people expected. I don't know how much better Damian Priest, AJ Styles will be either, to be honest with you. No, no. And and I like Priest. By the way, Damian Priest is almost 40. Just saying. Yeah, it's not as if if it's not as if he's a young and up uh, up and comer either so we'll uh we'll see the direction that they go after we saw that continued on uh, on Monday night raw and then andrew i want to you know hit this one with you because the one thing i wanted you to be right about all weekend long was the reason why this match was on wrestlemania because it it made no sense that you add this match late w- with Unless that, unless there's going to be Biggie showing up, and I don't mean Biggie coming down and getting involved in the match, but Biggie just walking out, getting to wave, having you know some moment there, cutting a little promo, I don't know something along those lines. It felt like that had to be the reason why, in the last week or in a half, they decided to shift this match onto the card. But we get Sheamus and Rich Holland with Butch. Beating the New Day in a minute and 40 seconds In Mm. a tag match that was initially pushed From the Saturday card Because they sort of mistimed Saturday And a few things ended up going along there This thing went a minute and 40 seconds We got I mean why do you even mention Big E When you come out They mentioned Big E They talked about Big E Like you were going to have the baby faces win And then you don't I didn't get any of this Or the reason why this was at Mania they even wore the wrestling gear as a tribute to Biggie. Biggie's gear. And Andrew, I mean, you you were the one that said, is the reason why? Because Biggie, I wanted this you to be right here. And I I just didn't like the, the way this was handled at all. This made no sense. And in fact, it felt sort of disrespectful to Kofi and and Sheamus, honestly. Two guys who have been like good veterans. It's like, hey, if you're gonna put us on the mania card, give us more than this minute here. Let us actually go or just don't even put us on it. Yep. I have so many problems with this, and I'm going to tackle them all one at a time. 
Oh, jeez. I'm going to be I here for 20 minutes in a minute. Start the coffee. It's not going to be, <laughs> not gonna be 20, but I wouldn't bet against five. Now, <laughs> I don't know what tier of member of Peacock any of you are, but I got the Seamus Snickers commercial six times each night. Wait, there's a it's, tier? I didn't even know that. Yeah, if you pay extra, you get, instead of commercials, you get, like, different little featurettes. And it's not worth it, but it's there as an option if you want it. I'm apparently so, not a very high tier, then. It, it's, <laughs> I think it's an extra five bucks a month. It is. It's five ninety nine, and then an extra five. For some yeah. reason, I'm that tier. So, I get Peacock for free because I have Xfinity Internet. Thank goodness for stuff like this. So... We get the Seamus Snickers commercial six times. It's not a good commercial. And if you remember the old days when WWE would have endorsement deals with certain companies, they would make three or four commercials using three or four different sets of talent. Like they would have The Rock doing something. They'd have Big Show doing something. They'd have Triple H doing something. And they'd rotate the ads in and out so that it didn't necessarily get overexposed. If I never see that Seamus Snickers commercial again, I'll be a very happy man. Now, this match was supposed to go on Saturday. I'm not pushing for a 20-minute thing with these guys. I'm just not. I understand that's not going to happen. Look at all of the time that was spent on non-wrestling things on the Saturday show. You're telling me you couldn't have scrapped a minute here, 90 seconds there, another 45 seconds here, whatever. And you're telling me they couldn't add a six or eight minute match on night one. What would have actually resulted in stuff getting paced a little bit better. I understand stuff's going to go long and that's thoroughly fine. Stuff happens. And the wrestling we got on night one was good enough to where I can sort of forgive it. If your solution to them not getting that six to eight minute match on night one is to give them a two minute match on night two, you're doing it wrong. And again, it's not like there weren't places they could have cut. Gee, Knoxville, Sammy, let's make that 10 minutes instead of 14. Boom, Mm -hmm. that's an extra four minutes. Let's, instead of having The Undertaker stand out there for five minutes, he stands out there for three. Okay, that's another two minutes. And all of a sudden, instead of two minutes, you have an eight-minute match that has the potential to be reasonably okay. Instead, what we got was a match that I put at zero stars and I might have overrated it because also (laughs) here's my biggest problem. My biggest problem is the best in ring technician in the entire match was standing outside the ring in a stupid outfit. And instead of being named Pete Dunn, which he was named for the first six or seven years of his WWE career without incident and with an incredibly distinguished resume, He's named Butch. I hate every single bit of this. Kill it and kill it with fire. Yeah, I don't, I don't, the one thing I don't mind, I'm, I'm okay with the gimmick changes and stuff. That doesn't really bother me because that's what WWE has always done. We just saw them do it with Gunther. And in six months, we're not even going to, I mean, we're going to remember he was Pete Dunn, but Butch isn't going to feel weird if, if, if he's given, you know, if he's given a run, I'm not saying he's going to be the world title, the world champ, but if he's given at least some respect, we'll be okay with it. If not, then we're going to go, 
The moment he was changed to Butch It was all downhill from there Everything else about this DZ I thought was like Just kind of embarrassed Like why he do it what, what was the point Get him a payday I mean literally I, I don't know Um there, listen, I I can't. And you're not uh, on pay per view anymore. You're literally on the network. So if you wanted to go four more minutes to give these guys right. five minutes, you could. Yeah. No, I listen. I I totally agree. Uh, I echo all of Andrew's sentiments. And uh, you know, for I mean, you think about where Kofi Kingston was just three years ago. Um, and Jamis, now he's in a, they both were been world champs at WrestleMania. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now you got him in a squash <laughs> match. Uh, you know, with with Pete Dunne looking like he just fell out of I, I don't know peaky blinders um, hey, you see uh, you see I gotta you, know, you gotta did you hear the news did you hear the news you see you see yeah. <laughs> it, it uh, was... before we go much further the one thing I do want to point out is I believe it was Kofi had an all-time line on the pre-show where he referred to the members of this trio as butch botch and bitch that's oh, yeah. I feel like we should talk about that that was oh, good. good. That's yeah, very that's good. good. There you go. The the one the one highlight that came from this match. Yeah. Yeah. I I really don't have anything positive to say. I feel bad, especially for Kofi and Sheamus, but being in this spot. Coop, this just this didn't do well for anyone. No, and you know me. I I'm not the biggest New Day fan, but it was just uh, it was it was embarrassing. Um, I, I, they boy they've taken the the crown away from. Xavier, he's no longer King Xavier. Zelina still has her crown. Uh, that crown's gone from him. I, it just seems like, oh, okay, if we're not going to get Big E, uh, then at least let them go over. They were squashed, embarrassed. And Sheamus spent most of the minute 40 chasing after Butch, who was going after. And there was a spot that was missed or miscalculated during the thing. Um, this Look, most of the quickest i looked it up most of the quickest matches in wrestlemania history are under a minute so so this isn't um this doesn't qualify as one of the quickest but this isn't a, a low point uh with with all this talent in the ring being in, in an embarrassing position um to be at wrestlemania God, this was this was like rough. we said you could have think about you literally could have taken this group of five guys with Ricochet and Finn Balor and Damian <laughs> Priest and put the eight of them in a ladder match and, and put like Darren said put yeah. both titles up there and strung them show. up and let Yo. those guys go and you could have been and all eight of them would have at least felt like it was worth it you could have had their their feuds and their stories being played out in that match and it was just a bummer although it did lead to what was the highlight of the night, in my opinion? <laughs> what we got over the next. Now the the we got the Pat McAfee Austin Theory match. We got Mr. McMahon, you know, taking <laughs> taking the shirt off and 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 busting out the tank top. And I will say, we didn't need the match of with McMahon. We didn't no. need it. It could have been McMahon, you know, beating down McAfee, getting some. Punches in kind of laughing around And doing the heel shtick But I do think when people Saw that referee come out there There was that moment where everyone went Oh my gosh we're really getting Vince Right now in a match At Wrestlemania at this age And it, it, in, in true 
you know, like Hogan sense, right? Like one of his all time partners, DZ. Vince has to get over at WrestleMania one time. <laughs> Vince was not going to be able to go down in the record books without having gotten over one time at WrestleMania. This is his first actual win ever oh, all of his media <laughs> matches. And <laughs> so in the books, it'll go down as Vinnie Mac having the win. But we'll get to that part afterwards. To begin, McAfee was great here, man. From the, the entrance with the, the cheerleaders and the you know punt in the ball when he came out, and you know that he takes this seriously, and you know he's been a fan like all of us since he was a kid. And this, as we were talking and joking about, this would literally be like if Vince came up to one of us and was like, hey, you get about 15 minutes out there. What do you want to do? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I'm gonna win this match. I'm gonna do all this crazy stuff. I'm gonna get the pin. Then you're gonna come out. I'm gonna wrestle you. You're gonna get the win over me, and then Austin's gonna come and save me. We're gonna drink <laughs> beers, and then Austin's gonna stun me. But afterwards, I'm gonna be just sitting there drinking more beer on the floor. It was like <laughs> it was like a fever dream for and let's not forget spitting the beer out like a fountain on the stunner self. on the stunner is amazing. He did all this in Jordans too. That spot on the top rope, uh, that backflip, and then he jumps to the top rope uh, with Theory. That was holy insane. cow, man! That yeah, was insane. I, I mean, I know, I know. Theory supports him when he gets up there. Sure, but sure. to but but to get from the canvas to jump onto the top rope. If I tried that, I I would be in the hospital. We'd hit middle I, and go face first into the post. Oh, wow. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even come close. I would hit. I would hit my face on the middle turnbuckle. Middle turnbuckle. I wouldn't even come close. Yeah. And I was worried about this match because I thought it, it may be too big for Austin Theory. And this was the highlight of night two, man. This this was just theory was great. Theory was, was great. They were here. both great. He was. He theory, was a theory great might have oil. theory might have come away with the best Stone Cold Stunner sell that I've seen. He since did. The he rock, did. You know. Now yeah. look, I, I hate what he did on Monday night again. Yeah. Poor Finn has just been buried to all get and Like out we said, okay, title, so if you like, and and if you, you know, just the put way the that, title on him, right? Yeah, we saw the way that he was presented here. He loses to McAfee, but he comes out looking good, and way more people know Austin Theory now than they did a week ago. And if you like him, and he's the guy that you want to go with, and if it's him. And then on SmackDown, it's you know someone else. Why put those titles on Ricochet and Finn if those aren't your guys? We love Ricochet and Finn. When I when it happened, I think all of us were like, "Oh, great, T- totally under underutilized wrestlers who are going to get a chance." But we they're were not. sitting there going, "Oh man, who are they going to be fighting in Mania? What are they right? going to do?" Yeah, we're like, "Oh, these are going to be the show stealers," and yeah. neither one of them are there. That worked out. So put it on Theory. He's a perfect guy to have the U.S. title. Right. I thought there was a moment I thought Vince was going to turn on Theory. I thought, yeah, okay, th- th- this is this the storyline is over, and then and, uh, man, no, it wasn't. And great stuff from McAfee. And then after he gets the win, Vince McMahon is furious, <laughs> and Vince and and Austin sort of and uh, Austin Theory sort of double team him, and Vince gets in there, then has a match. Basically, it's uh, awful. Awful. Vince takes off his so bad. Vince takes off his uh, his jacket and his, and his shirt and his tie, and he gets in the ring. And I mean, McAfee is trying to Shawn Michaels, you know, here like against Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam. Yeah. <laughs> he's just trying to bump all over the place, and he's flopping around like a fish. And McMahon's, you know, really 
playing the the heel shtick. He's doing the Vinnie Mac stuff. He gets the win, which was I still can't believe that he had to get he had to get the pin with, here. So with he a, with a punt to the side. He's got to get the pin. He kicks him with the ball. He punts the ball into him, and he <laughs> he gets the pin. And then after the match, as they continue to beat down Pat McAfee, we were all talking in the chat. And I was thinking because we had heard that it was going to be that Shane McMahon might be around. I thought this might have been a good moment for Shane to come out against Dad. But DZ, you called this one right away. You said it's got to be Austin, he, the right? Minute, the minute he came, he get went in the ring. Yeah. I just kept saying, "Where's got to be Austin? Break? Where's yeah, the call. glass break? Then, Where's the glass break?" And it went on for you know the, their match. You know, Vince. You know, Vince. I don't know if you noticed, Vince gave it away. He screwed up. Yeah, he, he did. Oh, he looked man. early. I said you yep, could see it because the early. music. They played Austin Theory's music at the end of the match instead of you know, and so when that started, Vince looked back. A little premature, you know, yep. a premature Peter there for Vinnie yep. Mac. <laughs> but that yeah. was the that was the part that was a little off, and you know the the four minutes of Vince in a in a match with McAfee. Well, yeah, that shouldn't have happened. No, but but just for the whole like spectacle of like we saw Vince McMahon in a match and Stone Cold in a match, non tele like non promoted matches. Which is, is nuts to think about Because if you would have promoted those two matches They probably would have sold more tickets No doubt about it But they didn't I, The way they did it was great Because the Vince If, if you promoted the Vince match It would have been bad Because it, we, we would have ne- it would have underdelivered. And for Austin The reason why we feel so good about it too Was because we didn't really know And we didn't really know what we were going to expect And I, so I think with both of the way they did these, it was much better to the under promise over deliver. Not even that the Vince thing over delivered, but the segment sure did. And well, the the only problem with Vince, we got to talk about this. Oh, the stunner! My <laughs> God, was that oh, awful! God. And it, by the way, for those of you out there in podcast land, if you haven't seen Mick Foley's reaction to Vince taking the stunner, you need to. Because it is Mick Foley turning into a 12-year-old boy that has just heard a bad word for the first time and can't stop laughing. That's the reaction that he gives to Vince McMahon taking the stunner in the worst possible way. Which, it's one of those things where, doesn't muscle memory take over? How many stunners has that guy taken? But he was always bad. 25 years? He was was always always terrible, though. He was always bad at him. He yeah, never he's, knew. He always duck. Yeah, it was like a lame duck. Like he fell forward. He didn't know how to bounce. It was, it was, and <laughs> it looked. I was worried because it looked like he, like his legs got buckled. You know, when he took it, like he went down to his legs, but then he, like, it was like he, they went backwards and got like hyperextended almost. I was like, oh no, did he blow out his quads again? <laughs> he, is he going to even be able to get out of this ring? And Austin was laughing at him. He was laughing and. Can we give some credit to Austin too? Because, I mean, he was probably sore and from the night before. Hell, like he worked and took some bumps that he hadn't done in years. I'm I'm sure on that neck and on that back. And he comes out there the next night. He has a good time. The the crowd was loving it. Him and McAfee drinking the beers. The the stuff with you know the the stunner to McAfee pouring the beer. How McAfee was afterwards. I mean, this was. Like we said, you take the ringing of the bell part out of it for the Vince match and DZ. This was this was another 
WrestleMania moment. We're going to see the McAfee drinking beer. We're going to see Vince in the awful stunner, probably. We're going to see Austin laughing. We're, we'll see a lot of these clips played back for years to come. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was a lot of fun, highly entertaining. And, and the theory uh, McAfee match was actually good. And uh, McAfee's had a couple of, you know, the war games that he did. I mean, he is delivered in just about every opportunity that he's been given. Uh, I'm not sure how much more in-ring work he's going to do, and I'm sure there's going to be spots that are going to come up. a year, right? Yeah. Yeah. He feels like but that could, you know, if he got involved in Mania and SummerSlam or the Rumble, the Rumble Mania, and have a little yeah. run, too. You know? I, have no, I have no objection. I have no – the guy – listen, the guy's an athlete. When they take um, it seriously, we as fans – we appreciate that. That's all we want, right? We want them just to act like, hey, this is something that we invest our time in and we care about. If you're going to get in here, can you at least buy in and care about it for the time that you are? And man, with him and Logan and it started like last year with Bad Bunny, I think he raised the ceiling for some of them. They were looking at what he did. And they're like, man, this guy, he put on a show. We really have to do that. And he said, this is. This is the third time for McAfee, right? The War Games match and the Cole match that he's been really good. Absolutely. He's delivered every time and he's enjoyable. Um, you know, I, 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 and I just appreciate him because he's clearly just having the time of his life out there. And, uh, and it comes across that way. And, you know, maybe sometimes he goes a little bit over the top, but 95% of the time I, I really enjoy what he's doing. And he's become a, a you know, a, a double threat. You know, he's, he's a threat on the, Microphone as a, as a commentator And he's a, a threat in the ring to deliver A, a really good match on, on the Biggest stage and uh, I was happy for him He uh, he clearly put a ton of work In and it paid off And, and if I may jump in uh, now go ahead, go ahead Andrew go ahead um, Let's also not forget the other guy in the match Austin Theory is 24 Years old 24 And WWE doesn't have a lot of, of those Types they don't no, have a lot yeah. of really young Guys with huge upside right now You said you know you think about Riddle and Priest and some of them Finn Balor those guys are a lot older than You would think yep that's for Sure and if they keep Austin Theory on the right Path that's a guy That's going to be a megastar for Them that can work either Face or heel he's got a Good look he can work with pretty Much anybody I mean This was a guy that Yeah he's goofy and he pulls off Goofy really well, but if you also need a serious wrestling match, this guy can really, really go. And he was the right guy to put in there because 10 years down the line, McAfee is still probably going to be this huge celebrity doing all the stuff that he does. And Austin Theory should be a multiple-time WWE champion. Like That's how high the ceiling is for both of these guys. It was really cool to see that I could have done without the Vince stuff. If it was just Vince running in after the match, him and Austin theory beating down Pat McAfee, then you get Vince doing the stupid stuff with taking his shirt off and doing the tank top thing. And then Austin comes out without the bell ringing. I'm okay with that. That stuff just went about five minutes too long for me, but all everybody wanted at the end of the match was for stone cold Steve Austin to come out and stun Vince McMahon. We got that. All kind people of. wanted out of McAfee and Theory <laughs> was for was for Mac, We was kind for of. Match. We got it. I mean, it's tough to complain too much with what we've got. It's take out the five minutes between 
when the McAfee theory match ends and when the glass breaks. And I think you've got something that's almost perfect. Hot take, Gino. Uh, you mentioned McAfee and Cole, how good that was. What we saw Sunday Cole was night fantastic with, during this match. That's a He good. was. Yeah, he, he was. Um, I, I think he, he helped elevate this match. Now I'm going to talk about the other Cole, Adam Cole. Um, we saw McAfee and Adam Cole in NXT put on a hell of a hell of a match for for McAfee not being a full time wrestler. What we saw on Sunday night, do you think it's been more important and more impressive than what Cole has done going over to AEW with the Hangman Page and the Orange Cassidy? Gosh, you know you'd have to feel like you I'm know, just being. I think so. Cole Cole's got him. Cole has gotten a main event match, right? He's got a title match, which is which is good. But he never really felt like he was going to win it, right. and yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those things like we say where it depends on who you are and what's important to you and what you want. But I don't know how anyone in the wrestling kind of business could have watched some of the things over the weekend and not at least felt like there was somewhere on that card that they would have wanted to be on yes. and felt like yes. I could have been in that role and that would have been. As cool of a night as possible in the wrestling world, right? Maybe you didn't want to be in the Knoxville match, but you would have been fine in, uh, you know, in the tag match or in one of the other matches that ended up, you know, having a really nice work rate. So I, I do agree with you. I think you look around and you and when when WWE does things well like this match with McAfee with Theory, the stuff with Vince at the end too. It just nobody can touch them. Who, who Nobody, called? Who was it? DZ and 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 Eugenio. You said that this would would still uh, definitely. You could, you could sense the way kudos. that the show was going, right? Kudos. Like after that that AJ match. That was me, quite, by the way. I did. Oh my that. bad. Thank you. My bad. I think if we look through the group chat, we can probably <laughs> find out that it was uh, me. So I didn't want to take credit and pat myself on the back because you know Andrew you know, does let's that. Listen back to, well, let's listen back to last week when everybody else was talking Go about the tag match and the women's tag. That was me. I was the one that said McAfee theory on night two. Goldberg. You know, if we're gonna, if you're gonna knock me for Goldberg, you gotta give me credit when I get things right. And we give, uh, we'll give Andrew credit. We'll give Pat McAfee and Austin Theory plenty of credit. That was really great work from the both of them. As we headed to the main event, the winner takes all match for the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship. And Darren, Brock and Roman are both good wrestlers, badasses. This match went about 12 minutes. If it would have been 15 to between 15 and 20, and we had another like level or two, I think we would have just thought a little bit better about it because it felt like nothing that happened in the match was bad. I don't think anything was bad. It just sort of felt a little bit anticlimactic to me. I don't even mind the way the finish was done with the sort of. Looked like he had the arm injury But now what's, it's sort of hard for me to grade this match Wondering if there should have been a few extra minutes If they did cut it short You pointed something out on social media Where it looks like Brock called for it Whether it was because Brock himself was hurt Whether it was maybe Brock noticed that Roman was And said, hey, let's just go home now You know, um, wh- whatever the reason being It did seem like there was probably a little bit more Left in the match Now all that being said The match was good It just wasn't what you probably would have wanted For your main event title match 
you know, uh, combining the titles, you're promoting it as the biggest WrestleMania match of all time. That's the only thing. No real issue with any of the work at all. I thought it was, you know, three in a three and a half range, personally, and one of the better matches on the on the show. Just again, didn't quite take that next step for me. I thought it was. I thought it was on its way. Um, the stuff I outside. I do too. The, because the, the emotion in this in this match was much better, and the story that they had in this match was the best story yep. that they've told yes. in any of their versions. Yep. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It was, and the match was well paced. Uh, I thought the low blow spot was good. I, it fits Roman's character. I had no. Pro- I know. I know. Mania. We like everything to be clean, but. It was early enough in the match that you didn't really feel that it was an impact on the outcome. I don't want yeah. somebody to get pinned directly no. after a low blow, but I don't mind it as part of the story in the middle of the match. Um, and then we got, you know, we had the, the they, they're hitting their big moves. They go outside. You have the spot going through the barricade, come back in, some more big moves. Um, you have uh, Brock put on the Kimura lock, which is a great spot. Um, you hear Heyman pleading with Roman. Um, Roman saying that his shoulder is out and it felt like to me that there was probably a couple of more spots that got that, that, that were left out. My feeling is there was probably another F five kick out that was left out. And there was probably a, uh, Roman submission guillotine that was left out. And maybe that was left out because there was an injury. Uh, and maybe there'll be a, a time that we see in a documentary at some point down the road because the finish certainly came very abrupt uh, out of nowhere. Roman hit that with these matches, man. Yeah. It came, it it, it really caught me off guard. caught all of us off guard that we, that were watching it in my house. Um, Now it was, it was a hellacious spear. Uh, You know, Brock sold it. Great. It was, it was a tremendous spear, but it felt like there was that there was something more. And by the way, you mentioned the fact that when I was watching the video, I saw as Brock was getting Roman off the ground, you see him say the words go home in Roman's ear. It's clear as day. Um, so Brock called the finish for whatever reason. We don't know at this point. And the finish was the WrestleMania 34 finish, but it was it was just not. It was Roman hitting the spear after throwing Brock off the ropes, whereas at WrestleMania 34, Roman uh, Brock picked him up out of midair and hit the F5 and pinned him. So it was the almost finish that we already saw uh, from four years ago. If you would have gotten another three, four minutes here and a couple of more big spots, would have been a high three to four. Star I was going to say you're probably at a four star match and you're not, yep. you know, you're yep. probably there. But I think it's and just. I, I personally thought that the match was going to end. I thought the finish was going to be a Brock uh, Undertaker SummerSlam finish where I thought Roman was going to put him out in the guillotine and just kind of choke him out. And Lesnar was going to, you know, give some kind of a bad gesture or or something was going to smile on the way out or smile. on. I thought that would have been a good finish. Um, But we got what we got. It was cut short, unfortunately. Uh, It was a great story. I, I enjoyed the 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 entire story leading up to it, I, I would have liked to have had three of three or four more quality minutes in the match. Now, uh, Koopa Loop, what did you think about this one and the way we ended on Sunday night? Man, how big 
of a fight feel that this actually it did. feel during these introductions, them coming to the ring. It was like a massive. The, uh, go it back wasn't to bad the, again. Like it was no. going to come off like we're saying that I'm saying this. No, is no, bad. no. It wasn't bad. It just you know it, the abrupt this is ending. The main it, it, event it, it, of your weekend. You want this thing to be a huge ending with a big, big. And it just didn't feel like that. They didn't get to end it the way they had planned or wanted it, right? It just That's- felt just so massive. Like this was the biggest title fight in mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, boxing in a long time. And how many times can Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns headline or have a mania match and it feel this way? And how great was Brock Lesnar introducing himself? I just thought that was fantastic. I thought it was amazing. Andrew. What do we think when uh, we close this thing out? I think we all kind of went, really? That was sort of it. You know, not not bad. It wasn't a wrestle crap or awful match. The ring work was great. I am not always, my personal favorite isn't necessarily just a finisher, 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 finisher type match. I like a little bit more of a story, which I think there was a story that was told, but it sort of starts with that immediate sort of finisher kind of, you know, um, near fall, near fall. It's it's weird. I just this this is what was, in my opinion, a little bit of a letdown about Sunday. Not a bad night in any way, shape, or form, but just a lot of the things that I wanted didn't really hit the points that I wanted them to hit. And we got things on Saturday night that very well exceeded my expectations. So I had this main event at three and a half stars, and. I feel like there's some people out there, not necessarily you guys, but in the internet wrestling community that need to be reminded that three and a half stars is pretty darn good and that we've gotten spoiled by a lot of shows and a lot of different companies that are putting on matches beyond anything that we've ever seen. Now, the spot that I love that is going to get completely and totally forgotten about, I thought this was genius was the spear by Roman that Brock turned into the Kimura. Oh, yeah. That was seamless. It was spectacular, and that got me out of my seat. And even though I think we all knew Roman was winning in some form or fashion because of Brock's contract and the limited dates that he works, I bought it. And that's the biggest compliment that I can give that kind of a match where you know what the outcome is going to be, or you think you know, and there's something that happens that goes, wait a minute, maybe, and then they went home. And clearly something seemed amiss enough to where Brock said, go home. We might not know for a little while as to what that was. I thought this was a very good match. The problem with this match, and in a lot of ways the problem with the Sunday show is, There's not anything that I'd be in a hurry to go back and watch again, with the exception of the McAfee stuff, because that was just so off the wall and and by and large so well done. And it's not like it was a bad show. It's just I don't know if I want to go back and rewatch a lot of that. Whereas with night one, I have gone back and rewatched Cody Rhodes' entrance four or five Hmm. times. I will go back and I will rewatch the Becky Bianca match because that was so well done. I'll go back and I'll rewatch the Miz and Logan Paul tag match just to see how they did that. And of course, you go back and you rewatch the Kevin Owens, Steve Austin stuff. It's a case where we got an A plus on night one. 
hands down one of the best nights of programming WWE has produced in recent years. And it's thoroughly fantastic and it's wonderful. And we're hard on WWE sometimes when criticism is warranted. I know I'm referred to as angry Andrew because I get worked up sometimes. But the root of the frustration that I have and that I think a lot of people who are passionate about watching wrestling have is you see nights like that and you know WWE is capable of getting to that level where nobody else in the world can touch them. And you wonder why we're forced to endure a lot of the crap that WWE puts out on television. See also Ezekiel on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> and that was it. See, Andrew, I like where I like the way you put that because you weren't even really blaming. And it was like I don't think we could even really blame WWE for no, night, night two for night two not being quite as good as night one because there were just a couple matches that maybe just didn't deliver. And that really wasn't their fault. They couldn't really control that there might have been an injury in the main event that cut it a few minutes short. They couldn't really control that maybe the AJ Edge didn't quite pick up to the pace that we wanted, or maybe nothing really jumped out and stole the show from like a five star match kind of way. But it wasn't bad. It wasn't as if they put bad stuff out there. The matches were bad. It just wasn't no. quite as good as as night one. Which your point is. Damn, can't we get that Not every week But a little bit more often Where it just feels like you're putting A little bit more effort in Than it feels some weeks Build to that crescendo A couple times a year I mean, that's what the point of the big four shows Originally was, right? WrestleMania, the Rumble, SummerSlam, Survivor Series You built to those crescendos And there were those kind of blow-off shows And occasionally you'd get lightning in a bottle at a smaller show. And I'm not saying that you need to blow your wad every single week on every single show because there's just too much programming to be able to do that. And that might be a reason for some of this stuff because a lot of the stuff that gets out there just gets out there to fill time. But my goodness, you know it's there. You know it's there and you know it when you see it and it is absolutely wonderful. When you see it on your television, I was proud to be a wrestling fan on Saturday night. And I don't know how many times WWE in the past five years has made me feel that way. It hasn't happened a whole heck of a lot, but you know, it's there and you love it when you see it and you feel that way and you get goosebumps going up and down your body. It reminds you of how much joy you feel when things get done right. I mean, Gino, you said it yourself. Saturday night, you're in a bachelor party in Dallas with a whole bunch of guys who were lapsed wrestling fans. They didn't watch the current product. They didn't care. When the glass broke, they freaking cared. It's magic when it's done right. And that's what was so good about Saturday night. And it's not that Sunday night was bad. It was just, it was a B minus after an A plus. Yeah. By the way, I just, before we get away from the Roman match entirely, one thing I wanted to add. Um, I was surprised after the introductions where Brock got a huge pop coming out. I was surprised by the, what I would call a pretty noticeable positive response to Roman winning. Yeah. Uh, I think they were play people played along, right? It wasn't as if yep. they were cheering him through the match. Yep. You know, he was getting the booze yep. for the, the, for the heel spots, but I think it was like, okay, I think people 
are liking this Roman's run, his reign, well, right? Roman's then, reign. And, and then know. on Monday night, yes, he comes out in the last segment and be still my heart. But <laughs> on the Raw after WrestleMania, you've got the crowd chanting, Roman, Roman, yeah. Roman. That yeah. floored me. That was cool. Because this is a guy that's now, remember, this is a guy that the main criticism was never his work in the ring. It was never the fact that he couldn't do the job. It was the fact that he was presented as the guy and forced down everybody's throat and constantly put in main event after main event after main event and given title match after title match after title match. Fast forward to 2022, that same guy has held on to the Universal Championship now for a year and a half and comes out of a main event victory clean as a sheet at the end of the match anyway over Brock Lesnar as a heel character and he's getting Roman Roman chance on the Roy after WrestleMania. It Great is, point. Great it is point. shocking to see where we have gone from Roman Reigns two, three years ago to where he was over the weekend. Great point. And it was almost like you said you were you could tell where I was going to go, DZ, because I wanted to get one or two thoughts on Raw um, from both you and Andrew, because I'll probably talk a little bit more with Coop later in the week when we uh, discuss NXT and uh, and AEW. But Andrew, what were you mentioned Ezekiel laughing around? I I popped at that. <laughs> I like I'm, it. I'm I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get the like I said later in the night like. Elias come out like the other, yeah, with, right, with right. the beard cutting the promo <laughs> that he'd already cut before, and it's like, what is he really crazy? Is this dude like nuts? I would think that was funny, but man, Elias does look pretty. You know, he's. I think people forget what a like a cut dude and in shape he is. Um, what are one or two of the things that you uh that stood out to you from what didn't feel like a a real mania after Raw type? There were a few. Noticeable and important things The promo from Cody, Braun Breaker won the title What were, what were some of the things that you'll remember? So, look I, I'm willing to see The Ezekiel thing for what it is It's a comedy bit, I get it They took Elias off TV For the better part of a year For that That's <laughs> what they had That's their idea the Jackson Riker, right? Beating. Yes, that's supposed to make money I don't get it I don't see it it, it, my goodness, if you're going to reboot him like that, send him down to NXT. He's got some experience. Use his experience in that role and have some fun down there. If you're going to do that, that's how you do it. Instead, you get Kevin Owens fresh off of one of the biggest nights of his career. <laughs> He's addressing the crowd, and they put him with that. I thought that was a total misfire. And... I understand what they were doing. I get what they're going for. But again, eight months they had him off television. And there was never a reason given for why there are rumors. The rumor is Vince thought Elias looked too much like Randy Savage. I don't know if I believe it. Whoa. But my goodness, I, it, it, that just seemed like a misfire. And the Braun Breaker-Dolph Ziggler match... I enjoyed Dolph Ziggler bumped his butt off to try to get Braun Breaker over. And I respect the heck out of that. But I, I, I know the model has changed. I know that it's a situation where they probably wanted as many eyes on Braun Breaker as humanly possible 
because that guy is going to make WWE $11 billion over the next 20 years. I understand that. Was there a reason they couldn't have done that match on Saturday and then have Braun Breaker kill Ziggler dead in a rematch Monday night? Would well, that have hurt anyone or anything? I don't well, think so. And I know they don't. They probably didn't want to end that pay per view with with a wonky ending, but it's not like that was your WrestleMania. I, I know that that was your stand and deliver, but it wasn't WrestleMania where that's the last thing, right? Especially if you're going to wheel it back on the TV when most people are seeing it on the WrestleMania after. So, Coop, I know that is one thing. Yeah. You and I will probably dive into a little more later in the week Because we didn't like it when they did this in AEW And no. you, you said they sort of did it on an NXT That I didn't get a chance to see But they did the same thing Yeah, we, we had a title change uh, tonight uh, The women's tag title was uh, Not to spoil, but Toxic Attraction Defeated Raquel and Dakota Kai For the women NXT women's tag titles And it looks like Dakota Kai is getting a title shot with Mandy Rose. Um, and then the main event tonight was spectacular. It was Gunther versus Braun Breaker for the NXT championship. I won't spoil the finish, um, but uh, I would have had the other go over. But it, quickly with Raw, I would have liked to have seen a couple of more debuts. I just think this is I, – I know we have backlash, and I keep saying that. We get a lot of those WrestleMania rematches here, even on Monday night, and then back again at this pay-per-view. I want to see some new faces again. I want to see something new, and I was hoping to see that other than MVP and Omos. So we'll see what happens on, on, on and, Friday night SmackDown. And I did hear a rumor that maybe, DZ, we will get a little bit more in the weeks coming because that they may have – Backed off a bit since it was the the NCAA title game Monday night. Maybe they didn't want to go it like could. full. They, they, they knew we. But the we, ratings were were spectacular. They were great. Was, we knew they figured you knew they sort of had enough with Cody's going to come out cut his promo. You're going to have Roman at the end. You're going to have uh, the, the NXT title sort of rematch there. So there was going to be some things, but yeah, we didn't get any debuts or any real returns. And there should be a, a few coming up from NXT and a few. You know, with Bailey, Oscar, and a couple others in the back of our minds, and uh, and now DZ, we know we get some Ezekiel moving forward too. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, wonderful. Um, the the one thing I'll mention, oh, I, the the Cody stuff was fantastic. Um, I love what they're doing there. Obviously, the Roman stuff at the end of the show, it it, it kind of leaves me questioning what's going on. Um. You is know, he really just, hurt? Who's next for him? What are they going to do with these two titles? Do they keep and, them, separate them, right? And one thing, one thing you got to say about Roman, he he could sell. Um, he sold at the end that he had a shoulder injury or an arm injury at the end of the match. And last night, if you watch when he lifts the titles up, he winces, and it looks like an authentic wince. It could be a complete sell job as part of whatever the story is that's going on, or he could have some kind of an injury. I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of unusual that you would have him come out and just kind of do his little spiel and then say at the end of the show on Friday night at SmackDown, we're going to tell you what's next. And that's how the show ends. Now, at the same time, they're selling for you to come watch SmackDown on Friday night, uh, because obviously we're curious what is next. Um, where is Roman going from here? What is going to happen with these belts, are they going to stay unified? Is there going to be one brand new title? Um, they keep referring to him as just the undisputed universal heavyweight champion. They're not even acknowledging the other belt. Uh, so I don't know what to make of that. 
But it is kind of interesting. There are a lot of questions around that situation right now. And I'm curious to see where it goes. And I guess maybe that's what WWE had in mind. They're leaving me wanting more and wanting to see what's next. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. We'll be tuning in on Friday night. Very lucky to have Andrew, Darren, and Chad Coop back for the the Mania post round table to discuss everything that happened both nights. And fellas, really uh, always enjoy it. Always enjoy our, our conversations every week. We'll have some uh, some old wrestling rewatches coming up soon. And Coop will uh, will dissect a little bit about what happened in NXT and some AEW. And everyone out there, make sure to give the three of these guys a follow on social media uh, at the track seven at Andrew Champagne at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and uh, check out all the great content that they provide. We'll be talking wrestling here each and every week. On That's What G Said, Don't Go Anywhere That was a ton of fun I always love getting all the guys together Combining the old wrestling rewatch And this weekend wrestling with Chad Cooper We'll be back in our uh, in our separate corners next week But it was fun to get everyone's, uh, everyone's thoughts On the Big Mania show Previewing it last week And then uh, recapping it this week Thanks to Andrew Thanks to Darren Thanks to Coop Loop for helping out there. A big thank you to Josh and to Scott for talking Masters with us earlier on. And hopefully we led you to a couple baseball winners. So if you're looking for all the horse racing stuff, don't worry. As I mentioned, if you need Sam Houston Thursday, check on social media. I'll have a video posted. Friday, Saturday stuff will all be on the, the next podcast. So it'll be Friday Keeneland, Friday Santa Anita, Friday Sam Houston, Saturday Keeneland, Saturday Sam Houston. We have a guest, Chappie. Jeff Chapman to talk some Santa Anita. We've got David Aragona to talk some Aqueduct Saturday with us, uh, some NBA with Eric, and we'll hit on NXT and AEW with Chad Cooper. Moon Knight next week with Tim Kelly. Right now, that's what G said theme song with Joey Cleveland.